Hey everybody, today Rado talks through episode 79 of the podcast, which is a big one as to be expected, seeing as how Jen had to take last month off. So we had two podcasts, or probably more like a podcast and a half worth of questions we really had to dig deep on, and that's what we're about to do right now. Honestly, I don't think there's much more uh, for me to say in the preamble. We should just get right to it. As always, first, there's going to be a whole bunch of game-related stuff that I'll tackle, then Jen will show up to tackle a few game questions, and then the second half of the show will be all about all kinds of personal stuff, and oh, we, uh, prepare for some tear-jerking stuff coming up pretty soon, folks. As always, please send your questions to questions questions at rotto.com because without your input we have no output and uh, that's the circle of life around here so hang on we will be right back When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, everybody, it is time to start answering the questions. And as always, if you have questions for the podcast, please send them to questions at rotto.com. Because without your questions, I got no show. So let's get going. First of all, we have got Andre. Where are we? Andre, okay. And Andre had a few questions. What was my game of the con? Obviously, Andre is talking about the fact that I just got back from uh, Board Game Geek convention in Dallas. What was the favorite game I played? I would definitely say the favorite game I played of all of them was probably Golem. Uh, and actually, I just filmed a run-through for it. That video will be going up very soon. That was fantastic. It was especially cool because uh, uh, Ashley and Alejandro, who I played several games with over the uh, convention, taught me how to play the game, which is something very rare. Normally, I have to do all the teaching and the learning. So that helped a lot. But um, I'd actually say my game of the con was not Golem, because everybody's excited about Golem. Uh, it would actually be Neko Harbor. N-E-K-O Harbor is a very, very cool little card-based engine-building game that I think is definitely going to be one of those games that like, falls under the radar and people don't pick up on it. But I was really, really impressed uh, by it. I just talked about it in the last roundup I did uh, last week, I guess. I really need to contact the publisher and see if I can get them to send me out a review copy, because I would really like to play it a lot with Jen. So... One question down, 50 bajillion to go. Next up, Andre says, One of the pleasant surprises for Andre was Bad Company. In my final thoughts, I compared it to Machi Koro. And uh, Andre's also heard people compare it to Space Base. Andre's played Machi Koro, but not Space Base. Which do I think does this game better? Um, read below after you've answered, so I will not read below. Okay, so yeah, there are there's, a, there's several games now. I mean, Machi Koro... I don't know if Machi Koro was the first, but certainly Machi Koro popularized this idea of, oh, look, I've got a bunch of people or buildings or whatever it is, and every round we roll a die, and whoever's rolling the dice doesn't matter, everybody gets to activate. You know, obviously that goes back to Catan with rolling the die and the robber coming out and all of that. But, I mean, Machi Koro was a pretty big deal. And then, uh, off the top of my head, there's uh, Card Kings of Valeria, I think, was the next one. Then Space Base. And now we've got Bad Company. And another one, My Farm Shop. Those are the five I know of. And there might be a few others that I'm not thinking of that uh, do this. This form of gameplay. And of all of them, I think My Farm Shop is the best one. By far. I'm really, really keen on that game. 
heck, if I were to do a top 10, I'm, I'm going to do a top 5 countdown of Machi Koro-inspired games. Coming in at number 5, Machi Koro itself. Uh, number 4, Space Base. Number 3, uh, Card Kingdoms of Valeria. And now, actually, also Dice Kings of Valeria, which I think is still on Kickstarter right now. A roll-and-write version of this Machi Koro-style gameplay. Number 2, Bad Company. And number 1, the uh, My Farm Shop. Hopefully. All right, so... Continuing on, Andre says, I, I think I like the lack of uh, feeling bad moments in Bad Company. You never fully miss the chance to do something in your turn or other people's turns. It also seems to be a shorter snap here with the funnier theme. I agree with all of that. I mean, you just described main reasons that Machi Koro is at the bottom of the list. Machi Koro popularized this, but oh my gosh, so many other games have come along and done it so much better. I find them so much more engaging. Uh, and, you know, and for the reasons you talk about, also Machi Koro has way too much take that in it. Just needless, oh, I steal your stuff. Haha, you're already having a miserable time because you can never quite get your buildings to fire off. How about I steal what you do have? Yep. I, people love Machi Koro, and I definitely appreciate how it you know, put this kind of gameplay on the map, and it's very popular. It's gotten a Legacy game, it's gotten a Machi Koro 2 that Shea covered a couple of months ago that I guess uh, really kind of advanced the gameplay quite a bit. But no, for me, uh, my farm shop is at the top of the list. Bad Company would be number two. Um, although I could see those two kind of swapping, because Bad Company is really good. Okay. Then, I'll be continuing with Andre. At the convention... So, Andre, were you at Board Game Geek Con? Uh... Did I see you? Did I say hi? Anyway, at the convention, uh, Andre tried two other gamers to play for two and a half hours Imperium Legends, but they had to give up in frustration. Uh, did I have a difficult time with the rulebook? I have heard people have a very, very difficult time with the Imperium Legends and Imperium... I forget the other one. There's two different Imperiums. Honestly... I am not a good judge of this kind of thing because I didn't have a problem with the rules at all. I thought they were very clean and straightforward. They were maybe a bit drier than they need to be. They could have done a better job of maybe bringing the theme in because that always helps. And, and publishers never seem to do this. They always talk about mechanisms and not the theme behind the mechanisms because that's how you can truly teach somebody how to play a game. But I didn't have a hard time with them. But you got to remember, I read literally hundreds of rule books every year. So it's not too terribly surprising that you know I, I've kind of gotten to the point where I... I I recognize things. I recognize what a rulebook is trying to say. I can I can speak board game rulebook now. So I'm not a good judge. I'm, I'm sorry you had that experience, though. That's a bummer. It is a really great game, or series of games. Okay, then Andre says, Did I get Golem figured out on Sunday, or did someone come by and teach the rules? Yes, I already talked about that. Um, Ashley and Alejandro, and actually another... When I, when I grabbed it at the library... I was going to put it back because I realized, oh, I've only got two hours. There's no way I can set this up and learn how to play it and play it before the convention shuts down. But there was a very nice woman named Jennifer, I have no idea what her last name is, who was there and said, oh, I'll come by and teach you. And so she convinced me. I mean, that was, I mean, she didn't have very much time either, but she said she would do it. And so I went, I got set up while I was waiting for Jennifer to show up. Um, Ashley and Alejandro, they had played it, so they taught me. Like five minutes later, Jennifer arrived. I thanked her profusely because she didn't have to, to make that time, um, but she did. And we did get the game played, and it was glorious. And I won, uh, which was also a great way to end the convention. All righty. Last one from Andre. <clears throat> I've said that I'm a bit of an introvert. Does being at a convention booth and meeting hundreds of people leave you worn out at the end of the day? Or does having a game in front of me with Jen, uh, you know, uh, uh, with me, give me enough energy to not be exhausted? Oh, I I'm guaranteed. 
both Jen and I are completely exhausted. I mean, hugely exhausted at the end of every day. Uh, and, uh, you know, she, because, I mean, we're both relative introverts when it boils right down to it. And we are both putting on our big, you know, hey, how's it going, everybody? Yo, know, high energy. I mean, Jen's there to sell stuff. I'm there just to talk to people. Uh, but I'm definitely doing my whole Rado persona. And uh, yeah, it's exhausting. Um, you know, Jen was going to sleep by like 9.30 at night. And normally I stay up till like 1 in the morning. I think I was going to sleep by 11. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's, it is, it's, I mean, we're there to work. Make no mistake about it. But uh, we're, we're, it was, we still both had a great time. Jen had a great show. And uh, yeah, can't wait to go back next year. I'm really, I'm really glad it's back. Um, I, I wish they had, I wish they'd had, um, vaccination mandatory instead of just, you know, the honor system where people signed a piece of paper saying, I promise I'm vaccinated. And then, you know, we just did, we, we had to wear masks. I wish vaccines were mandatory. I found out though why they're not. It's the state of Texas would not allow them. It was against the law to, uh, and that was a bit disappointing to say the least. Um, and it's attitudes like that. That's going to keep COVID with us for a long time, folks, team vax. Anyway, though, sorry. Uh, going off track there. Let's move on to Ashley, who has a whole bunch of stuff Ashley would like to say. First of all, Ashley wonders, when do I rank my games that I played as a run-through or Kickstarter preview? Ashley goes back a lot to find out what I really thought, after you know, watching my videos, uh, you know, through the ranking against other games. And mostly, I haven't ranked any of that stuff. We need a Rotto Ranks to go along with the Ruel Ranks. Um, it is true. First of all, if it is a prototype that I have covered for a Kickstarter campaign, I don't rank it at all because I don't feel I don't feel I can do that because I played a prototype. The game is very likely going to change. It's probably going to be nicer. There's going to be stretch goals and there's going to be content that I didn't have access to. So I mean that's why I don't like I don't label those as Rado Run Series. I call them previews because the game is still literally under development and therefore I do not rank them. Uh, when, you know, a cut to a year later, when the publisher finally puts out a, uh, you know, a, a retail version, sometimes they'll send me a final copy. Often they don't. Actually, more often than not, they don't. Uh, and, and that's fine. But, you know, if they do send me a final, uh, we'll play it again, and then I'll give it a full rank. Now, in the meantime, Ashley, it's not immediate, but at the end of any month, or sometimes the previous month, when you saw me covering a Kickstarter preview, I did rank that game relative to everything else I played that month. Those are my monthly roundup videos, where I do a countdown from my least favorite game to my most favorite game. So you can get some sense of how the games rank relative to everything else in those roundups. Uh, but for, for an actual true ranking, I have to actually own the game. I have to have actually played the real final deal. So that's why you're not seeing those. Uh, next up, Ashley says, How often do I tell board game publisher designers no regarding run-throughs? Uh, I, I definitely have a swim lane, the publishers know, and that helps sway my glowing reviews because the publishers are targeting my gaming sweet spot. But how often do I turn down games I don't think are for you? A lot. If you'd asked me this a few years ago, I would have said 9 out of 10 times that a publisher asked me, Hey, would, would you cover our game? I, I look at the game. I read the rules. Sometimes I just skim the rules. Sometimes I just skim the description on Board Game Geek. And, you know, nine times out of ten, it's like, no. Either this is just not going to be a good game for me and Jen, because we don't like... I don't want to be a dueling wizard. You know, or whatever. But sometimes it's that I read the rules like, oh, yeah, this game isn't very good. 
Now, um, what I always I respond is like, hey, sorry, I took a look at the rules. I really don't think it's a good fit for me and Jen because I don't want to be rude or mean or anything like that. Maybe that's not cool. Maybe I should actually set to be, you know, full open honesty. Look, here's why I'm not going to cover it. I think that and that and that is garbage. And I think your game is suffering because you didn't do X, Y, or Z. But see, at that point, they should pay me, right? Because I'm doing a con... I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I used to say no a lot. You are correct to notice that more and more publishers are recognizing when they're wasting their time reaching out to me. And so I don't... I, these days, I think it's probably more like one... I, I'd have to do a test. I'd have to actually count. It's probably more like one out of every five or six. So, because I think publishers are knowing. I mean, like, I haven't gotten asked to cover a Mythic game for a long time. And that's too bad, because Shay would love covering games from Mythic. But I think Mythic realizes, oh, Rado doesn't like our dudes-on-map, you know, skirmishy-type games. We shouldn't contact him. I should really contact them and say, you know, Shay likes that kind of stuff. That's why he's on the channel. But anyway, it, uh, it, it is definitely... I mean, I, I still get plenty of folks who are clearly have no idea who I am. They just found me on some list of board game media people and just reached out. So I still get plenty of those. It's really obvious when you get one of those um, emails. But yeah, I would say it's definitely... Maybe one out of every six or seven. It used to be almost one out of ten. Alrighty. How often do I run through a game and tell a publisher I just didn't like it and the review won't be positive? Um, you imagine that most everybody pulls a review at that point if they find out that we didn't like it. That, I mean... I Every time that happens, that is a big failure on my part. That I let that happen. That I put Jen in a situation where she had to sit down and play a game that we did not like. That's why I am so stringent and strident and try to avoid uh, you know, covering stuff that I know we're just not going to like. It... I would say maybe two or three times a year. Two or three times a year. Wow, I really thought this was going to work. Oh my gosh, this just does not work at all. This is disappointing. Too bad, so sad. And um, so, uh, yeah, not very often. And you're right. Whenever it has come up... Like, what was the most recent one that came up? I I cannot even remember the name of the game. It's Kickstarter ultimately didn't fund. I do remember looking when they eventually launched... And I think I did actually give them some feedback as to why we did we we thought there were issues with the game that we did not like. I, I do recall that now. But yeah, I can't for the life of me think of the name. But it happens two or three times, and there has only ever been one publisher who said, "No, go ahead, put it up anyway." Oh, we'll, we'll, we 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 this is what you dislike. We're fine with that. And that was myth, which is probably the most negative video I have ever put up because I mean I ranted for like twenty or thirty minutes about all the problems with that game. Um, but the publisher had had the option for me to not cover it at all. And they said, no, no, no. I mean, and I, I have nothing but respect for them for doing that. Good on them. I hope I didn't hurt their bottom line. But, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's about the extent. And, that, and I, 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 I could probably go out and find. I could do a search in my outbox for, sorry, this didn't fit for us. I have like a generic rejection letter. But, um, yeah, it just doesn't happen very often. Because if it does, that means I didn't do my job. I didn't do my due diligence. How often do I pick a game that's on the fringe of our sweet spot or outside of our happy place regarding uh, mechanisms? Uh, not very often, I don't think. I mean, there are a few games that there's something about it that looks so good to me. And I know the rest of the stuff we won't particularly like, but I still just want to experience that one thing. Some cool twist of design, or it's a theme that I haven't gotten a chance to play before. That happens occasionally, but not very often, I don't think. All right. How often does Jen watch my run-throughs 
and call uh, call me on decisions I make on her behalf when uh, the play doesn't go well when it comes to the fictional Jen. Um, here's the thing. Jen never, ever, ever watches any of my videos. Uh, she There's plenty of stuff she does watch on YouTube, but her YouTube time is devoted to watching glass artists learning new techniques to make glass, because she is a you know, she's a glass artist herself, you know, Jennifer Ham Glass. So she mostly watches that. I don't know if she watches anything on YouTube other than videos about how new cool techniques to make beautiful glass work so that she can, um, you know, take and work those into her own. So... I, the, I, in fact, I think in the almost 10 years that I have been doing this, quite frankly, just about the only time that, uh, that what you're suggesting has ever even happened was one time it was when we were in Malta and I was filming in our living room. I mean, because we just had a, a two-bed apartment. And so I filmed in, in our living room, dining room area. She, as she was just walking through, she heard me say, and Jen's going to do this, and she walked over, and you could see her hand reach into camera and say, no, Jen does not do that. Jen does this other thing instead. And I just had to roll with it, and I just had to laugh. Now, here's the thing. I often, when I'm filming my run-throughs, I am not necessarily making choices because it's the best strategic choice to make. I mean, I try to make reasonable strategic choices, but my thought process when I'm making moves, when I'm filming a run-through, has a lot more to do with what have I not demonstrated yet. I have oh, this whole feature of the game. I haven't done anything. I'm 30 minutes in, and I've never even visited the, the, the old wizard. And that's like a third of the game. And, you know, and it's at those moments, like, I have no reason to do it. My whole strategy has nothing to do with the wizard. I will still often try to come up with a reason that either me or Jen will go visit the wizard because my real job is not playing the game. It's not teaching you how to play the game well. My real job is just demonstrating all the features so you know what it feels like to play. So that happens quite a bit. That happens all the time. That, um, right, okay, I just have to come up with a reason. I mean, when I was playing Gollum, uh, you know, Jen had a strategy, but I put one of her students way up north because there wasn't going to be uh, I, I, there wasn't going to be anybody on that track. Or I put her golem up on that track, even though it didn't and so for because I needed to make sure they're all um, spread somewhere. Strictly speaking, I think you're right to point out that Jen seems to be um, on the losing end of moves more because the thing I know best is what I'll do for myself, and I'm the first player. Uh, you know, the thing I'm, I feel like I'm most comfortable and confident that I'll be able to demonstrate to good effect, I'll usually give that to me, and I usually go first. Um, the reason I go first is because in real life, I always try to play first, because my first turn, whenever I'm playing a game with anybody, is my opportunity to cement the rules to other players, because I will walk through, here's what I'm doing, this I do with Jen all the time, I'm doing this, and it's because of this, this, and this, and because this is my strategy. Look, I've got this card, this is by the time I'm done. I just come up with all that stuff, so that everybody else who I'm teaching the game has a better understanding of why you make chisms. And so, since I always play first, I just do it in the videos too. That means Jen often ends up getting the, oh crap, I haven't visited a wizard yet. All right, I'll try to come up with some halfway decent reason that Jen will go visit the wizard, even if there was a better move she could have made. The number of times that people post, Jen totally should have done this other thing. Chances are, yes, I probably would have done it at the time, but I hadn't taught you how to play the wizard yet. So, that's a big part of how decisions go in my run-throughs. Okay. 
Moving right along, we have Arno, who uh, loves to hear the extended podcast because of the backstage fun and mishaps. Uh, Arno, I believe, is referring to the extended R&R shows that I've been putting up on the podcast stream, uh, you know, which is basically, there's you know, 45 minutes to an hour of me and Ruel doing a top 10 every week, but then there's like another other hour of everything exploding and everything going wrong and back and forth to the audience. Uh, I, I was going to say you should check it out, but if you're listening to this podcast, you must know about the R&R show. So anyway, thank you, Arno. Uh, it is appreciated to hear that you are enjoying it. Okay, but moving on. Any chance of a run-through for the new clinic, expansion number three, with the story campaign and the therapy dogs module? Looks like something Jan and I would like. I That sounds really, really cool. I, we really dug clinic. I will be honest, clinic did not make it back with us when we moved back to the States. I had to get rid of like almost 200 games because I was trying to cut down on the international shipping cost. And I bet you if you go uh, to gone.rado.com, you will see a list of you know, hundreds of games that I've gotten rid of, and I type up why. I bet you anything my description for why I got rid of Clinic was had to get rid of for international move. Now, the real reason is because it's a gigantic box. I don't know if that's changed. I think, isn't there like a, 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 a Clinic deluxe version coming? Maybe that'll be a smaller box. But if I recall correctly, I got rid of Clinic, not because of the gameplay, but because... It was a big box, and I was trying to ship stuff internationally. So I don't have it. So I don't think you'll be seeing me cover that. But a therapy dogs module, oh my gosh. That might change things. We'll see. Well, you know, Time will tell. Anyway, number two from Arno. I've covered most of Vita Lasarda's games, but no run-through for the Weather Machine Kickstarter. Wasn't that a fit for you and Jen? Yes. A Weather Machine is definitely one of my most anticipated games of the year. I would definitely 100% love to cover it for, during the Kickstarter campaign. But uh, the publisher just didn't reach out. I actually, that's, I'm, these days, I get, I get so many publishers reaching out, I very rarely initiate contact. And, you know, if there's a game I want and they're just not going to do it, okay, fine, there's plenty of other games. Too many games for me to cover anyway, that's one less. They're doing me a favor by not giving me another game that I've got to cover. But uh, for Weather Machine, I wanted it so bad, I actually reached out to them. And when I didn't hear back, I reached out to Vito Lasarda himself saying, hey, maybe you would want them to... And just nothing. Nothing. I don't know why. Now, obviously, they didn't need it. It's not like they need a preview from me because it's blowing up, as it should. So at this point, my hope is that uh, you know they'll send me a review copy when it eventually comes out. They did send me a review copy of the Rococo Deluxe Edition, but they never sent me a review copy of On Mars or the expansions. I don't know. There's... I've, I've written to them several times. They never replied. It's just very strange. So that's it. It's not me. I would be all over playing that game. Anyway, though. Arno's question number three. Lately, I've been taking a lot of definition and semantics questions. So here's some more. I can skip it. Yeah, he's referring to uh, people love trying to define what a deck of cards is in the last few episodes. It's been going on for quite a while. Uh, but anyway, so hopefully Arno's got some new ones. A deck builder is about building a deck. Okay, agreed. But what about a bag builder? Nobody's building a bag. Shouldn't it be called a bag drafting game? I have to admit, I'm not a fan of bag builder. I mean, I will accept it because it has become... I mean, that's the point of language. I don't. It doesn't matter if I like the word or not. It doesn't matter if I like the way people mispronounce it or not. It doesn't matter. If people are able to effectively communicate ideas using that word, it's legit. And so bag builder is here to stay. It's just a shame pool builder didn't catch on. But I totally understand. Pool builder is terrible sounding. I can't say it with a straight face. Hey, you want to play the latest hot pool builder? Oh, there's an expansion for Orleans. Well, what's that? That's a pool builder. It just won't work. Bag builder is what it has to be. Um, yeah. What would you... I mean, bag contents builder, bag drafter. 
I mean, if you call it a bag drafting game, that means people are going to assume, oh, uh, every round there are five bags put out and they have mysterious stuff. Everybody takes turn drafting one bag and see what they get. That actually sounds really cool, quite frankly. I actually like the idea of that. Um, you know, kind of uh, like those shows about people who buy old abandoned storage sheds and find out what they get. Actually, there is a board game on that. I covered that board game, in fact. Anyway, no, sorry. Um, so I don't think bag drafting would... I think bag drafting... I mean, regardless, it doesn't matter. The ship has sailed. Bag, dra- bag building is here to stay. Everybody understands what it means. And so that's the term. Whether it's the best term or not is immaterial. It is the term. So I'll live with it. It should be a pool builder. We should call Dominion a pool builder. But language doesn't always go the way we want. Okay. And uh, see, Arno is not a native speaker, but at school, Arno was taught you have one die, but two or more are dice. But when Arno watches reviews and other run-throughs, you often hear one dice, two or more dice. Was you taught wrong? No, Arno, you were not taught wrong. Officially... Um, if you only have one of these little things, this is a die. I am rolling one die. But um, d- re- referring to this as either a die, d- for a lot of people, that just sounds dumb. Um, you, know, you know, one murder. This is one murder. I'm rolling one murder. I'm rolling one bottle of, of uh, fluid that is used for coloring cloth. Uh, you know, die. Uh, it just it sounds so weird that many, many people say, okay, I'm going to roll the one dice I've got here. I'm rolling the one dice. And that's just an example of language evolving, because I am almost positive within the last 10 years, some dictionary, Webster's or Miriam or somebody, ultimately said, hey, you know what? Official- it used to be, you, if you, a singular is die. We will now officially um, accept dice as both singular and plural. And that's fine, because who cares? Um, you know, language changes and evolves. English more so than most. It's one of the rings English is able to spread so far and wide, putting aside the darker history, uh, is that you know English is so dynamic and so fluid and so ready to just throw rules out and adjust itself on the fly that um, you know that's why you have situations like well I was when I was raised it was die it used to be it's not anymore because English evolves and it evolves fast. Okay, let's move on. Darren wonders. Do I think it's possible to have a pandemic spin-off game that would be different enough to classify as a new game so that I'd add it to a top 10 of the year while still being pandemic at its core? <sighs> well, you know, there is that new World of Warcraft one. If I were to rank World of Warcraft on my overall ranked at Rado.com, I don't think it would fall under the umbrella of just, oh, it's just part of pandemic. Because... It cha- I mean, it still has... Oh, look, you have action points. You're, you're, I mean, it changed enough to where I would rank it on its own. Because people don't recognize... I mean, people say, oh, pandemic, it's all about virus cubes. It's all about the explosive spreading. No, all that is secondary. The true beating heart of pandemic is that it is a card-based set collection game. Everything we're trying to do is just getting five of those matching color cards, going to a space, and spending them to win. And and everything revolves around how hard it is for players to give cards to each other, and how much logistical uh, computation you have to spend trying to make that happen. That's the true heart of Pandemic. And the interesting thing is, the World of Warcraft game completely abandoned that. So much so that you know, they called it a Pandemic system game. I don't know if that's legitimate. I think it's so far away from Pandemic that they could have... I mean, I mean, I understand why, because, hey, it's just good marketing. Oh, if you like Pandemic, you like World of Warcraft, try this. Um, but, uh, yeah, if I were to rank it, I wouldn't, because it has moved so far... I mean, but your question was, still being Pandemic at its core. Yeah. 
Well, no, if it's Pandemic at its core, I'm going to list it as a spinoff of Pandemic. It's only if it's not Pandemic at its core that I would give it its own entry rather than, you know, because again, I, I, for folks who don't know, you can go to ranked.rio.com and you can see 400 or so games that are in my collection, all ranked, down to like the fifth decimal point for no other reason than I can just make sure there's literally a number one and a number 37 and a number 219. You know, so just ranking everything relative to each other. <clears throat> and I love Pandemic. Spoiler alert, Pandemic's my number one. I did not want to have an entry for Pandemic and Pandemic Legacy and Pandemic Fall of Rome and Pandemic Iberia and, you know, and, and all of these different things because, hey, my top... 20 or 30 would be nothing but pandemics. Pandemic, pandemic, pandemic. And it's just like, no, too much. So I basically, if it's an off, if it's a shoot off or an expansion, I just kind of, uh, I list them. They're still in my collection, but I list them, I think, as pre-ordered. Uh, so they don't appear in my regular ranked view. And I don't rank them because I just give them all the blanket umbrella ranking that I give pandemic for all the pandemic offshoots. I wouldn't do that for World of Warcraft, Wrath of the Lich King, a pandemic system game, because it, it has abandoned the core of pandemic and has become something else. And I would rank it separately, if that makes sense. Okay. Hi, David. David was wondering if I could read the attached article and give my opinions. I mention frequently that I feel newer games are better. Perhaps I'll find this blog enlightening. Okay, let's take a looky-loo. All right, uh, control. Did that open in Chrome? Because the... Nope, it opened in a new version of Chrome, which is not being shared... Why didn't it open in my existing window of Chrome? We will go there. Fine. And oh, now I got to hide Word so I can show Chrome for the folks who are watching. Let's see here. Boop. There we go. Yes. Okay. The uh, post is Post Hawk Ergo Melius Hawk from Jeff uh, Warrender. And let's see. Post Hawk. This is a long article. Oh, dear. Okay. Tell you what. I'm going to pause for a second. I'm going to read it and I'll be right back. Oh, David, that is such a long article. I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm actually, for folks who don't know, I'm actually streaming myself, recording the podcast for the first time ever. And so there is an audience of folks, and I just didn't want to have them watch me read it silently for five or ten minutes while I really dwell on it. But I, I read the basics. I, got, I, I think I understand the, the, the notion of... I mean, basically, it was an article about how, you know what... Uh, uh, causation does not equal cor- or, you know, or correlation does not equal causation. I completely agree with that. Um, and you're right. I have certainly said in the past that hey, maybe uh, you know newer games tend to go to the top of the list because newer designers are standing on the shoulders of what has come before. Now here's the thing that um, that has to be mentioned in co- in the context of that particular observation. It's not like the board game geek uh, rankings list is in any way, shape, or form anything other than a popularity contest. That is what that list is. Um, When it boils right down to it, it is not an objective determiner of quality. And maybe I've talked about it like it is. I I think it's, it's certainly an interesting data point. Hey, if something is really popular which is what the Board Game Geek ranking list truly is, then maybe, uh, maybe it's good. Maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's a correlation between being popular and being good. Some people would argue that's not true because then they would point to Michael Bay Transformers films. I would then counter Michael Bay Transformer films are amazing. If you're looking for a very specific thing, they do that thing better than anything else in human history. So it's no surprise at all to me that they're very popular. Uh, but it doesn't mean necessarily I like it. Anyway, though, um, I, I guess since I don't have time to read the whole argument uh, or the article, David, I will stipulate that when um, I say that, you know, 
You know what? I personally believe the designs of today, broadly, generally speaking, tend to be higher quality um, because they have learned the lessons of the past. I say that the same way that the works of Shakespeare are better because once upon a time, there were cavemen who were literally telling stories by painting pictures of antelopes on a wall. And that has led. Shakespeare is standing on their shoulders. The same kind of broad thing, I believe, is happening in the board game industry as well. It happened in the movie industry. It, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, people watching the train come in is a terrible film. But the uh, people who make movies today know how to make better films because somebody made people standing on platform watching train come into station. One of the first feature films ever, you know? And I, I just think that's... I, I, I don't know. I really should read the article, but again, maybe I can sidestep the whole thing by saying, really, board game beat rankings are popular. I think these days, designers again, learning from the lessons of the past, are better at making targeted popular games um, because they know more about what the audience wants as well. So, I mean, I, I, and I do think these are all lessons learned. And, uh, and maybe I should read that article, but it's just a bit too long right now. Um, you know what? I will leave it open. You know what, David? Write back again next month. I promise, next time I will have read that argument. Write back to questions at questions at rado.com or questions at rado.com, and we'll, we'll try to circle back around. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't make the audience do it right now. Okay. But anyway, though, continuing, David says, my analogy of movies to board games is spurious in David's opinion. The analogy being newer equals better. I, that's not my analogy, baby. That is not my analogy. My analogy is newer has a higher propensity towards better because of accumulated knowledge. There is, of course, absolute abject garbage being made today. And, of course, there are unassailable masterpieces made in yesteryear. It is not a guarantee that the lessons learned from what has come before inevitably, inexorably makes better works. It just makes works tend towards being better. So, first of all, I disagree with your assessment of my analogy. I think there's more subtlety and nuance, but I will now continue. Anyway, board games are not in their infancy. They've been around for thousands of years. B modern designer board games are very, 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 very much in their infancy. 100% in their infancy. Just because Backgammon and Senate have existed for thousands of years has nothing to do with... Um, I mean, you know, they, they, of course, they do form a foundation. But for the, the vast majority of the 10,000 years of modern Homo sapien society, you know, ever since we basically became... Um, agrarian or agricultural and we settled down and we started actually having fun and one of the first things we started doing was making games because we weren't um you know every waking moment wasn't just devoted to survival so for the 10 15,000 years we've been around um games not very many games have really um you know broken through to the zeitgeist there was no zeitgeist i mean we are on such a ridiculous curve you know for majority of humanity it's it's flatline 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 and then for the last 20 years Boom! Right through the roof in terms of um, popular culture awareness of games. And um, yeah, that what, what I like to call the modern designer board game movement, and I like to call it that because I literally just made that up right now, is totally 100% in its infancy. You've got Sid Saxon making huge breakthroughs back in the 60s. You've got Catan in the 90s. Um, and now you've got, you know... 
two, three thousand plus games coming out every year. Did we have two, three thousand plus games coming out every year in 1837? No, we did not. Um, just because chess and backgammon and a handful and um, oh, mumbly peg existed back then doesn't mean there was what I am talking about. And what I'm talking about is the modern board game societal experience. That did not exist in 1837. It just simply did not. So we are definitely in our infancy. Just because there's a few outliers from hundreds or thousands of years ago. All right. Um, there are, in fact, movies from 20, 50, 75 years ago. They're just as good as current ones. Did at any point did I disagree with that statement, David? I do not believe so. I think again, you are. I'm sure there is a Latin term for um, reductum absurdum that you are taking my broad statement and trying to cramp it down into a little tiny straw man that I can't support. And I'll just say, yeah. At no point did I say that the existence of Inception means that Citizen Kane is a piece of crap. Just picking two very, um, you know, well-reviewed and well-respected movies from today and from 70 or 80 or 100 years ago. No, I guess 70 or 80 years ago. Um, yeah, that, that was never my point. It never has been my point. Um, so, I think we maybe we're working across purposes there. Anyway, though, let's continue, because i got more questions. Drew says... Uh, that Drew was going to suggest doing close-up images of the box art for thumbnails in the R&R &R uh, YouTube videos. Looks like I am, and you'll like them. Thanks, Drew. I was really kind of on the fence. I wanted to do something... Well, here's the thing. Uh, a surprise, uh, a sneak peek, that I have a professional graphic designer working on a complete and total revamp of the Rotto Runs Through experience. Uh, um, yeah, I mean... I, I am so primitive. I mean, I know my thumbnails on YouTube are supposed to have pictures. So I said, heck, here's, here's like 20 pictures of me and Ruel. And obviously, that's not the way it's supposed to work and all that. You know, there's like science to it. So I've got somebody working on it. They're a real professional, really high quality. They're volunteering their time doing it for free. So I'm not pushing. But when they are done, I will be rolling that out. And you will be seeing... Um, you know, you'll, you'll be seeing more professional stuff done. And this was just something in the interim that I was just playing around with. Because one of the things this professional suggested, which was a crazy idea, but I love it, is, hey, you know what? When you when you put up a top 10 video, the, the standard template for your top 10 videos, just show the 10 games. Why hide it? I mean, I am one of the only channels that once you start watching my video, it, the games are just right there. Because I found for years, I oh, I tried to hide it or something like that. People immediately go to the comments and just post it. So it's pointless. I might as well just put it in myself. So I've never hid that. When YouTube started doing the chapter breaks, I see everybody else saying, oh, number three, number two, and I got to click over there and see what it is. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to waste your time. If you want to know what my number three is, just hover and you'll see what it is. So I've never hidden that. So why not put that stuff on the uh, thumbnail itself? Now, some would say, oh, that means fewer people will watch because they'll just see what they were and they won't watch at all. I would think that, I mean, when I put up 10 games, chances are you will know two or three of them, but you won't know four or five or six of them. And you say, oh, he's mentioned those ones. I like that one. Maybe I should see what these other ones are that I don't recognize or that I've heard about, but I don't know what they are. Maybe I should find out why it's so good. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's an experiment. So at first I was experimenting with doing that. Uh, you know, just putting the actual boxes. But then, I don't know, I had, I, I got cold feet. And so, I, well, what if I just like do a hint of the box and do the zoomed in, which is what you're suggesting? And so that's where it is right now. I still need to talk to my marketing expert uh, to see what they think about it. But that's just a little bit of how the sausage is made behind the scenes stuff. Okay. Drew then says, on the R&R &R show, I mentioned that Ruel and I each make a top 10 list 
and the lists are sent to a friend to make sure there's no overlap. Correct. Uh, Drew would like to suggest a quick mention of the games that did not make the top 10. Honorable mentions in future episodes. Here's the deal. One of the reasons we are doing the show like we are now, where we, we do the live stream and then we make that available as the extended cut, is I keep expecting, we both, Drew and I have talked about this, we keep expecting the first question in the Q&A every week should be, well, what other games? What didn't make your list? And we're both sitting here ready to talk about all the other games we didn't talk about. So far, nobody has asked that question. It seems like the most obvious question. We just talked about 10 games. We have another 10 in our back pocket. Does nobody want to know? Okay, if not, I guess we won't do that. So that's why I haven't done it, because the audience themselves has the opportunity to query and get that information, and they've never tried. So that's kind of where I am with that. Okay. Uh, For the game you want to play again, but time is money, like Nations... Uh, could I do something with Twitch? Perhaps an incentive goal to have me play it, or a one-off stream to play it and help reach incentive goals. Uh, or is Twitch exclusive to the R&R and RVR shows? Blade Crown making Twitch value. Thank you. Yes. Um, no, that's definitely a possibility. Um, in fact, I am thinking... I mean, well, as an example, I normally record my podcast alone uh, and it, for my first half, where before Jen shows up. And then I just edit it together. Today, I decided to stream that on Twitch. Because why not? And I've got... uh, I seem to be vacillating between 30 and 50 people watching because it's on a weekend. It's not in our normal time frame. Uh, Hopefully everybody's enjoying watching. I've given them some toys to play with virtually and stuff like that. And uh, because it's why not do that? I think I might just start doing that now. I'm, I think I'm going to continue doing the the monthly roundups. uh, Stream live and then put on YouTube 24 hours later. Because why not? So there's another thing that I do that never sees the light of day. Every month, a bunch of Marvel Champion stuff shows up, and uh, Jen won't play it with me, so I just go and play it sad and alone solo so I can mention it in the monthly roundups. I could start making that a relatively regular thing, streaming Marvel Champions content, if people would be interested. By all means, let me know if there's anybody out there, people watching live now. People can send uh, to questions at rotto.com. Let me know if that's a good or a bad thing. Uh, Because I've got a a lot of that stuff, and normally I just play it by myself. I could stream and play it by myself. And heck, maybe I'd up my win ratio if I actually had some people giving me advice. That would be good. So that's an example. But the reason I mention this is because these are things that the publisher has sent me. And because they have sent me for review... I have to play these. And I have to provide... I don't have to. There's no obligation on my part. But other than what I put on myself, I feel that if you as a publisher have paid the shipping and the cost of goods and gotten this, I will cover it in some form or other. Unless it's a thing you sent me and I never asked for it. Sometimes people show up at the door... I mean, this happens a lot. To the question from earlier, sometimes publishers, now that they have my email, or my home address, they just send me stuff. And whenever that does, and I look at it, it's like, look, I wish you would have asked me because... I would have told you, don't send this to me. Those things just go on a pile. I, I write them saying, hey, I don't want this. Do you want me to mail it to somebody? And they always say, oh, just keep it. Give it to a friend, whatever. I end up donating all of those to the Dice Tower West uh, Convention Library. And uh, anyway, though, uh, so the problem with your suggestion of, hey, I could go back and play some Nations. You're right, I could totally do that. But me spending two or three hours streaming on Nations on Twitch means I am falling further and further behind on all those games on the shelf in the next room. You can go to... PubSent, P-U-B-S-E-N-T dot rotto dot com and see a list of my backlog of everything I've got to film. If that backlog were totally empty somehow, magically, you better believe the next thing I would do is I would sit down and play some Nations. But I, I, that, that's going to be tough to accomplish in, in my current state. All right. And oh, let's see, Drew's last question. Uh, is there one f- roll slash flip and write that I would never part with? Or if there was one, what would it be and why? 
Ooh, I really do like them. It's kind of hard to say if there's only one. I mean, well, hey, let's go to ranked.router.com. Hold on a second. Let me get my browser back up. All right. So we hide Word, and then that should make the browser appear. And then I go to ranked.rado.com. And um, let's see. I'm guessing my highest ranked roll and write, is it going to be... What is it? Oh, I can't even think of the name of it now. On Tour. On Tour is, I know, very high. So On Tour is an 8.5. Let's see if there are any higher. So, all right. And this is boring to listen to, but I won't take too terribly long on trying to find them. Oh, you know what else I could do? Okay, no, I'm not going to do it this way. Forget rank.rao.com. I'm going to go to On Tour. And that's going to take me to On Tour. And then I'm going to go to... Uh, what, what, or pen, pencil and paper. Pencil, or, oh yeah, that's it, pen and paper. Okay, so now I'm going to do an advanced search. I am teaching people how to board game geek. All right, uh, mechanic. See, I'm not even being upset about not, not being mechanism, which is the appropriate thing, because language evolves. All right, and uh, what was it? It was pencil and paper. Was that the uh, topic? Yeah, pencil and paper. Show me pencil and paper games. And uh, I don't care about expansions. Show me the ones that I own. All righty. And then submit that search. And here we go. And unfortunately, I cannot sort this by my rating. I can sort it by Board Game Geek's rating. But what is the highest number? 8.3, 8.4, 8.5 is Hadrian's Wall. 8.5 is On Tour. On Tour is higher. 8.517 uh, looks like 8.5. Yes. Or no. Oh, oh, any more? Any more down here? 8.51. Oh, Riverside almost makes it. 8.0. Oh! Pandoria Merchants. It looks like Pandoria Merchants is my highest ranked roll and write. And no surprise, it is the heaviest one on the market. It's a brilliant little game. But, I mean, back to your question, is it something I would never part with? No. Which of these would I never part with? What? Are, how many are there here? Jeez, this is a lot. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. Looks like almost 30 roll and writes I've got on my shelves. Uh, are any of these I would never part with? I guarantee... You know what? I'm almost positive I know which one it'll be. Let's make a bus route the dice game. Uh, if there were only one of these, if I were, if I could only keep one of these 30, it would be let's make a bus route the dice game. And I'll tell you why. It's very hard to get. It had a very small print run. I had to order it directly from the Japanese publisher and have it shipped international. Uh, it is not my own review copy I've got of that game. A friend lent me theirs that they bought from the Board Game Geek store when it was for sale on BoardGameGeek.com. And I loved it so much. Like, okay, i got to get this myself. Oh, Board Game Geek doesn't have it in stock anymore. I had to go order special international ship it. And so I paid a lot of money. It is the most expensive roll and ride I have. And it's also a little-known one. I mean, these other ones, they're not going to be hard to find somewhere down the road. But Let's Make a Bus Route, the dice game, is so good. It's so unique. Uh, in fact, actually, I just put up an RRR, a Rotto Rapid review of it today, so you can go watch that to see why. I think Let's Make a Bus Route the Dice Game would be the one. Although, amazingly, it's only an 8.1, so it's not my highest ranked. It's not the best one, or at least the one I, I think has the best gameplay for our taste, but I do think it's the one I would keep because of that rarity factor. Okay. Boom. Let's move on to Gerald. Gerald has written many words... Let's go. And we're only up to G's. How many do we have here? We've got Gerald, then we got Jack, then we got Matilda, then we got Matt, then we got Stefan. And then we get into stuff with Jen. Okay. Well, we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. I thought it was even further back. Okay. <clears throat> Gerald uh, posits, say that I reviewed a Kickstarter prototype in August of 21. And then it was released in June of 22. Would it be valuable for the top, uh, valid for the top 10 of 2021 or 2022? 2022. Everything, would, at the end of the year, 
and then subsequently in the middle of the next year. At the end of the year, I do a preliminary top 10 games of that year. I only put games that are officially listed as being from that year on BoardGameGeek. And I don't care if it hasn't come out in America yet. I don't care if it only got a super tiny print run in Malaysia. If the publisher says, I want this to be listed on BoardGameGeek as a 2021 game, then I will consider it a 2021 game, even if I don't play it until 2023. I'm not going to put it on my best games of 2023 because it got a big expansion, or it got reprinted then because some other publisher picked it up. It's a 2021 game. You know, Hanabi is a good example of this. Hanabi was available in Germany and France for quite a while uh, before it got its big English thing, and then it got it's, you know, Kenner Spiel or the Spiel nomination or whatever. So a lot of people think, you know, it, it, you know oh, that's really a 2012 game. And no, it's a 20, 2008 game. And I would put it in my 2008. I made those numbers up. I'm sure they're entirely wrong, but you get the idea. So anyway, to your, to your hypothetical, no, it'd be a 2022 game. Because as far as I'm concerned, Board Game Geek is the definitive uh, arbiter of such things. And yeah. And then you go, um, but what if it goes to 2022? It's possible to forget about 16 months after playing it and then doing a list in 2022. Uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't. If it was a 2021 game, I'm going to call it a 2021 game. All right, so yeah, that, that's how I break it down. It's as simple as that. Uh, I just defer to Board Game Geek. I have completely absolved myself of all responsibility. The only time this has ever come up as a thing is uh, I, I really wanted to put... Isle of Cats. I forget what year. Let's say it was 2019. But um, a very, very tiny, small percentage of stores that were in the same city as the Chinese manufacturing uh, plant were selling it in 2018. Or it was something ridiculous like that. And like, uh, like a dozen people around the world got it on like December 27th. I'm like, okay, this should really be a 2018 game. But uh, I actually contacted Frank, the designer, publisher. He said, nope. It's a 2017. I am being true to the fact that that store had it in on its shelves, and that store is just as valid as any other store in the world. So it's a 2017 game. I said, okay, fine. And so I put Isle of Cats on my top 10 for whatever year it was, 2017, when the rest of the industry said, oh my god, this is one of the best games of 2018. Again, I probably have those numbers wrong. But I, I was deferring, and I was respecting the publisher. The publisher was respecting the retailer. And so, indirectly, I'm respecting the retailer. If somebody has it for sale, that is the year it is. Unless the publisher wants to override that. So that's how I do it. That's how I would go in that hypothetical. And that's not hypothetical. That happens all the time. That happens d- dozens of times every year. Okay, then Gerald, or, uh, yeah, Gerald says that being Irish... And given um, you know his history or given the Ir- Ireland's history with England, Gerald would like to design a game about fleeing, uh, uh, freeing a population from serfdom and slavery. That's pretty cool. So Gerald asks, "Do I think American audiences would be upset with a game about liberating a population from slavery if it's too much of a hot topic in the U.S. for it to be accepted?" I don't think so at all. I mean. Uh, Freedom of the Underground Railroad was very well received because it handled the subject matter. Um, respectfully and deftly and appropriately, and uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it got all, I mean, it got nothing but kudos. I don't think it really took any heat for, hey, this is uh, you know some white designer appropriating the uh, you know the, the the struggle of Black Americans and you know they're trying to you know get from you know. I mean, I don't think any of that happened there because it was so very obvious. Now, if you were to do it as in a flippant way or a silly way or a way that diminishes the uh, you know the, the the suffering and the the the, the truth of that dark history, yeah, you'd be in trouble. But if you handle it well, if you handle it definitely, especially considering the fact that you're Irish, 
So, um, you know, it, it is you telling your story or the, the story of your people, of your family. I don't think it's a problem at all. I, and, and it sounds really cool. It's something I know very little. I only know in just very broad terms. So I, I think that's very interesting. I, I, I wish you the best of luck with it. All righty. Oh, and then you continue. Imagine this hypothetical game was set in uh, a time similar to Rome, and the slave population was made up of different races. History says that Romans captured, kidnapped people for slavery from Germany, Britain, Africa, Greece, Syria, and at different times, the population in Italy was between upwards of 45% slaves, uh, not including serfs. Oh, so are you suggesting making that game instead? Well, one... I think your idea is cooler because I haven't seen that theme. I have seen the theme you're talking about here. I mean, there's a very good game from Bernard Eisenstein called PAX, uh, where players are actually um, you know, taking on leadership roles in Spartacus's slave revolt in ancient Rome. Uh, and it's actually a really good game. Um, it's interesting. What would happen with PAX if it came out now? Because the interesting thing about PAX is it really abstracts all of that away. But you know what? The, the slaves of ancient Rome... That wound is not as open and festering as the wounds of you know American slavery of you know Jim Crow. I mean, there are people alive today who are very, very much suffering, um, you know, from the outcomes of uh, America's uh, problem with race and slavery. So that's why you have to be careful. I mean, but thousands of years ago, are there people suffering today as a result of uh, of ancient Rome's slavery? I, maybe. I'm not quite sure. That's a good question. I, I would defer to others. I would want to go and talk to experts. If I were certainly designing packs today, I would probably take the time to contact experts on this and consult with them and bring them in. One, to make sure I was doing a better job historically recreating, uh, you know, because obviously there's always abstractions that have to be done when you're making games. So, I mean, like, hey, the, the, the game's on my table right now, Golem. Uh, in the rules, Cranio talks about the, um, you know, the professor of rabbinical studies that they contacted and, um, you know, consulted with for everything in this game. And now that, uh, you know, that expert, uh, you know, who's very much from that culture, you know, gave it the, the thumbs up, the seal of approval. That's just the way you should do things these days. I, I, I guess you probably should do that, even with an ancient Rome thing. Why not? Why not? It's not hard. There are people out there that are willing to make the time because it's their life's passion. It's their life's work. It's only going to make your game better if you bring those people into the fold and involve them with your developing your game. Why not do it? I mean, a million years ago, when I was working on Siphon Filter 3, we had um, missions that were set in... I think it was English shipyards, and there were IRA agents because it was like a flashback, like a you know really it was flashing back to the troubles. And we were playing American you know undercover operatives doing a joint task force thing, fighting the IRA. We, I mean, and this was we were doing this back in the '90s. I did the best I could to study up and try to cover that as be, as best I could, while still just trying to make a fun woohoo in your face action adventure shoot 'em up killing a bunch of people game. I mean, I was doing that back then. There's no reason not to do that now. So do it, Gerald. Um, but honestly, I mean, your, your idea, that sounds really cool. I would be very interested in that game. All right. Uh, Gerald continues, having played Orleans Invasion for the first time, two-handed, so you're basically, you're playing solo, but playing it cooperatively. You were short one citizen and four coins. Wow. That's pretty good. Cause that's a hard game. How do I rank it as a co-op? If that mo if it had originally shipped as a co-op, uh, would it be in my top 12 co-ops? It has difficulty modes. Um, uh, you know, it, you know, you, you, and Gerald could see it in his top 10. So, and then Gerald very handily gave me my top 10, so I don't have to go look it up, because that's what I have to go do. Alrighty, so, my top 12, my, my top 12 co-ops, at, at the time that Gerald did this, um, is Pandemic, Shadowrun, Gloomhaven, Escape, Forbidden City, Roll Camera, Aeon's End, Legends of Andor, The Loop, This War of Mine, 
Cities, skylines, and fuse. It's been a few. It's been several years since I played that co-op mode. I think it could go in between this war of mine and city skylines. I think I, or or it could go between city skylines and fuse. I think based on that, it would certainly make my top fifteen, and it could potentially push in to my fifteen or my fourteen. But I, I, I would not put it over this war of mine. This war of mine. Um, would still trump it. But it might beat Skylines or Fuse. But, I mean, to make that decision, I would have to go back and I would have to study it some more. I'd probably need to play it again. Um, I mean, I played so much Fuse. I, that's, like, fused into my brain. I know how that works. So, but I, I think it's possible. Thanks for, thanks for making that easier by giving me the list, though. Griffin wonders, what's my rating of Automania? Noticed, Griffin noticed it wasn't rated on my list. And Griffin just bought a copy after looking for a long time. Would love to hear my thoughts. My thoughts were, it was fantastic. I think I mentioned this earlier in the podcast. I bet anything. Let's, let's actually test this. Let's test this. Uh, let's go back to the browser and let's go to Automania, which is from our Porta games, right? Automania. Let's see if I got that right. Yep, it's uh, there I have it. It's previously owned. And if you go into my thing, I marked previous own and I edited it and I said, got rid of it. It's another game that did not make it because of the international move. And here's the deal. Um, yeah, that's all I said. I mean, if you go to gone.rio.com, you will see hundreds of entries where that's the full definition. Got rid of it because of an international move. Because I did not have the time or the energy to, for every single one of these games, say, well, yeah, okay, you got for move, but why did you choose that over something else? Because there's a different story for every single one of those games. I have done that in the past, actually, but it was a ramble video, which Patreon backers get to see. And it was like, Two or three hours long. It was crazy. But I, if I recall correctly, in Automania's case, again, I was looking for reasons to get rid of games. Automania is fantastic. And I had to ask myself, right, do I need Automania and Kanban? Do I need both of those excellent automotive games? If I, and, I, and I ultimately decided to keep Kanban because it's so good. Might be my favorite. I mean, I might have to... I think I usually consider CO2 my favorite Beetle Asarda, but that's because it was my first. I think I might like Kanban better if I were to go and reevaluate my feelings about those games. But I ultimately decided, no, okay, this is easy. If I'm going to sit down and play an automotive game, it's probably going to be Kanban, as great as Automania is. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love it. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. Uh, so, I mean, I, what would my ranking be? Probably, well, what the heck? Let's find out. Let's go back to Ranked. Let's rank it right now. Although this is going to be a very rough one because again, I haven't played it for years. But let's just um, let's see. I'm going to go around the 8.4s, coming in to the 8.4s. I, mean, I got a feeling. All right, do I like it more than CV? Yes, Vinios. Oh, right off the bat, wow, you're hitting me. Do I like it more than Vinios? Wow. Do I like it more than Paperback? No. Okay, I just found it. Um, that was totally up. Sometimes I have to do this process for like three or four or five minutes, going up and down and thinking and rethinking. This one, I just stumbled across it. I do like Automania better than CV. I do not like it as much as Vinos. So that means I would give Automania an 8.367 so that it would slip between these two games, which I am... Oops, I'm not showing folks. Yeah, I just I scrolled down here and um, yeah, so... It's better than this, not as good as that. It would be an 8.367. That's where it would stand. Um, oh, now I'm curious. Where is Kanban? Kanban. Kanban. Control find. Kanban. Eight po- yeah, see Kanban in 8.62. Um, right. Is Kanban my highest ranked Vital? I know Jen's favorite is Gallerist. Anyway, I'm going way down the weeds there. That's beyond the purview of your question. Hopefully that answered. Um, anyway, though. 
Hey, Jack. Jack wants to talk about hegemony. Uh, at the time he wrote this, the Kickstarter... I think the Kickstarter's over now. But at the time Jack wrote this, the Kickstarter is doing great! And they've been able to unlock the automas for the working capitalists and middle classes. Which, if you didn't watch my run-through, that was my one complaint. That they didn't have those, and they were hoping to get them with stretch goals. Because it's going to be a lot of work to develop those. Alrighty, I... Well, Jack, I should have just read Jack said this. Jack, I admitted not being able to play as the middle class in the state. It seems I'll now be able to. If you don't get an updated copy from the publisher, will you track this one down yourself to try to get the parts of the game you have and experience that? Well, first of all, the exp- my prototype is gone. It's in the mail. It's already moved on to the next publisher. So I would have to buy the full copy of the game. Here, I, and I would love to. I will not do it, but this would be a game that would strongly tempt me to do it. Here's the problem. If I go buy this game myself, there's a special place on my shelves right over there, which are where I have games, mostly expansions, that I have bought. Bought on Kickstarter or whatever, uh, because I just had to have them, and I knew the publisher wasn't going to send them to me. And so, I was like, I don't know... There's like a dozen or so over there. Here's the deal. I will never play any of those games. Because spending any time on any of those games means I am not playing any of the 80 or so games that publishers have sent me that are waiting to be filmed. And I put that priority first. If I ever make it through all 80 of those, those are the games I go to. Plus Nations, as somebody mentioned earlier. So that's the problem. I I, I used to buy more games. And then they would go and gather dust because I'll never get a chance to play them. The only way it happens is if um, high there are, I have high level Patreon backers. I mean, like really high level. And what they get to do is they get to say, "Hey, you know what? A few times a year, you're going to play this game. This is the game you're going to play." I'm like, okay. So occasionally, I mean, like uh, one of them did that with Agricola because they really wanted Jen to be able to play some Agricola. So we played that a few months ago. Um, so occasionally that'll happen. Or if Hegemony ends up. Here's, oh, here's the other way it happens. If you go to request.rotto.com, anybody can add any game they want there. If it's a game I think Jen and I might like, I'll leave it. If it's not, I'll remove it. And I'll write people a message, hey, here's why I took this off the list. If a Gemini is on that list, and it gets enough thumbs, uh, so it climbs to the top, I, mean, I don't have to... I can, I, uh, if it climbs to the top of that list because it gets enough thumbs, I will film it. Because that is the way the audience can directly control what appears on the channel. Uh, a game needs to be probably get around sixty or seventy thumbs to make it up to the top. So um, you know if, if um, um, so that would be the way it would happen. Now, if that were to happen at that point, I would go out and buy a copy of Hegemony, and it would go to the front of my queue. It would skip all the review copies of games because the audience said. So the only way stuff that publishers uh, publishers won't send to me, the only way those get covered is if the audience steps up and said, okay. We're going to make you do this. And you can do it through the request list, or you can do it if you're a really high-level backer on Patreon. So, um, I don't know. Still, uh, this is one of the games that I would hope that the publisher will send, because um, I would love to try it. I mean, and, and you better believe, when it shows up, I would definitely fire it up again and do uh, probably a solo run-through playing as the state or something like that. Okay. Then Jack has Fabiaba, Fabia, Fabio Lapiano questions. Fabio, Fabio Lapiano, a really hot up-and-coming uh, designer. Uh, right. I said in my final thoughts for Zapotec, it's probably my favorite Lapiano game, yet I rank Merv higher. What gives? Oh, this is the danger of having ranked.rotto.com, is that people can call me on it. Um, okay, I'm, I'm, now I'm curious. I'm going to go look. Well, how did I rank these? Uh, hopefully they're close. All right, let's, uh, let's bring this back. And all right, so Merv. Merv is... Actually, let's not do this one. Let's go to games.rotto.com. 
because it's, it's another version of the same list, but you can actually see things numbered. Merv is ranked as my number 57 highest-ranked game of all time. Zapotec is... Zapotec is number 113. Do I stand by that? I really like Zapotec a lot. But here's the deal. I mean, I talked about this a bit already. When I go to ranking... I you know I, I kind of get a feeling. I mean, I figured Zapotec's somewhere in the 8.5s. This is a brilliant little game. And I just started looking, and I ultimately decided, you know what? I think Voyages of Marco Polo is better than Zapotec, but Zapotec is better than Bitoku or Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. And this is where it came. I went through that same process, whatever it was, a year ago with Merv, right? And when I did Merv, uh, Merv climbed its way up until it had Isle of Cats. And I said, nope, Isle of Cats is better. But uh, Merv is better than Cosmic Colony. So that's where it landed. See, now this does happen sometimes. Does that mean everything between 113 and whatever Merv was, 57, is suspect? Maybe. There is no science to this at all. I've just given you the full tour of how I go through this process, of how I rank. What I really need to do is someday sit down with all... You know, throw all my rankings away with all... However many there are here. I've got... I mean, I've got... Jeez Louise. Oh, this is all my run-throughs. I've got... 400 and and even 400 games ranked right now. I need to unrank all of them and go through this whole process again using one of those websites that just does a bunch of A-B comparisons. I've actually tried to do that a couple of times, but after an hour with no end in sight, I gave up. There are going to be discrepancies like that. Honestly, when I said that, though, I bet you anything, if you had been in the room at that moment, Jack, when, when I said, oh, I think it's my favorite Lapiano game, I was really thinking of Agusa when I said that. And if you'd said, hey, 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 what about Merv? I, I might have stopped on the spot and said, oh, you know what? You're right. I think I might still give it to Merv. And I think I might. I mean, here's the deal. If, if you were to ask me, hey, do I want to play Merv or do I want to play Zapotec right now? Zapotec. Uh, 10 times a day. I do think Merv is maybe the better game. But I think I have more fun playing Zapotec because of its extreme speed. Whereas Merv is the richer game. Uh, you know, Zapotec's like an appetizer. Merv is the full meal. So you rank them differently. If I could only own one. No, I'm, I'm just comparing my head now. If, if, you, if you put a gun to my head and made me get rid of one, I would probably lose Zapotec and hold on to Merv. I do think Merv is better. Even though... I would rather play Zapotec because I can get two games in the same time it would take me to play one Merv. So it's just tricky. It's all, it's all very touchy-feely. Uh, how do I explain myself? I plead the fifth. Um, it's, 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 you know, it's, a, it's all a bunch of wet work going on in my, uh, in my cranium there. And it's not always consistent. But uh, thanks for catching me. Uh, Ragusa is one of my favorite... Oh, there we go. Ragusa, talking about Lapiano. is one of my favorite games, or one of Jack's favorite games, giving the surprise level of interaction for a non-conflict Euro and, a, and an unbelievably short playing time for how crunchy it is. I agree. I mean, yeah. Lapiano, he is the one to watch. And, and Ragusa... And I've, I've got Kalimala now. Kalimala is another game I went and bought myself because I wanted to try it so much. And it sits now unplayed because the publisher didn't send it to me. So I'm not going to play it until it gets enough thumbs on the request list. And then I'm jumping all over it. But anyway... Oh, I didn't get it in the first place because officially it was a three-player game, but he has since released two-player rules. So I'm very excited. Interesting, though. In my Merv final thoughts, I mentioned, uh, uh, not Kalimala, Ragusa, and ha uh, has great non-aggressive interaction between players, but I don't comment on its playing time. For Zapotec, it's the reverse. I mentioned the short time, not interactive. Can I compare these three games in, in the metrics of interaction and time? Well, okay, yes. 
Uh, Merv is the longest. Zapotec is the shortest. And Kalimala is somewhere in between. Kalimala is a brilliant little game. Uh, um, I would say Kalimala is the most cutthroat of them, if that's what you're looking at. Because you can, I mean, with its area control stuff, you can make much more... Aggr- it is the game where you do the most aggressive moves. Um, and I would say Merv and, and Zapotec are kind of on the same level there. Both Merv and Zapotec really hammer in on positive interaction between player. In Merv, uh, you know, hey, you've built those buildings, but I can activate them, but you get paid when I activate them, and maybe you didn't even want to activate your own, so it's got all that thing going. Zapotec has a thing. One of the central things we're doing is building pyramids. And um, in a perfect world, you would like to build all three levels of the pyramid. Um, you know, because there, there's like a base and a middle and a top. Uh, so you can get the most points out of it. But it is the game is so short, it's very hard to do that. Um, but the pyramid won't pay out as well if it's not built in its entirety. And you might be in a situation where, oh my, I'm not going to get, I'm not, I'm going to lose everything because I didn't get the pyramid finished. And you're, and please just come help me finish my pyramid. That is a part of Zapotec. And again, I look at that as like a positive interplay between players, that they have mutual goals, even in a two player zero sum game. So I would put them both kind of in the same ballpark as that. If anything, I think I, I'm more inclined to try to follow... No, I'm going to put them roughly the same there, on that metric. Hopefully that answers your question, Jack. Good questions. And everybody, Fabio Lapiano, watch this space. He is one to watch. Okay, Matilda wonders, how do I choose the music... Uh, at the beginning and ends of my episodes. Have I ever thought about composing my own generic or asking one of my listeners to do it for me? Um, Actually, one listener years ago did make one, and it was very nice. But at the time, I didn't do music at all, so I had no use for it. How'd it go? It went, do, 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 do. Dumpa 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 do 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 ba dumpa dumpa you know some it was like it was very high tempo, very upbeat. He talked about how it was really trying to um uh, capture the uh, the manic energy. If anybody wants to hear it, mention it in an R and R show, and I'll find it. And we'll play it on the R and R show. Uh, it was very nice. I even thought about using it uh, for R and R music instead of the Jacob Kohler piano music. But it's a very short clip, and if anything, I think it's maybe too high energy, and it doesn't really loop very well. It has a very strong. So I would have had to. I, and I didn't at the time. I didn't want to waste his time. He's a composer. I'm not going to pay him to do it. And that's what you're asking. Should I pay somebody to do it? I am sure. Um, there are plenty of folks who would offer to do it for free. And I probably should do it. Especially because I now have ads on the podcast, which I never had before. Uh, it didn't really matter when I didn't have ads. But, I mean, what do I do? Basically, what was it? Two years ago, I was watching on YouTube a Seth Meyers uh, skit, and he would made a reference to Rockford Files, and they played the Rockford Files theme. And I was just instantly completely unexpectedly transported back with the biggest wave of nostalgia to my childhood watching the Rockford Files with my dad in the 70s. And uh, and I just, for a whim, I put it as the music in my next one. Because up until then, the music I was doing on the podcast was literally... I went on YouTube and did a search for um, you know free music or elevator music. And I was just pl- playing elevator music. And I thought, oh, let's do this. And that was so cool. Oh, let's do the A-Team. Let's do Battlestar Galactica, the 70s series. And it was just so much fun because I love doing it every month because I get to go, well, what am I going to do this? What TV show haven't I done yet? What's another childhood favorite? And what nostalgia dopamine rush will I get? And so that's why I've just been doing it. And I really, really like it a lot. And I shouldn't be doing it, but I keep doing it. I don't know. You're probably right. I sh- I, but I, it's just so much fun getting to hear Taxi or, or whatever it is. All right. 
Uh, and but oh, it is getting tougher. I have to admit. I mean, I'm I'm starting to run out. It's getting tougher and tougher. Also, I always try to pick a show that has something to do with something that was talked about in the camp in, in the episode. And not, it's a it's a loose combination. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it is time to grow up and actually get a proper bit of official Rado music. Maybe that's no fun though. Anyway though, have I ever heard of survivor bias? And then there's a Wikipedia link. Do I have a mind? Do I have a mind a particular game which? Haven't successful, which hasn't met success, deserves to, could apply this method to make it more successful. I don't know what Survivor Virus is. I will go look it up. Let's take a looky-loo at the Wikipedia entry for survival. Survivor Bias. Oh, and it's also time I, I back Wikipedia every year. I throw like 20 bucks at it, so I, I, will, I, I will have to do that. Haven't done that yet this year. Alrighty, it's a logical error of concentrating on the people or things that make it past some selection process and overlooking those that did not, typically because of their lack of visibility. This can lead to some false conclusions in several ways. It's a form of selection bias, survivor bias. Alright, okay, for example, if three of five students with the best college grades went to the same high school, that could lead one to believe that that high school must offer an excellent education, when in fact... It may be a much larger school, so it just had a higher uh, likelihood of, of producing. You know, it produced a higher percentage of the top students, and it had nothing to do with the quality of the school. All right, okay, so I understand what survivor bias is now. So coming back to your question, do I have in mind a particular game that hasn't met success it deserves to which one could apply this method to make it successful? Oh my gosh, what would that be? So okay, a game that failed but shouldn't have. And then somehow trying to identify... But look, it was the only one that did this! Matilda, I'm sorry. I'm too tired. That is a tough question. That is a worthy question. I, I would need some help doing that. I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I feel bad. Um, but you have other questions. Maybe I'll do better on your next question. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, right back. Help me out. You'll get, give, give me a... Uh, give me the first few steps. Give me an example of how we could do that. And then maybe... Because I, I, I'm, I'm too tired. My brain can't handle this. All right. Um, my partner and I, Matilda continues, have much enjoyed the My City campaign, uh, the legacy campaign from Reiner Knietzsche. We've gone through three of the eight episodes of Welcome to the Moon. And we're also very enthusiastic about that. But that's made Matilda daydream about a game that would be a campaign or legacy version of Castle of Burgundy. You and me both, Matilda. Base game is perfect, as it is, but would be curious if such a game um, if ever published. What about you? Oh, of course, yes. Uh, ever since I played my first legacy game, I've been saying, where's my legacy Agricola? Where's my legacy Nations? Where's my legacy Burgundy? I want legacy versions of or, or campaign versions. And, you know, and then it, it went up to... I mean, legacy games are hard to make, so I don't blame publishers for not wanting to do it. Um, so... But then, when Alexander Pfister started working narrative campaigns into all his big heavy euros, like, every publisher in the industry, please hire Alexander Pfister to put into your game, your big heavy euro, a cool, um, uh, you know, narrative campaign, like what he did for uh, Maracaibo, or Cloud Age, or, or Blackout. Hire him to do these things! Or if you don't... Look at what he did and emulate it, because it's awesome and I love it so much. And yeah, Burgundy, that would be amazing. Oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. With, um, you know, I, I build the thing, and then when we go to the next game, okay, one of the tiles gets stayed, and, you know, and that becomes permanent. One of the tiles I did, maybe randomly, maybe I choose, and so the, the world permanently changes over time. That would be amazing. All right. 
Uh, Matilda says a few months ago she bought Red Cathedral uh, because they already loved Channel Tunnel by the same designers, and I said it was fantastic. I hope you agreed. Zero regrets, says Matilda. She loves it. I have a feeling the game could have been designed 10 or 15 years ago, uh, which doesn't lessen the quality or enjoyment of it. Do I have the same feeling? Or, if so, do I know... I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's such a simple, pure, elegant little game. It certainly looks like it came out 15 years ago, because it's not the greatest looker ever. Uh, I wonder how much of it is the look that makes you feel that way, because it does look dated in its graphical design. It's not very sharp and snazzy and new. But yeah, I would agree. The the the, the I mean, I could have imagined Kenichiya designing that game 15 years ago. Maybe... There is a fair amount of special player power stuff, though, isn't there? Maybe without that. I mean, that's a much more modern thing you did not see 15 years ago. Uh, but yeah, beautiful, brilliant little game. Yep, I, I could have totally imagined that game having come out in 2005. Um, right. Matt says, I was wondering which medium is currently the best way to support the Rado channel? Or, or any content creator. Uh, you know, Matt has a YouTube premium account, a Patreon Rambloil. Thank you, Matt. And um, also the monthly Twitch subscription. Obviously, the answer will be all of them. But how would I rank them? Well, okay. If you, if, if, if your goal is completely just to try and help me pay my bills, um, you know, and and uh, you know, and and make gens in my life better because of what we do. Uh, it probably Patreon because Patreon, if I recall correctly, takes five percent, five percent fee of your of what you back me of your Rambler backing goes to Patreon instead of me. Twitch, on the other hand, if you subscribe to my channel on Twitch, Twitch takes half of it. For your four ninety nine for a monthly subscription, I get two forty nine of that. So, um, but still, the ads are so annoying in Twitch. Do it for yourself as much as anything else. I wish I had a way to say, hey, everybody who backs me on Patreon, let me uh, flip a switch so you don't have to watch um, ads anymore. Of course, Twitch doesn't want me to do that because Twitch wants those ad dollars, of which I get nothing. I mean, the, the ad money on Twitch is, is, is ridiculous. Um, yeah. So, I mean, for me... Well, actually, for me, the best thing to do would be to just literally send me money through PayPal. Go to paypal.me slash Rotto. And you can just, I mean, because PayPal, I think, takes 2.9%. It's the lowest thing there is. Of course, no, the cheapest one is contact me directly. I'll give you my bank routing transfer, and you can do a bank transfer directly, and then there are no fees at all. But obviously, that's ridiculous. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I try hardest to try and make Patreon be something that gives people something that's worth their while. You, you get you get three, depending on the level you back at, you get up to three, is it four now, um, exclusive videos, you get early access, you get ad-free access, um, you get voting, you get all this stuff. And now I'm trying to make Twitch more attractive too. As obviously ads are what it's at. Everybody gives emotes, but that seems pointless to me. So I have... Um, started to do something like I'm, I'm letting subscribers use stream avatars. At least I'm experimenting with it today as I'm streaming live now. I uh, don't know if it'll stick around. It needs to be seen if people like it or not. And um, oh, oh, and I, and I am giving people who subscribe on Twitch access to some of those exclusive Patreon videos. Like right now, anybody who subscribes to me on Twitch for the next month has a link available to them that will let them go watch me and Jen play entirely through Zulk in the Mayan calendar the, uh, with, the, with the first expansion. 
The, they added all the, the uh, special tribe powers. I can't remember the name of it right now. Tribes and Prophecies. If you want to watch me and Jen play through the entirety of Tribes and Prophecies, the only way in the world to do that is either back me on Patreon or subscribe to me on Twitch. So I'm doing that as well. Uh, I'm trying to make it worthwhile because I'm sensitive to the fact that um, you know I appreciate any support you'll get, but I want to give you something back. Something more than just ad-free viewing. But to answer your direct question... I mean, it's, it's, hopefully you got YouTube Premium for you. Because you being on YouTube Premium means I made fractions of a penny if you watched a video without YouTube Premium, because you saw ads. Now that you're on YouTube Premiums, I make slightly smaller or slightly larger fractions of a penny from you watching. So hopefully you... I mean, YouTube Premium is the best... What do I, I have the family plan, so I pay 18 bucks a month. So Jen, me, and my mom, none of us have to see ads on YouTube. Best 18 bucks I spend every month. Uh, and I, hopefully you have it for that. Because, but it helps me a little bit. Uh, right, but anyway, yeah. I, I, Patreon, baby, thank you for supporting the show. Oh, but thank you for um, you know supporting on Twitch. Thank you for any way you can, whatever makes the most sense for you. That's the answer. Finally, last one from Stefan. You remember... Uh, Stefan remembers seeing my ranking of Cocopelli at rank.rao.com. was curious um, uh, what my current top 10 of 2021 is at this point, wondering if it would be on there, but noticed the ranking of Cocopelli has disappeared. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Um, the ranking shouldn't have been there at all. Because, as I said earlier in this very episode, I don't rank stuff until I've actually played the final retail edition. But sometimes I do rank them when they're a prototype because I'm trying to figure out, right, where is this going to appear? And I'm trying to figure out the stuff for the end of the month and all of that. But I should take it down. And I didn't. So my ranking was there based on the prototype. When I actually got my final version of the game and I found out how radically they changed the two-player rules, and I think in a way that makes the game worse, and I realized, oh, okay, I really have to take that ranking down because it's probably wrong. I don't probably rank it as high as I used to because I believe they redesigned the two-player game and made it weaker. It is on my list of things to do this month, in the month of December, to sit down and play it with Jen. I got to play it as a four-player game at BoardGameGeekCon, and it was fantastic. It was phenomenal. Easily top ten of the year. Great experience. But I need to play with the new two-player rules, which I think are worse. And I think that might exclude it from the top ten of the year. So I am going to do that, and I am going to rank it. But uh, And I'm hoping to get that done within the next couple of weeks. So that's the answer to your question, Stephen. And that's it, folks. All the game... Well, no, not all the game-related questions. That's just the beginning. Jen's going to be back. There's some questions she could answer um, about games as well. And then we're going to go deep into personal questions. And there are many, 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 many more to come. Because, of course, Jen took the podcast off last month. So we've got basically two months worth of personal questions to go through. So um, stick around. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And uh, welcome to Jen. Hi, honey pie. Hello. Proof of life. Show us a hand. There we go. Just barely. <laughs> um, cup of tea. That's more like... All right, there's that's the definitely cup of... me, right? Yep. All right. So Jen is ready to go. We're going to continue with the gaming-related questions now. Starting with Andre, who says at BoardGameGeekCon, 
Andre overheard some other vendors talking about how they didn't do as well as usual. Understandable, since there were fewer convention goers, probably half or more. Honey Pie, what was your experience? And Andre did not call Jen Honey Pie. I was, uh... That's very familiar of him to do that. Yes, indeed, yeah. Um, actually, I think I was the only person there selling things that weren't actually board games. Yeah. Um, I think there were some, there was, there was... Was there board game tables as well? Maybe doing yes. some accessories? They had a little bit. But, but not but much, yeah. No, like they had little dice trays kind yeah. of thing. Oh, and then, of course, Board Game Geek themselves. Oh, uh, yeah, they were, had a huge store yeah, full they, of amazing stuff. Yep. Loads of stuff. Yep. Okay, so you so weren't totally alone. That's true. I had totally forgotten about that because they were on another aisle. Yeah. Out of sight. Of <laughs> out me. of mind, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually had a really good show. I, I was very pleased and had... I think what I love most about doing the shows is having people tell me they love my work because I'm in isolation so much. You know, I'm up in the studio just kind of doing my thing that occasionally when I get to go out to do a show or a convention or whatever, it's just really nice to actually hear people like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So it's success really even if you don't sell anything, just as long as people say they like you, basically. Um, well, that's certainly a big part of it for me, yeah. Okay. But on top of that, it was a success, right? I mean, believe I believe you said you did really well. Yes, I, I did. Yeah. I was very pleased. Yep, and so and you are putting that to that you didn't have much competition. Yeah, I didn't have any any competition really because it. it well, again, um, the board game geek store they sell accessories, but I mean theirs are functional. I mean yours are yours are functional too, of course. Yeah. But theirs are utilitarian. I mean theirs aren't pretty. Yeah. Really. I mean, and, I mean, you know, and theirs aren't really giftable. And you said that was a big, big part very, of your success. Yep. On the last day, you had a lot of male <laughs> geeks coming up saying, I need something for my wife and my daughter. Um, what do you got? <laughs> yep. That looks nice. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that did happen quite a lot. Um, which is nice. And that's the reason I bring things that are just not meeple related. I bring yeah. just pretty things as well. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, but also, um, on, on the first day or two, I had brought a lot of functional um, like meeple plates and things like that that could be used for cookie dishes and things like that. Um, and almost all of that went in the first day. Yeah. So that was right. nice. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, did you hear from any of the other retail booth people? I mean, for I our didn't. neighbors or anything? I don't, I don't no. think we talked to anybody about it. Well, our neighbors were demoing a game that they hadn't yeah. yet produced. They so, were just trying to... And they were really happy with what they had Really? Oh, they, they said, yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, it was a game I had never heard of, mm-hmm. and they had people sitting at their table pretty much the entire four days. Yep. It was very rare that there wasn't somebody sitting down demoing it. So, yeah, they were getting... They were doing playtesting and trying to build support, so they weren't selling anything, though. No, but they were, what they said that they wanted was feedback, and they got a you know yeah. they got a whole bunch of feedback. Of course, their secret was they had a nonstop supply of Halloween candy <laughs> left over from Halloween. They said that they brought, and it was like <laughs> there were two gigantic bowls. Yes, and uh, so tempting. And all no, it was day, terrible. It was day. like inches away from me the whole <laughs> freaking time. Is where my table was, and I was also within arm reach of an uh, bottomless supply of mini Twixes and Snickers. It mm-hmm. was ridiculous. <laughs> I did very well because I was able to stay away. Yeah, yeah, you were on the other side. Actually, I lost like a pound too. Huh? Yeah, yeah, we, we actually ate really well there. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, lots of amazing barbecue in Texas. Yes. Not surprising. We had different barbecue every night. Yep. Okay, well, uh, Gerald then asks Honey, it looks like you're enjoying the Gen Jogs. What are your thoughts about working on that show? And for folks who don't know, if you back at a certain level on the uh, Patreon for the, you know, if you support the show on patreon.com, 
slash Rado, at a certain level, you get to see a monthly show where Jen and I sit down for about an hour and talk about all the games we played over the preceding four weeks. And Jen ranks them. She gives them star ratings. She gives her top five of the month. Stuff like that. So, Honey Pie, Gerald asks, how are you enjoying the show? It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. That's a smashing success, then. <laughs> you you make it fun for me. Mm-hmm. You're awesome that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's not bad, actually. Um, better to do that than a yearly review or something and try and remember everything I've played over the year. Mm-hmm. Well, you've never had to do a yearly review. No, but something I did have to do a top ten, which was like a four-yearly review. Yes, you, yes, you did that once, My like top a decade ago, <laughs> and you're still smarting about it. Um, yeah, so do you have any other thoughts about working on the show, other than, it's fine. Oh, meaning working on the Gen Jogs, or working yeah, on more on the Gen Jogs, yeah. I think it's going well. I think we've got a nice um, thing down, we've kind of figured it out. I, I think it's going well. Mm-hmm. And it's not too onerous to do, so... Not too onerous. Okay, there you go, Gerald. You can read between the lines there as you like. So long story short, you're saying, yeah, you're only doing this because it's a Patreon reward. I mean, you're not doing it for fun. No. At all. You would rather spend an hour every month doing just about anything else. Is that what you're saying? Well, I like to talk to you, Mm -hmm. and um, it's kind of fun to review them, but... It's a little bit stressful for me because I don't want anybody to feel unloved, any of the games. or. Yeah. Um, and I keep telling her, um, the publishers aren't watching. I mean, she can be just totally open and honest, uh, but she always gets a bit or, uh, nervous about that. Yeah. But I eventually, you know, she, he does I, I, yank I pry out. the truth out of her. <laughs> if she's like being hesitant, honey, just say what you feel. All right. Um, well, continuing on, Shannon says, in an alternate universe... Honey, we've yes. been handed the EverQuest intellectual property to develop a board game. Oh. What overall structure should we base the game around? Uh, it's worth avo- is, it, is it worth avoiding a standard role-playing game dungeon crawl effect? Uh, would you adapt an existing game similar to Wrath of the Lich King, you know, which took World of Warcraft and applied pandemic rules to it? Uh, what, if so, what game would be well-suited? I could have left that out, but I, I mean, Jen has played 50 bajillion more hours of EverQuest than me. <laughs> So Jen is the true expert in this house. What would you say, what are the elements, what's crucial to ever the EverQuest experience that you would have to get into a board game, would you say? Just thinking uh, about all your many, many hours on raids and just hanging around waiting for mobs to spawn and worrying about trains and all of that. Yeah. It's all coming back to you. I, yeah. I, I know all the lingo, mostly through Jen. Um, I think... Thinking back about the EverQuest experience, I think what I liked most about it was being in that guild mm-hmm. and feeling a part of a bigger thing mm-hmm. and hanging out with people that you know I probably would never have met in real life mm-hmm. um, and different personalities and stuff. And also, I think the epic questing feel of some of the events that we did together. Yeah. And knowing my spot and contributing to the group and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so, to me, I don't know if you need... A large group of people because actually I knew all their names and not all of them, but you know, there were all the familiar names to me. Yeah. And I knew what their characters were and yeah. I knew how to, you know, work it in. Hmm. Well, it's interesting. Okay. I'm just so I'm wondering about I mean, the quantity of people. I have to admit, the main things that are that I thought you'd want to work into the game are I mean, you, you don't want to just do a cookie cutter, oh, look, this is just 
Runebound with the EverQuest or, or Gloomhaven with the EverQuest monsters. You could totally do that. That would be fine. Yeah. But, you know, then it's just a generic th- a generic fantasy game. I mean, the things that I was thinking about were the things I was just joking about. You know, the notion of... I mean, it's not particularly epic at all when you actually look at the raw mechanisms of what you're doing. You're going, okay, we're going to go to this room in this dungeon, and we're going to hang out there for five hours and keep killing the same monster over and over again until it drops the Scoobly Bopper Doop, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and that's what we're doing tonight. It's And we're, everybody's going to get a Scoober Dropply Doop out of this thing. Mm. Um, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, that's true. Actually, that's a we big did that. part of the experience. Uh, you know, it's it's more of a farming game than an adventure game when it boils right down to it. And it's just that there's a ton of danger because while that sounds really boring, it's not because you are in enemy territory, and at any given time, some dingus could run through, dragging you know all the the legions of hell uh, because they went too deep and they're running <laughs> to the exit, and they literally create a train of monsters that will just drop. And you'll okay, I'm just gonna run through that room, and hopefully, I'll, a few will drop off. And, and attack the Sylvan Rangers instead of me, and I can make it out alive. Because a big part of that game was if you if you get KO'd, it's painful. I yeah. mean, it's, it, it's it was a much more so than World of Warcraft and Dark Age of Camelot. I mean, EverQuest was brutal to players. Uh, you know, I mean, if you didn't get your body within I forget what it was, twenty four hours, you lose everything forever. And if your body is dead in a place that's just full of dangerous stuff, I mean, constantly every night you play, there's dozens of. Can somebody help me recover my body? I've only got an hour left. I can't get to it. You know, because and people were desperate, and that really gave the game a unique feel. So I was thinking about that kind of stuff. And it's interesting. None of that came to you. Um, you're just well. Well, how can I get that esprit de corps? How can I feel like I'm part of a group? Yeah. And I think that's really interesting that you... Yeah. Well, I mean, I never really got into the guilding very much. No. I mean, I was more of a lone wolf just playing. I mean, I was in the same guild as you. I did a few of those guild things, but I was never really beholden to that. I was more interested in just playing with you and people I knew in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and as a result, because I was not in these dungeons as part of a big organized... Okay, there's 20 of us in here. If somebody goes down, we'll get you out. You know, and that's part of the organization mm-hmm. that grew up. I mean, the g- guilds were... Qu- I mean, to be successful in that game, you need to be in a guild that was organized so that if you die you could get your stuff back. Yeah. Um, and as a lone wolf, uh, the world was terrifying, constantly, nonstop. They're like, ah, what can I possibly do? So it would be, I mean, I would want to, I think we'd try to try to capture all of that stuff. It's a very interesting thing. Mm. Um, you know, really extreme harrowing danger. I would want that to be in the game. And I guess, to your point, I would want there to be a sense of, well, okay, and the way you deal with that danger is don't lone wolf it. I mean, you need to be part of a big group. And now, as a board game, how are you going to do that? How are you exactly. going to... I mean, I think it would be interesting to maybe introduce something along the lines of, okay, you and I are playing this game. Or we're playing a four-player game with Steve and Betsy or whatever, but we are still part of a guild. And that we um, are maybe like trying to maintain a resource that represents all the other members of our guild. That okay, you know, we're in direct control. We're fully functioning characters, but we can kind of deploy our guildmates mm. to the various rooms. Or you know, if, if you think of it that way. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's the other thing too. The the game is huge. It was gigantic. Yes. Multiple continents and stuff like that it takes days to get from one side of the world to the other. Again, you know, I mean, you know, I remember in the early days trying to make those perilous mountain crosses to get to the east side of the continent. I mean, and that, that was amazing. I mean, games just don't do I mean, in World of Warcraft, oh, just hop a ride to a griffin and you can go wherever you want. No, in EverQuest, it was a walk. true harrowing journey <laughs> to get from one side of the world to the other. It was terrifying. Um, and you know, and that's that's the coolest thing about it. So, but I think maybe I would I would uh, ignore 
the overworld stuff. And I would say, okay, let's try to recreate that dungeon experience, but more as a farming simulation. What rooms are we going to be in? Where are we going to deploy the rest of our guild? How are we going to create a, uh, uh, a supply line? To okay, we will eventually get KO'd, and um, you know, maybe or maybe our guild members will get KO'd, and there's events that make us have to take care of them, they can take care of us. I think that'd be really interesting. Hmm. Something that where um, you just have tokens that try to replicate the other 15 people who are all in here working with you, and we're the leads, you know, so we'd be kind of the equivalent of the guild masters giving orders to everybody, but we have a responsibility to them and we also rely on them, and then events like. Crazy trains, because some idiot just went too deep, too fast, and um, you know, and just brought uh, ruin instruction. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, I agree. Can you think of anything else, or have we uh, encapsulated the EverQuest experience? Um, no, I think I think you. I mean, obviously, there would have to be some kind of random seating of whatever sure. prizes and things. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I think that's, you've done a really good job. Yeah, okay. Well done, game designer guy. We should make that game. That sounds actually really awesome. I really kind of, I mean, and that would be unlike any other board game out there. And because EverQuest was really unique and special, too, in that regard. Its brutality is what made it, um, you know, so one of a kind. All right, uh, Top then has a bunch of questions. A ton of questions. They're numbered and alphabetized. Oh, my goodness. And um, only one of them was a game-related one for Jen, so I pulled that one out. <laughs> we'll one be back C. to Top later. Okay. Uh, top uh, thinks that he remembers an old podcast. We once said, or I once said, that if I didn't have Jen, I'd give up board gaming entirely. Uh, but, to my surprise, Jen said if she didn't have me, she would continue playing board games. Top would like to drill down on that. Is that true? Please discuss. Yeah. So this is all for you. Oh, well, yeah, I think I would. I don't really? know. Really? I don't know that I would do it, you know, like weekly or anything, but... Mm -hmm. I, you would try to find a way to play Agricola, or... I, I would find a gaming group. Uh -huh. Yeah. I think because... Wow. I like gaming. Yeah. And also, um, I think it might just be a way to sort of stay connected to you after you died. Okay. Well, it's not, I mean, I didn't necessarily die in this, but yeah, I, probably I did die because uh, it's not like we're going to get a divorce or anything like that. Um, what if I just said, okay, honey pie, what, what if we had the EverQuest oh. thing? We played EverQuest a lot together. I'm the one who bailed yeah. and then Jen stayed in for months after. Well, but that was at a unique time in our lives where you were working super exactly. Yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. And... Oh, exactly. But I'm curious, something similar to that. What if I also said, you know what, honey? I just don't think I like board games anymore. I think I'm just burned out. I'm just not interested. You can keep playing if you want. Here, I'll help you go, you'll go to these game groups if you want, but I'm just done with it. Would you keep going then? No, I don't think so, All because right. I, I do want to spend time with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you don't want to have a, a repeat of the uh, the uh, the Rocky EverQuest years. Because the I mean, you know, I, everything I was just describing is when we were both playing EverQuest together. I got out. Jen stayed in. It, it created some friction. It was like, well, Apparently man, you want created... to come and do stuff with me instead of all these rando strangers online? Apparently it created friction with you. I wasn't aware at the time <laughs> yeah. that mm. you were feeling that at all, yep, yep, yep. actually. so It was weird. Um, but also at the time, you were working crazy hours. Oh, of course. Of you course. were around. And, yeah. I, and I, I made sure that when you were around, I was hanging out with you as far as making dinner and, and we were yeah. watching shows and yeah. stuff together. Um I remember it differently, but I mean that's that's beside the point. There so, were sometimes then we did that I did. There was well, yeah, a because you had your rage. Oh, I've got to yeah. do this rage tonight. I'm like, well, but this is my only night. I'm going to be home. I got to do the rage. I have to do it. I mean, stuff like that happened. And I, because I remember, I, okay, I'm over here on the couch watching a show, and you're in like the. It was kind of like yeah. a big communal room. You had to have your office that was kind of like an offset of the kitchen and the living room, and you're like, okay, she's over there. 
And, you know, she's just playing her EverQuest, doing her uh, Sylvan Ranger thing. Well, but also, you needed time to do your stuff when you weren't at work. Sure, sure, sure. I, 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 that's beside the point. I mean, obviously, everything's fine. But, so, <laughs> if, if, if a circumstance like that where I was done, you would not keep going. Like, you did keep going with EverQuest. You would not say, well, I really want to play some Teotihuacan. I really want to play some Zolkan. I want those gears. I want ever you know, I, I, or, um, or Agricola or, you know, you know, pick any of your favorite games. Would you say, oh, honey, I'm just, I'm just not interested. Would you say, well, okay, you know what? I'm going to go to a convention. I mean, there's plenty of them in uh, Portland. Would you do that? Or would you say, no, I'm done. Cold turkey, quitting. And then we can come back to the sad, oh, I died kind of thing. Oh, I don't want to come back to that. Well, I mean, that's pretty straightforward. So it was interesting, though, that if I died, which would really be the only way it's going to happen, you would keep playing, like I said, in part to for a nostalgia for me kind of thing. Yeah. That's, uh, that's amazing. But anyway, so if it's not that, if it's just the I'm done, you're not. I think I'm probably done, too, because okay. I've only got so much time anyway, and yep. if you're not going to play, then we'll find something else to do together. Okie doke. Well, there you go. Top. And uh, there you go, folks. That was it for the remainder of the game or Rotto runs through, you know, adjacent type questions. Uh, and now, if you'd like, you can stick around because we're going to get to some personal stuff. A whole bunch of per- two months worth of personal <laughs> stuff because Jen took a month off last week, right after, or last month, right after this. Okie doke, folks. We are back. Uh, it is time for the personal questions. And, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of them. So, so many. But as always, folks, we're going to try and get through all of this today. And uh, please send more questions to questionsatraw.com because, as always, the train must keep moving forward. But for now, let's get going with Brendan, who says, After hearing uh, me talk about the wonderful stuff that is Ted Lasso... Mm. Brendan wonders, uh, what are some other uplifting and wonderful shows? Uh, Brendan offers two. We Are Champions, a docuseries about weird sporting events. And uh, this show that goes wrong, which is a series of short plays based on the play that goes wrong. It is hilarious. Oh, I've heard, cool. I've heard about that. I, I want to watch the show that goes wrong. I suspect Jen won't like it because Jen is, is really sensitive to embarrassment-based humor. People screwing up, and that's supposed to be funny, and it just makes Jen cringe, and she can't enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's actually why, at first, I did not watch Ted Lasso with her. I watched the entire season of Ted Lasso thinking Jen just would not care for it, because uh, you know it is all about a bunch of people making mistakes. And trying. And then eventually, okay, it was so good, I started watching it a second time with my mom. And my mom said, why isn't Jen watching this? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure she won't enjoy it, because it's about sports, and it's about a... a Bumbling doofus who, you know, and, and, and Jen's not going to like any of this. But we did start watching with her, and obviously, I was just, I, I like did, you, did you enjoy yes, Ted Lasso? Yes, totally like it. Um, but it is about people making mistakes and doing goofy, wrong-headed things. And, um, you know, a lot of the humor does come from embarrassment. So, uh, it's, and, and it's failure. How do you feel a, about that? It's done in a kind way. Mm-hmm. In a learning way, in a forgiving way. I think it's completely It's not mean-spirited. Different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. not... Look at this idiot who's just done something stupid. Let's laugh at him. Yeah, it's not Homer Simpson stuff. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. That's that is probably what makes it. That is probably why the show resonates so much. Um, so uh, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely check out both of those, Brandon. As for ones that we could think of, the most obvious one to me is um, well, it's from the you know, it's from the same people who are ultimately respond. Or no, is Ted? Did no? Okay, Ted Lasso is a different production group, but um, Parks and Rec is fantastic. 
and uh, and so is The Good Place. Those are both mm. phenomenal shows. If you have not watched them and you like Ted Lasso, you must watch those shows. I'm uh, going to go with The West Wing. The West Wing, okay. And uh, what was the broadcast one? The TV uh, one? The Newsroom. The Newsroom. Okay. Yep, those ones. I think those are uplifting and wonderful and paint a picture of something as it could be. Okay. Those are some excellent suggestions. Okay. Caleb then wonders, have we had a chance to watch Get Back yet? Caleb's heard uh, an earlier podcast how I'm a Beatles fan and thought we should talk a little about it. Yes, we did. Well, some of us did. <laughs> well, some of us watched some of it. Um, and some of us watched all of it. Yep, I, I finished it a couple nights ago. I was mesmerized the entire time. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, even though it's rid it's ridiculously long, it is certainly Peter Jackson being very indulgent. Um, you know, I mean, I know he had 60 hours and he took it down to nine hours. I mean, he could have told the same story if he'd taken it down to three hours, if he wanted to. And this, I probably would have loved that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was talking with Ruel about this, and I likened it. This is not Heavenly Creatures, uh, Fellowship of the Rings, um, the theatrical <laughs> cut of Peter Jackson. This is... Hobbit Trilogy Extended Edition Peter Jackson, who just doesn't throw anything away. And it just goes on and on and on. Now, I loved every second of it. I thought it was phenomenal. I totally understand why some people, Jen included, think it's just a snore, snooze fest, boring, bloated thing. But um, I, you know, as a former creative myself, I love watching how the sausage gets made. So many amazing moments. The best moments of that series are when, you know, Two of them. Pick any two at some point or other in those nine hours. Two of the Beatles will get together and start collaborating on something. When um, George started helping Ringo with uh, Octopus's Garden, just out of the blue, while they were because they were just hanging around waiting for um, you know John to show up because he was late like always or whatever. I, it was amazing. I mean, I I, I was just had no idea just to watch the uh, you know the, the back and forth between them and see you know I mean Ringo had just a little kernel and then George added some stuff and I and I can see how that in, infected you know or you know in, uh, you know grew uh, what ultimately the song became and um, you know those are my favorite moments and they're just sprinkled throughout and in between those of course there are long long sequences of we got nothing we're just literally hours and hours of the Beatles sitting around mu musically twiddling their thumbs. Either because they're waiting for tech stuff to get set up, or they're trying to figure out tempo issues or whatever, and, oh, John just starts playing some old blues thing, and then next thing you know, they're just in impromptu jamming. I enjoyed all that stuff. Jen didn't care for any of it. No, I, I enjoyed some of the, the few moments where things came together. Mm -hmm. But... There was so much just we'll see, noise. Yes. The thing is, I think those moments where things came together are much more powerful and impactful because we lived, we kind of, in a, in a, in a truncated way, lived through all those long stretches. Yeah. You know, th those uh, creative deserts. Uh, you know, and I, I mentioned this to Rel when we were talking about it on the R&R show. Uh, I felt more like I was in the room... Watching the creative process directly, rather than watching a documentary about the creative process. And I think if um, you know other editors had had their way and stripped all of that faff out, it would just feel like oh, it's you know one, it'll, well, it'll be ninety minutes at the most, and it'll just feel like oh, look, here's a few key hits, and you won't have lived it. Yeah. You'll have seen a story about it. And I feel like I've lived the creation of that album. Um, you know, and everything that went on in the weeks leading up to you know their last live performance. So I, I loved every second of it. 
Um, I can appreciate why somebody who doesn't have the same, who doesn't, you know, another thing for you that was a real problem, you don't know the Beatles catalog. I mean, you know the big hits. Well, I know. You know, I, Here Comes the Sun. I know but, quite a bit of what they were singing. So Yeah, they but were, there were several songs that you're... you're um, you're, yeah. that you did not know at all. And I mean, to me, it was fascinating. I mean, every song, um, you know, that they would just drill down on and, and you know, they were, see, over and over and over again. Um, you know, uh, oh gosh, now I can't think of them. But I mean, uh, songs I've never really given much of a thought about. I, I know them backwards and forwards, but hearing them wrong. And then, oh, oh and there's another version. It's wrong. And like, you've got all the pieces. You just got them in the wrong order. <laughs> it's 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 a, why is it not obvious to you? Because the song is perfect the way it is. Why haven't you found it yet? And watching them literally discover the song through iteration, I understand if you don't care about the song, if you don't know the song, if you can't sing the entire song verbatim, it's maybe not that okay, it's just how many times are they gonna sing this and make little five percent changes over and over again? But for me it was fascinating to watch these songs I know so well evolve. Um so yeah, I loved it. Jen made it. Jen made it to the first hour of the first episode and then bailed. No, I watched the first day. No, you bailed. And then next night, I continued watching oh, and right. I said, oh, honey, man, if you'd only stuck around for five more minutes, it got really good. And yeah. so you finished the first episode yep. and then you made it through about half of the second episode and you bailed again. And this time you said, I'm not coming back. Yeah. I mean, that second day was just... I. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I wish I could have been there for the interesting parts. Because I do, I really respect the fact that they showed how hard it is. I mean, it's that, it's like that Jerry Seinfeld show that we saw when he was coming back into comedy. And he had to go to the clubs oh, right, and yeah. bust. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody has to work out their stuff. It, we all see the sausage in the end. but. Yeah. And as an artist, that's the same with me. I, I can't just sit down at the torch and just, you know, beautiful things pop out. You've got to put the time and the effort in and make a bunch of crap, too. Mm-hmm. So I, I do appreciate it. And that's what I thought I would really love about the whole documentary. It was just too much. Yep, 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 yep. For my yep. Like I said, I, I, I don't think there's no choice about it. I mean, I, I don't know who Peter... I mean, Peter Jackson was not making a documentary for regular people. He was making a documentary for insane, stupidly crazy, hardcore Beatles fans. The Beatles fans who, for decades, have you know gobbled up every rare bootleg behind-the-scenes uh, recording session album they could find, and have you know ripped them apart piece by piece. And oh, what is this? And what did what did George mean when he said that? Was he referring to a thing from two years ago? And all of this stuff. Mm. Peter Jackson made a a uh, nine-hour documentary for those people. Jen is not one of those. I'm not one of those people either, but I'm a lot closer to that than I am to just a casual Beatles fan, which is what I'd say you are. So, yeah, it's it's odd. I am, uh, It's weird. I mean, I saw him doing an interview talking about how, you know, well, my first cut was 18 hours, and I thought it was impossible to cut it down anymore. I just didn't know what to do. <laughs> and um, But, you know, piece by piece, we got it down to nine hours, and, like, it would be an insult to history if I removed anything else. I think Jen would disagree, <laughs> Peter. She would point out a couple more things you probably... Uh, one more time of, of of John Lennon doing funny voice versions of, of classic songs with overextended accents. Okay, we, we got it the first three times he did it. You didn't need to show us seven more times of him doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, or Paul McCartney squeaking out really loud. Yeah! That weird voice he does that is not his really singing. He's just like... Well, no, I mean, that, that, I mean, that, that is... Uh, that's, that's a part of I Got a Feeling. Um, and it's just, you're, again, you probably don't know that song. Um, but anyway, so Caleb, uh, 
mixed bag in <laughs> the Arado household. Okay, moving on to Darren. Darren says, sorry to bring this up. In the no-gen scenario I talked about last uh. month, I said I probably wouldn't play games anymore. But what would I do with all those games? Uh, would I keep them for memories? Would I get rid of them? I'm sure uh, some of them have sentimental value. I'd probably keep a few sentimentals. In fact, actually, I recently did, in the weekly R&R show with Ruel, a uh, uh, top games I would never get rid of. And most of those games that I mentioned were for sentimental value. And so you could see that to get an idea. But the rest, yeah, they'd all go. Every single game that's surrounding me on these shelves that uh, the Dice Tower West convention would take, I would just put in a gigantic FedEx uh, freight box and send it down to there so they'd be part of the library and people would continue to enjoy them. I'd probably hand, I'd, you know, I'd keep our original copy of Pandemic, you know, a few things like that. But, uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, continuing on. Uh, did you show Jen that part of the video so to see what you said about her? Um, Jen, if you haven't seen him, get it to play that part of the video. So, uh, I knew this question was coming, so in between finishing the game section and the personal section, I just played it for Jen because she hadn't seen it, because Jen doesn't watch anything I do. You don't. You just don't. She's like, oh, how could you say that? It's because it's true. Well, you put in a lot of content. <laughs> I'd, I'd have to have a full-time job watching all your stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, Darren didn't ask anything. He just said, make sure Jen sees that. But, hey, you have any thoughts, Honey Pie? Oh, Does that make you want to, uh, you know, like, revisit your, you know, because you, th th that was the 1A and 1B. And then we just asked the 1C question of you earlier. Uh, I don't know what you think. If you have any thoughts. It was delightful and uh -huh. wonderful. And I just... Um, it's nice to hear. I mean, oh, okay. that's so awesome, and I love you too. And... <laughs> okay. All right. Well, then we can move on. Uh, since D Darren didn't ask any specific questions, Darren, uh, we made good, and uh, and Jen said, give me a kiss afterwards, because she was so happy. Okay. Which I, I had not intended to play that for her at all. Okay. Uh, Gerald wonders, have we watched Dark Waters on Netflix, starring Mark the Hulk Ruffalo? It's a true story that starts out that only impacts one community, but in the end, you find this profitable poison in the blood of almost every single human on the planet. And billions of dollars uh, is more powerful than a mountain of evidence. It's a great movie. Uh, it's unfortunate. It's reality. However, watching it might reduce your future health care bill. Uh, I think I'm familiar with it. But I don't think I've watched it. I'm not quite sure why. You certainly, uh, have, you know, intrigued me. In fact, I'm just going to go. What is Dark Waters about? Uh, IMDb Dark Waters. Do do do. Directed by Todd Hayes with Anne Hathaway. Uh, a corporate defense attorney takes on an environmental lawsuit against a chemical company that expo exposes a lengthy history of pollution. Uh, you want to watch that, Honey Pie? Directed by Todd Hayes, who has also directed. Do do do. Todd Hayes is known for uh, a bunch of stuff I'm not familiar with. Uh, a bunch of documentaries and whatnot. Hmm. Okay. Um, anyway, though, Honey Pie, you want to watch that? Or am I going to be watching that? Gerald, I, I, I take it on board. It's going in the queue. Um, but I don't think you want to watch that, do you? It's, I'm sure it's a, it's a dramatic retelling of uh, this guy who uncovered something that poisonous is, is, poisons us to this day, probably. Because mm. it's in the dark water. I don't know. I would let you decide. <laughs> he does all of the decisioning on stuff we watch. Jen is pretty much to the point where she does not want to watch any movie at all unless it's 
90 minutes of just nonstop happiness, quite frankly. I mean, you know, it's, it's getting harder and harder and harder to find movies that Jen actually enjoys. Mm. Uh, it's, it's very, she has to be in a really, really rare mood to want to watch a drama. She'll happily watch dr dramatic TV shows, left, right, and center, but a movie, I don't know why. I mean, you have just over the years had less and less and less and less and less patience for movies. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's, I, we, at this point, I, we maybe watched a dozen movies over the last year and you've liked maybe two of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I can't say why we used to watch movies obsessively and I don't think movies have changed. I think we've changed. I think TV has changed and it certainly changed our expectations as an audience. Uh, as I mean, and I, I think, you know, long form storytelling on TV is, is almost objectively superior because it gives the artists uh, so much more that they can do. It gives the audience breathing room. Uh, it lets it, it lets you dig deeper into subjects, a la a novel, rather than everything being truncated down to ninety minutes like a movie. While at the same time giving the audience the opportunity to you know consume it at their own leisure. Again, long form TV is more like reading a book. Um, you know, you can you can binge it all. You can you know let it slowly, or as opposed to movies, which are. Not like a book, and they never have been. And uh, I don't know if, if maybe you just have less patience for movies now because you enjoy TV shows so much more now. Hmm. Could know. be. Yep. I think also movies these days are so much into the shock and awe. So many of them mm -hmm. are. And I don't know. I guess I just maybe. And it could be, you know, too, with all the world events and things going on. I just don't need drama in my life right this moment. But we watch lots of dramatic TV shows. I don't know. It, right. it, there's no real answer. I, so I'll probably watch it, Gerald. Jen probably won't. Uh, and well, it's a mystery that will. It and you'll see if it's good that I'd like it. Then no, I mean, I, I'm I would get I would not. Try, I mean, it's it's going to be a dark, um, you know, at times depressing, at times triumphant movie. And I'm sure you'll go through all kinds of hardships, and and you'll say, why am I watching this? This is going to make me sad. I would imagine that's that seems all but guaranteed. Um, but I mean, once upon a time, you. We literally rode a bicycle to the theater to watch Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. You were a very different person in terms of movie going once upon a time. Yeah, but I think Silence of the Lambs actually was one of those things that changed my mind about what I want to view. Because mm. wow. that was pretty creepy. Mm -hmm. It was. Alrighty, uh, Griffin wonders, what is our favorite holiday food? Uh, food eaten for any holiday, not just Christmas and Thanksgiving. And what's our least favorite holiday food? Mm. Well, I like pie. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. So I think that's so holiday pies. Well, just what about yeah. mince pies? Nah, don't care. I like them. I have to admit. I mean, I really developed a taste for them. I was, I mean, at, at work at Lionhead and Splash Damage, we were always they were just drowning in mince pies nonstop. Yeah. I mean, they're basically just raisin pies. They're excellent. Yeah, I'm not saying it's. They're fine. They're just not my favorite. Mm -hmm. So, what is your favorite? Which uh, was the question? Yeah. Um. Well, let's see. I guess. Yeah, yeah, pie. I didn't used to like pumpkin pie, but I do now. Mm -hmm. um, I always have loved apple pie, of course. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, I do. I do enjoy ham. Okay, ham pie, yum. Well, you know, just I'm transitioning to. Uh, yeah. Um, when I was a kid, Nancy used to always make Chex Mix. Oh yeah. You know, with the Worcestershire sauce and stuff in it, and we'd have our own kind of special brand that we did with all, you know the, the the fixins that we like to put in there. Yeah. So I would say that would be one of my favorite holiday foods. I, I used to make that when we got yes, married, mm -hmm. but when we kind of decided to go low carb in our yeah. late twenties, I don't think I've made it since then. Um, 
Yeah, holiday food. Yeah. What holiday food is there besides Thanksgiving? And I mean, what other holidays have food associated with them? I guess Easter has chocolate. I guess, yeah. Like Easter chocolate. Eggs and stuff, yeah. Uh, although Jen good. doesn't because there's always going to be, everywhere you go, it's just going to be nothing but milk chocolate, which yeah. Jen abhors. <laughs> it's just a waste of the bean. You're throwing those beans away. <laughs> She used her to say. Well, that means I can I get the dark chocolate and he gets the yeah. milk chocolate. Mm -hmm. So that's fine. Um I mean Yeah. Halloween does I mean Halloween just has lots of candy. Uh Fourth of July, I mean I guess barbecue. Yeah, I mean, barbecue. But I don't I mean, that's not and quite apple the same. pie, as American as apple pie. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean that doesn't feel I mean I don't know, I, I I'm sure there are plenty in other countries, but in America, I mean those are the two big food themed holidays, right? What am I what am I not thinking of? And for those yeah, I also like ham. I also like turkey. Um, yeah, we got a really good... Um, so your mom had suggested last year that we go to Popeye's and get a Cajun... Pre-cooked Cajun turkey mm -hmm. for Thanksgiving last year. And I was like, okay. And we had it and it was delicious. Yep. Oh my gosh, it was so good. And we went back right after Thanksgiving last year to try to get another one and they'd sold out. So this year I bought two turkeys. Two turkeys. Yeah. So we had one um, for Thanksgiving and I think I'll have another one around Easter time. No? Okay. Yep. And it makes really good soup, too. Very flavorful. Well, there you go. Those are some... Oh, least favorite holiday food. Mince pies? Hmm. Uh, oh, I mean, pretty much half of the table I always hated at Thanksgiving. Yams. Who, like... who the frick likes yams? I like yams. And uh, what, what's that jelly that comes out purple? Like you just pour it out of the can? It's cranberry, cranberry sauce. Cranberry sauce. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Yeah, table. yams and cranberry sauce. Oh, don't Ugh. forget the green bean casserole. And oh, green bean casseroles. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah, actually for Thanksgiving this year, I did the turkey and we had potatoes. Yeah, that was, was the like, best Thanksgiving we ever. We had a very beige Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then also I'd gotten, we'd gotten that pumpkin um, ice cream pumpkin pie from Oh Cold gosh, Stone. yes. Cold Stone Cream where you had a pumpkin pie ice cream pie that was maybe my favorite holiday food of all time. There now. you go. That's that was it. amazing. And that was good, but so our, our Thanksgiving was very beige. Yeah. Very... Yep. So, I mean, uh, you were joking about stuff that I don't like. What holiday food do you not like? Um, yeah, I'm not huge into cranberry either, but... I don't know. I love big holidays because there is so much on the table and you can have just a taste of everything and have a bit more of what you like. Um, I miss that about big holiday gatherings. And actually, the year that we moved back, Nancy, who is my stepmom, her family um, is pretty big. They had five kids. So um, her brother John had everybody over to his house for Thanksgiving and I went, but you didn't because you were here with your mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was so nice. It was a huge feast and there was, you know, all sorts of different things to try and different, you know, f cookies and all sorts of stuff, Ap aperitifs and mm. appetizers yeah. and everything. And I just loved the whole sumptuousness of it. Why didn't you go this year? Uh, well, they haven't had it since because of COVID. <sighs> right, of course. Yeah, yeah. So when it happens again, I'm hoping that they will, um, do it. Cause actually John's family has, uh, Kelsey, mm. Kari, Katie, Kyle, four kids and they've all got family now. So it's, it is, it's a huge gathering. Yeah. So yeah, no offense to them. But I mean, that is definitely not my scene. Uh, a whole bunch of food, most of which I won't like. And then I have to hang out with a bunch of people I don't know and make small talk and chit chat. And Yeah. Well, I, I know them cause I yeah. grew up. Well, with of course. Them, yeah. Yeah. So. They're your family. All right. Um, Errol has some questions. Currently, listening to last month's podcast, Errol uh, thinks we're very similar in many ways. Game taste, social, political views, uh, even going to school for programming. But 
uh, I surprised Errol when I mentioned uh, uh, trypophobia. It's so weird that uh, Errol and I share that. And he's sending a picture along. Don't worry, it's funny because I had to cover the triggering part of the statue of Cthulhu. Death may die with an old vest. My uh, daughter grew out. Oh, or, oh, see, oh shoot! I, I don't. I'll have to go find the picture afterwards. I did not bring the picture over. I just copied the. Is trypophobia your thing it's with the, the holes? holes thing? Yeah. yeah. You can still see the holes in the back of the arms and the legs and imagine how much worse it gets down the back. Sorry, it was a rough month. Um, uh, I'll take it easy on the questions. Okay. I'll go back and find it, but I'm not looking forward to it. Um, anyway, given that I have trypophobia, do fully flowered sunflowers freak me out? It seems like they don't fit the phobia to me, but they eek the hell out of me. I, I, first of all, I guess maybe I'm just there. I, I, I don't really freak out about anything. I just kind of get creepy crawlies. Oh, I'd just rather not look at that. That just makes me kind of a little uncomfortable. And I, I just, I, I find that displeasing and I'd rather not have that in my brain. Um, so let's look at uh, close up sunflower. See how that hits me. Close up sunflowers. All right. I'm just doing a Google image search and uh, there's the images. And yeah, that's not great. I'm not happy with that. I don't think I, I would, I think I would rather have the camera much further away than, let's see, oh, for the folks who are watching, let me go on ahead and hide word. And so, yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's that. And yeah, it's, it's you know the small repeating concentric patterns. I you know over here, I'm, I'm fine with that picture. Actually, even that's a little. Uh, yeah, I'm fine with that picture. I like that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, do do not like that. That that's... oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, and again, it's it's not like I'm like oh I gotta get out of the room. I'm pulling out of my skin or anything. It's just like yeah, I I, I I I I find that actively unpleasant to look at. We had sunflower pattern in our kitchen stuff for quite a while. Uh-huh. And you never mentioned it. Well, yeah, but it was artsy. I mean, it's it's not like it has this level of detail in it. It was hand art painted sunflower things. It was I mean, that was just represented by a splotch of brown. Okay. You know, I mean, so yeah, that's that's the reality of that. So, yeah, I guess it bothers me a little bit, but not too terribly bad. Uh Errol and his family every night uh while they're having comfy talk time, uh they stop laughing. Oh, wait, 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 oh, oh, oops. Me and my family, says Errol, do this every night while we are having comfy talkie time. Stop laughing, LOL. What are yours and Jen's? Oh, top three favorite desserts. My, I don't understand the first sentence, but I'm going to ignore that. What are our favorite desserts? Errol is tiramisu, ice cream, and mousse cake. Uh, all right. Uh, Longhorns chocolate stampede. Stampede. Is, is he talking stampede. stampede? Is he talking about our Longhorn? Your favorite Longhorn from Eastern Washington? I don't know. I mean, it, it's kind of a, just a random thing to drop there. I would have thought I'm I sure would have noticed places. that on the menu. Yeah. Well, I mean, next time we go to a Longhorn, uh, which every time we go to Seattle on the way back, there's a long I mean, Longhorn is really an Eastern Washington thing for Jen, but there is one in Tacoma, I think, is somewhere, isn't it? And so <sighs> we always stop there and get a bunch Auburn. for the for the road home. All right, um, let's see. Oh, also, I started doing keto due to being diagnosed with diabetes and missing the sweets. Yes, well, why are you doing this? <laughs> oh, that's it. Okay, so they sit around and talk about how much they love sweets to torture themselves because he's, uh, you know, trying to fight the diabetes. And good on you, Errol. That's really important. Um, yeah, my favorite is ice cream by a mile. Uh, my favorite food in the universe is ice cream. Uh, you know, good ice cream, of course. Uh, let, let's see, two more. And what are, what are your favorite desserts, honey? I'm going to go with flourless chocolate cake. Flourless chocolate cake, yes. Yep. I think I'm going to go with apple pie. Apple pie specifically, not pie in general, specifically apple pie. Yeah, my grandmother's. Your apple grandmother's pie. apple pie, sure. 
Um, and then the third thing is going to be... <clears throat> it's hard to narrow all of the other uh, things. There's a lot of desserts. Down. I mean, uh, mankind is very, very good at poisoning ourselves with sugar. <laughs> uh, as a, as, you know, because it's, a, it's physically addictive. Go figure. Um, I, my number two is donuts. Uh, I love donuts. So Jen is literally grimacing off camera. I love donuts so much. I mean, I miss them. So, I mean, it, you can't really get... America is so good for donuts. You cannot get... I mean, uh, Europe, they have donuts, but it's just not the same. They're, fo they're focusing more on the pastries and uh, all the other stuff, but... Oh my God! A really good, an old fashioned, or an apple fritter, or uh, or a buttermilk bar, uh, a donut, a crunchy donut specifically, mm. where they're all soft and fluffy, but the out, the outer shell is kind of crunchy. Okay, I, oh. I will meet you on donuts if you will say cinnamon roll. A cinnamon roll. Well, that is, that is a donut, um, but I, cinnamon rolls are not that big a deal for me. But do you remember those cinnamon pull aparts I made when we first? Oh yeah, got those were amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was just that um, that dough you can get in the fri uh, fridge section. Yeah. Basically just... rolled in sugar and cinnamon, and then baked. Yep. My God. Good okay. stuff. Good That's stuff. Okay. Um, so Jen's got flourless chocolate cake, apple pie. I've got ice cream and donuts, and we each need a third. Our third favorite thing. I mean, obviously, I, I could easily do a top ten ice creams. I could easily do a yeah. top five donuts, but I'm just broadly. I mean, I enjoy ice cream too. I'm gonna. I think I'll just go. You're with gonna ice go cream. with ice cream just yeah. broadly? Yeah. I mean, ice cream is too good. Uh, I, I mean, we were talking about those ice cream pies that we had mm. from Cold Stone, and uh, we stumbled across Baskin and Robbins last month. They were doing a Snickerdoodle ice cream limited edition that we both just fell hard in love with, and this month they're doing a gingerbread house, uh, which is fan. I mean, yeah, so ice cream. Uh, right for my number three. Oh, I could just say pie in general, but that's a little too... I've already done two broad ones. Very specifically, I really, really like a good carrot cake. You do? I love a really yeah. good carrot cake. I mean, I'm not that big on cake in general, but carrot cake, I, I, I just, um, you know, with, with really nice sour cream frosting and... Cream cheese frosting. Cream, exactly, not sour cream. That'd be very different. Cream cheese frosting. Uh, I'm going to go with carrot cake. And, what was your, and your third was ice cream. Okay, cool. So we both had one specific and two broads. <clears throat> All right. Thanks, Errol. Uh, we were, did we not just say we're trying to be low carb? <laughs> That's, uh, it is so hard. I mean, it was so much easier to keep the weight off in uh, in Malta because there just wasn't as much. We weren't surrounded by sweets that we loved so much. Yeah. I mean, it's not like there weren't good sweets, but it, it's just, I, uh, America is just, Sugar temptation nightmare. Okay. Jack has a few questions. Six, to be precise. Number one. Uh -huh. Jack cannot remember if we've ever ranked our top movies and TV shows. What are our top five of each category? Uh, let's see. We, obviously, you just mentioned West Wing and... Uh, network. And Network. And... Uh, no, oh. not, 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 not Network. That's the movie. Uh, oh, uh, Newsroom. The Newsroom. Yeah. Because uh, you love both of those from Aaron Sorkin... Uh, pretty equally, and uh, let's see. I, I, you know, I, I, let's, let's try to do a combined. We'll just do a combined. Some okay. of our favorites. I mean, we are. I, I, uh, I you know, uh, freaking. We just talked about him. Um, Ted Lasso uh, is easily. It's probably my favorite show of all time. Period. And Parks and Rec would easily make my top five. Easily. Uh, I am really. I have been so amazed by Fargo. Every season just completely reinvents itself and is just gobsmacking to me just how amazing that show is. And I really love Better Call Saul. Um, let's see, coming back to Jen, stuff that she really loves. Uh, it's hard. We should have done... Uh, yeah, 
Okay, okay, tell you what. We'll pause for a sec. We'll actually think about this a little bit harder. All right, Jack, for you. <laughs> if I can find the pause button. Okay, uh, Jack, we are back for your attack. And uh, we agreed we'll save movies. Ask again. We'll do movie top five movies next month. Because you have a bunch more questions coming. So, in no particular order, Jen's top five are Newsroom, West Wing, Survivor, Amazing Race, and basically any of the BBC, Richard Attenborough... No, David. David Attenborough documentaries, you know, Blue World, Nature, those types of things. It's yep. just, you know, stunningly beautiful with his voice. Uh, um, so th that would be Jen's top five. Mine are uh, Fargo, Parks and Recreation, Ted Lasso, Rick and Morty, and Lower Decks, uh, which I didn't occur to me. I, I was like, ah, I mean, I love Star Trek so much, but are any of them my favorite of all time? No. But then I... Lower Decks, it really, really is. Lower Decks is so amazingly good. I am just jonesing for the next season. Uh, um, you know, its worst episodes are the best episodes of Trek ever, as far as I'm concerned. And some of the best, and, and I love the animation, I love the humor. I, I don't think it's a laugh. I mean, everybody complains, oh, it's not laugh out loud. I don't care. I don't laugh out loud at it that much. But I appreciate uh, the humor. I appreciate the depth. I appreciate, it's kind of the opposite of what we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, um, Get Back. You know, Peter Jackson threw everything in the kitchen sink in. Um, Lower Decks takes everything that makes Star Trek great and compresses it into 22 tight, tight minutes every week. And I'm just continually blown away by it. All the great science fiction, the high-minded ideals, the really um, you know strong, passionate human uh, storytelling. And then it's also great to look at, and it's just fun. It's got uh, a sense of wonder uh, that, uh, you know, and, and joy. I mean, you know, what... Three of my shows are just pure joy, as far as I'm concerned. Ted Lasso, Parks and Recreation, and Lower Decks, and uh, and then Fargo is is the opposite, but it's so amazing, it, it, you know. And then Rick and Morty uh, is kind of it bridges the gap. And so, okay, we're gonna get to number two, but uh, my phone is ringing, and I think I need to take this, so we're gonna put you on hold again. Okay, call is over, and we just had breakfast, so we are ready, fueled up to continue going with Jack's number two. I've mentioned. I like talking about psychology and things that drive people. What specifically comes to mind that prompted me to think about that? Uh, is it the drives of people in your personal life, those in TV, movies, etc., those society in general and large? Something else Jack's missing? That's an interesting question. I don't know that I have it. Why am I so fascinated about human behavior? Particularly because I don't particularly care about being about humans that much when it falls right <laughs> down to it. Uh... I think it's because you're a very compassionate person and it's easier to understand people if you understand people. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I guess that begs the question of why am I a very compassionate person then? I, and I assume that come, that's probably just my, my upbringing. Because that's, I mean, I, you know, I mean, we all learn a lot from our parents and model behavior, whether uh, we like it or not. And my parents were both the most giving people in the universe. Both of them would, um, you know, do anything for other people uh, with no expectation in return and refusing uh, reciprocal. Uh, and, uh, and I think that probably rubbed off on me. Um, I read a lot uh, as a kid when we were on the boat. And we had very strict TV limits. Uh, we were only allowed to like watch an hour a day or something like that. I forget what it was. But I, all I had, and I did a lot of computer stuff with my old Tai 994A. And I watched whatever TV I could because I love TV. But I also read a lot of my folks' books because that's all that was on the boat. So I read a lot of Steinbeck and Joseph Heller and stuff like that. 
um, you know, Ken Kesey. <clears throat> and, I, and I was reading those books at like 10, 11, 12, because there was literally nothing else to do. And I think a lot, that, that really got me thinking at a very early age about why people do things. Because those are all books that are just, you know, deep explorations of why people do what they do. Uh, and, and sometimes in very unexpected ways. So I, I think maybe that rubbed off on me a little bit. I, I guess that, something like that. I'm not quite sure. It's a really good question. I don't really have an answer. I would rather uh, dissect other people than myself, it would appear. <laughs> well, mm. and then you were in the video game industry, and you did have to That's eat. a good point. Yes, uh, it, was, it was a lifeline. It was absolutely a crucial skill to be able to have as a creative director in the video game industry to be able to understand the needs of others and address them so that you could get you know, the best work out of them possible. Yeah. So that, uh, that's a really good point, too. Yeah. That as, as a creative lead, it was essential. I, I would not have been as good at my job if I did not constantly strive to do that. And it was my job to do that. I mean, I took training seminars. I, uh, you know, had to do yearly performance evaluations. I had to know these people and understand what was going on in their lives and how it would affect their ability to do their jobs. So that probably had a lot to do with it too. That's a good point. Okay, um, we mentioned that we started with the chickens because of fears from peak oil after reading the stand. <laughs> it was not the stand. Uh, you know, that put the fear in Jen. I don't know of what. I guess probably it's the viruses. <laughs> we both read that in college. Yeah. Um, but no, it was another book. I, I can't think yeah, of the name of it. I don't it. remember it either, but um, yeah, there was something else. Peak Oil Novel. Uh, peak Oil Thriller Novel. Uh, Last Light. I believe it was Last Light by Alex Scarrow. Published in 2005. Jen just happened to read that. And it scared the bejesus out of her. Uh, and I, mean, I think you had been thinking about chickens anyway, right? Or had you not? Did Last Light by Alex Scarrow, reading that, was that really why we, why that year you decided, okay, we're going to start doing chickens uh, in, case the, in case what happens in that book happens and you know the, the uh, supply chain completely collapses overnight and people are starving and will need eggs? I mean, we've sure. said that in the past, but how true is that? Or yeah. how apocryphal is that? That's how I remember it. Because yeah. you made me read that book after you were done. You need to read this book. <laughs> because this is going to happen tomorrow. Because <laughs> it's all very plausible. Everything you just talked about. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I can remember that, that I was concerned about in the world issues kind of stuff and mm -hmm. that you know like having extra water on hand and having a water purifier and things like that would probably be smart to to have on hand mm -hmm. i remember actually the chickens and I, it's possible that i was just preceded for chickens <laughs> um but my friend fiona in farnham ah. had some chickens and i just she, and they were ornamental chickens, right? They're yeah, pretty just, much. Yeah, yeah, fluffy, fluffy. They, they like teeny, pets. teeny pet tiny eggs, yeah. little ones, because <laughs> um, she had the bantam size. But it just kind of got me into them. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I really liked them. And so I don't know that it was less. I think it might have just been prepping in general, that kind of being prepared for if something bad did happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not the question. The question is... Mm -hmm. If the apocalypse did happen, do you feel equipped to survive it <laughs> now that you've got your chickens? Or have we made other preparations? For years, we did actually keep X amount of water 
I don't think we do that anymore. Yeah, and like how many cans of tuna fish yeah. and that sort of stuff. Yeah, we haven't done that. The fervor has cooled significantly since uh, the reading of Last Light in 2005, 2006, whenever Jen read that book. It's a really good novel. I mean, you know, the, 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 I mean it, it, the, the plot is set in motion in the first 20 pages. Basically, it's not just that, oh, peak oil happened, but you know, it was a strategic terrorist activity that prompts it. And it's all spelled out in a grim detail of exactly just how razors thin, you know, how narrow, um, you we're know, all living, we basically. were all living. You know, I mean, that, that boat that got caught in the Suez Canal demonstrated yeah. just and and we also oh that's just funny it's not so funny now that you know worldwide shipping is shut down everywhere and it's leading to mass inflation and because supply can't meet demand and all of that but um yeah i mean so we were kind of into it for a while that's when we were in, i mean i remember you had the uh the supplies mm -hmm. down under the stairs under the stairs in the basement Guilford, yeah but i think when we moved to malta we just stopped doing it yeah i had still which i mean if there's any place to do it it's totally malta i mean Man, if, if yeah. that place gets cut off, it's over. Yeah, but they're in the middle of the med. They're easy to resupply. But, yeah, yeah. are you going to find somebody to do that is mm -hmm. the question. But, mm -hmm. yeah, so actually I did take a survival course when we were on Malta, remember? That's, oh, that's right, yes. Yeah. How to live off the land, uh, recognize the edible plants and stuff like that. Yep. Yep, yep. so I think it's still sort of in the back of my mind. Um, and uh, when COVID hit a couple of years ago, I stocked up on things that I thought we might need. Really? Like, a couple of years ago? Well, Is it's that... been almost two years. Jeez. March right. will be two years. Wow. Okay. Anyway, so. <clears throat> um, yeah. So I, I stocked up on things that like aspirin and acetaminophen and I got a, a bunch of crates of chicken broth and things that I was reading about what people who are sick with COVID mm. need to support them as they get through it. Mm. And so I got a bunch of that stuff. Um, and which we're we're still working through. <laughs> we have we have a lifetime supply of acetaminophen and aspirin. All right. Um, but what was, was the question? Um, oh, do I feel equipped to survive it? Yeah. And have you made any other preparations just in case? Well, the likelihood is that if the apocalypse happens, people are going to come and get my chickens. Well, I think that's kind of an under. Jack didn't state it, but yeah. knowing Jack, I assume the underlying question is: Do we own a gun? We do not own a gun. No, we do not. So. I think what we are going to rely on if the apocalypse happens is his excellent people skills <laughs> and my gardening knowledge. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> and my ability to fix stuff. Mm, yeah, Jen is very good at fixing things. So, yeah. yep. Because otherwise, I mean, we can't, we are not prepared to protect anything. Mm-hmm. No. Okay, uh, besides glass, what other crafting projects do you get into, Honey Pie? Oh, pretty much anything I get my... <laughs> um, I'm I am right now a bit obsessed with the acrylic pouring, paint pouring, mm -hmm. and I'm just sort of that's that's my art porn these days. I go and watch <coughs> videos of other artists doing acrylic pouring. Mm -hmm. I love it. Pouring P O U R, which is basically it's an art form where they just have cans of paint and they well, pour them onto the canvas, but it's not cans of paint. But yeah, you you put the paint into like a cup in a specific way yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you drizzle it on the canvas in a specific way and then you can use like either your breath or a, like a hair dryer to move the paint around it's very gloppy mm. you're using probably four times more paint than you need to <laughs> because you need to have enough to, to so it moves around and you you tilt the canvas and 
Oh, I've seen, I've seen people who spin the canvas, spin the canvas, yeah, and yeah. create centrifugal to create spiral patterns and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's very um, organic. It doesn't have to look like anything particularly, but the you let the paint do what the paint does, and the paint does great stuff. Yeah, and it ends up being just beautiful, lovely things that anybody can do with the minimum of work. Yeah, yeah. So I've actually thought about trying to. Our garage right now is a total disaster area, but <laughs> I've thought about trying to clear out an area just so I could go out and have some fun doing that. Because whenever you feel like, yeah, I did it with my parents, dad and aunts, uh, a couple years ago as a thing just you know an activity for us to go do together and um we really enjoyed it and then i had got a bunch of supplies when my sister and the kids were up and we did it as kind of a, a craft project then and had a great time but um i had just haven't gotten back to it okay my friend, else? my friend morning wants to do it too so it'd be fun oh, to just right, get okay. together and do that yep. um you also are hardcore not into knitting but is it crocheting no it's knitting it is knitting oh. yeah yep i've just uh, got a hat pattern Yep. That I think is going to start here in the next... I finally finished your scarf. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think those are the things. What else do I enjoy? I mean, I, I love woodworking. If I had the equipment and stuff, I would do that. But I don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, last month, I said that Jen's... I, I said that Jen's glass world had expanded. I mentioned... Or, or, or apparently oh. Jen mentioned working with so many new... Yeah, so Jen mentioned... Her glass world expanded, working with new colors. How does that translate to glasswork? I guess new colors is the obvious answer, but are there new products you've made that you couldn't have before? How else has your glass world expanded, honey pie? Oh. Sorry, that was actually two months ago, because I didn't say anything last month. That's what threw me off, because <laughs> this is... Right, it should have been answered. That's uh, well, I, My glass world hasn't expanded. What are you talking about, Jack? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've taken a couple of classes, and it's definitely... It has actually informed my work in such a way because I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from the the few pieces I've shown having taken this class. And to me, taking a class, you don't want to just do what the instructor has shown you how to do. You want to translate it into your own version of, of the technique and so that, so that it's yours. So I think what it's what these couple of classes have really made me think about is... I've been doing certain things in my glass world for a long time, like making meeple pendants and things like that for, I'm going to say eight years, nine years, something like that. It was one of the first things I started doing when we decided to start doing conventions. And it's brilliant, obviously, because, oh, sorry, not that I'm brilliant, but <laughs> the, the product is a brilliant fit for the gaming market because meeples are so, you know, obviously a fit. Mm -hmm. But I am... I'm kind of tired of them. I'm, I'm kind of tired of doing that. And so I want to, I'm going to, I've decided I'm going to phase out of all my meeple jewelry and do what comes next. And what comes next, I'm not sure, but I've taken a couple of interesting classes and I just want to have kind of this faith going forward that something really cool is going to come out with it. When I stop putting energy into something that I've done, mastered, done for eight years or whatever, and put my energy into new things. So that's one of the the decisions I've made for this year is I, because I've kind of gotten to the point where I need to re-up my supply of meeples so that I can make them into jewelry and da-da-da. Um, I'm at that point where I have to decide, am I going to do that or if I'm not going to do that? I'm just going to sell through what I've gotten and then move on. And I'm going to move on. I'm going to uh -huh. create new stuff. Okay. So I would <clears throat> say that is probably the biggest thing that's come out of that. I don't have a new product um, per se yet, but... Um, interestingly, I've been selling on Facebook because I've, I've just recently discovered that there's these groups where people will, uh, who like glass 
are in a group of, you know, say 6,000 or 13,000 of them, whatever, they've all signed up to be in this group and they're looking for really unique products. And so I've even shown my Witwat, which are my favorite things to make. And they have been going like hotcakes, which I did not anticipate at all. I thought that was my weird little something I did, you know, that, you know, gamers like because we like having our unique player markers. Turns out normal people like them too. <laughs> so that has kind of led me to believe that whatever is next, there will be a market for. And I think moving forward with my joy and my passion and, and whatever comes out of this, it'll be fine. Okay. Cool. All righty. Rotto. <laughs> says Jack. Back to you. Rado says, I've said my parents are like oil and water and only stayed together as long as they did for uh, me and my brother to provide a stable family and keep their differences away from you. Do you feel they succeeded? Uh, do you believe you benefited from having a two-parent household? And if so, how, how did their strained relationship affect you? That's a, a, that's a, a yes. I, uh, I think I definitely benefited hugely from the compromises that they made. Uh, you know, and you know the, they were willing to take on a certain level of discomfort and unhappiness for me and my brother's benefit. I, I think I, I can't speak for Ryan. I mean, Ryan has always been a wild child. He is ever since you know I mean ever since he was pulling himself out of the crib before he could walk and climb and literally literally climbing up refrigerators when people weren't watching him. He has just always been pushing hard, hard, hard. And I, I, you know, I mean, me and my brother are such a nature nurture observation study. We've came from the same place, but it's turned out so radically different. So, uh, you know, how much of it is genetics? How much of it is, you know, predisposition? We come from the same place, and yet we live such radically different lives. But uh, let's see. <clears throat> In raw terms, having two parents. I mean, I, I guess it's there was a sense of security. And you know, just assumed all is right with the worldliness that I never had to uh, really face. That I mean, I, I mostly know this from talking to Jen because her parents divorced when she was I don't know eight, seven, seven, eight, and she talks about how that rocked her world and how I mean, she it just led to a, a deep seated insecurity that she had to carry that you know the world wasn't just quite right anymore mm -hmm. and was it her fault and all of those kinds of things that she had to carry around and you know it's one of the things that made her want to get married really early because she wanted she was only looking for serious long term commitments because and it, and she traced it right back to that so I mean I think the main place I would uh, you know say what I benefited from was by contrasting what Jen feels like she suffered through, uh, you know, by being on the opposite end of that. So, uh, yeah, I, who knows? Maybe, maybe my brain is just wired a certain way and nothing would have changed and I'd be the exact same person. I can never truly know. All I can do is just look at the evidence of, you know, what it does to kids to, you know, come from a broken home uh, or, you know, or, or an uncertain home, you know, a, a home where they do not feel like all is right with the world because kids shouldn't have to worry about the world uh, because they're, they're still developing their brains and uh, I think it's I think it's just generally a good thing if somebody's brain develops in a secure and safe environment where they do where they don't have insecurities so yeah I, I would say so but I mean I, I I cannot point to concrete examples other than you know the you know what, what I just talked about um did there I mean did I, and honestly I would have to say as a kid I had no idea I certainly had no idea that there was any kind of 
pent up frustration. I, you know, they they had fights every once in a while, but that just seemed normal. Everybody everybody has fights once in a while. Mm. Um, and I don't know. Maybe I guess looking back now, there were a few times when Dad was just gone for a while, and I think he went and stayed with his brother because they had just you know reached their end and they had to you know hit the reset button. But I mean, but, but that was later. That was probably when I was eleven or twelve. None of that existed in the early days, and I think maybe. I didn't worry about those things because, oh, everything's fine. Yeah, whatever. Dad's just not here for a little while because I had had a, an unbroken 10 years of, yeah, everything's always been fine. Hmm. Would you say that when there was fights, yeah. um, you know, or yelling or whatever, yeah. that was mainly your mom and Ryan? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, mom and Ryan were cats and dogs. They were fighting 24 hours a day. Yeah, so it was, that was yeah, more... That was very, very difficult. Um, but no, 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 no. no mom, mom and dad definitely, there would be shouting matches every once in a while. And it was mostly dad. Dad did have a bit of a temper. Uh, never, never hit anything. Never punched a wall. There's never any threats of anything. But you know, he he could have a short fuse, and you would just know if he was upset. But um, you know, and that was always there. But I mean, he, I, I think he recognized how important it was to, uh, you know, keep that under control. Yeah. So, yeah. Any more questions from Jen? I just was thinking if if the if the main conflict, the noisy conflict, was between your mom and your brother. Oh yeah, I mean that yeah that was that was omnipresent for years when we first moved on the boat and we were homeschooled because we we tried uh, local schooling and uh, my grades plummeted. Jen or, or Jen Ryan actually mm-hmm. was about the same, but Ryan has always had a propensity to fall in with the wrong crowd and the schools we were able to go to, he fell into even worse crowds. So he kind of accelerated his anti let's say anti-establishment tendencies um, because he would always find the worst kids to hang out with and be so influenced by them. It's just, it's his greatest tragedy is he's just, he, he can't, he never finds good people to be influenced by. And, but me, my, my grades have been stellar and they plummeted and they, my parents decided, well, okay, we're going to homeschool now. And plus it gave them more freedom as we were moving around a lot on the boat. We were very nomadic. Um, and so for whatever it was, three years or so, maybe, like eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, three or four years, I was homeschooled, and basically I schooled myself because R- mom was spending her entire time just trying to get Ryan to read and learn. And um, you know, they were at the back of the boat. I just was up at the front of the boat, and I just kind of tuned them out. And uh, yeah, so that yeah, that was that was a, a nonstop thing, and uh, you know, it would continue to this day. Yeah, uh, Ryan, I don't think my brother Ryan could. You'll be in a room with my mom for more than two hours before there was some shouting and some swearing and some cursing. But anyway, um, question or conversely, Jen, do you uh, how do you feel you would have benefited had your parents stayed together? And how did their divorce affect you? I mean, actually, in the, hmm. we just kind of talked about it. But yeah. I, in my words, perhaps you should have your words. Well, if they'd stayed together, we probably would have stayed in the house that we were living in, you know, as a family. Mm, okay. um, so. My mom would not have moved us to Yakima for three years. Yeah. So there was a lot of, uh, I don't know, interesting learning experiences, moving to a new place, making new friends, you know, learning how to fit in, getting totally rejected by my friends in sixth grade. Yeah, that was awful. Oh. I don't know. I think young girls are really <laughs> mean to each other. Yeah. But, um, and then conversely, in seventh grade, after seventh grade, we, I moved back into our little town with my dad. And went back to the school and had some friends still from, you know, when we'd lived there before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. I think about, you know, some of these things that 
it, it really hurt when I was in sixth grade to get rejected by my friends. And fortunately, I had a couple other friends that weren't in the popular group. So I, I did still have some friends. But wow, to get ousted from the popular <laughs> set, you know, and it was, yeah. So I think that was definitely one of those parts of my childhood that's, that's formed me in a fear of rejection. Um, maybe why I try so hard mm. in everything and try to be really fair and try and be really communicable, communicative. Uh -huh. Yep. There you go. You got it. Yep. Um, so, and would I have had that same thing maybe if I'd stayed in our little town and they hadn't gotten divorced? So that's I interesting. Know. I mean, your observations are more to do with the logistics of your divorce. That, you know, you, you ended up with these situations where you had to move and stuff like that, as yeah. opposed to the psychological impact. Uh, maybe you just don't want to talk about that, which is totally fine. I'm sure Jack would understand. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's easier for me to to look at particular examples of things that yeah. I wonder, if I hadn't been in Yakima, would that have happened to me? Right, right, right. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think that my parents always conveyed to me, and I, I hope my sister, that we were loved and it wasn't our fault. Mm -hmm. um, so, I actually, I didn't feel that the oh, divorce really? okay. was my fault. No. All right. Um, you know, and, and to say something positive about the Yakima experience, my mom always raised us to be strong, independent women. And a lot of that was also going on in Yakima because she was a, a captain in the Air Force Reserves. Mm -hmm. And so she went um, and did her reserve weekends. I think it was one weekend a month. And most of the time we would go off and have that weekend with dad. We'd get on the Greyhound bus and be, <laughs> we'd get, you know, go back to dad's. Um, but sometimes occasionally for whatever reason, it might've been that a surprise weekend came up or whatever. It wasn't on the schedule. And we would be home that weekend alone by ourselves. Yeah. My sister and I, and my sister was about three years older than me. So again, we're talking a 13 year old and a 10 year old or a 14 and 11 or something like that. So not, not completely, um, like child abusey <laughs> uh, abandonment stuff. But, um, and at the time we didn't think anything of it. Well, I'm sure at the time you loved it. Yeah. I mean, we, we knew how to feed ourselves. We, you know, had basic safety things and um, we're, we felt safe where we were and all that. So I don't think that there was any abandonment kinds of things going on at that, you know, feelings of that. I think it was just kind of how things were. Okay. And if you think about how things were in the 18th and 19th centuries, children used to have to fend for themselves a lot earlier <laughs> than they do these days. So yeah. I don't think that's completely outlandish. But anyways, I probably no, said that's, that's a, I think you have hit the how did the horse affect you. Very well done. All right. Now, now Jack pulls it all together yeah. for both of us. Do we believe in general the divorce is a damaging event to the children involved? Uh, we, of course, didn't have children. Uh, do we think th that our respective childhoods informed mm. or influenced that decision? So those are two questions. I, I don't know kids. I don't know anything about kids. The, the most I know about is my own childhood and Jen's childhood. I really don't know much about anybody else's childhood. Uh, and so, uh, you know, based on my observations, yes, I would say it is. it, it, it can be damaged. It can be mitigated. And it's interesting that Jen points more to the stuff that could have... I mean, Jen's parents could have stayed together and she could have still gone through They might have just lost a job and they'd had to move to Yakima and all those same things could have happened anyway. That I mean, uh, the stuff you really focused on almost had less to do with the the, the actual necessity of divorce and more to do with, oh, just the fact that you moved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that could have happened for any number of reasons. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and and so you're, it sounds like you're suggesting that in your case, and I remember you talking about this. I remember you saying, you know, that the, 
the day that your parents had made the decision that your dad took you aside and played some music and, you know, danced with you standing on his toes or something like that. Yeah. You talking about this story and how he made very clear to you that um, they were splitting up, but it wasn't your fault and that you were great and that, you know, all the yeah. stuff you said. So, yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, it's, it's probably something that can, um, you know, it, it's it, like anything in life. I mean, there's uh, kids are going to go through hardships. There's no two ways about it. It's unavoidable. It's just a question of how good a job do the parents do of... Uh, helping them through that. Yeah. And, you know, putting your kids first. I mean, so it's not, you know, your parents. I mean, one could argue they put themselves first because they didn't stick it together for you and, and Becky. But by the other token, they were still very, very aware and conscious. And I don't know, maybe they were making the decision that, you know what, ultimately this is going to be worse for the girls if we stay yeah. at each other's throats. Well, and one thing I will give kudos to both my parents for is they did not badmouth each other. Mm-hmm. That was huge in my childhood. Mm-hmm. If they had tried to play us off on yeah, each yeah, other, yeah. that I, I could see I would be a totally different person because yeah. I'm a people pleaser and that would have torn me apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I totally give props to both of them for being civilized adults mm-hmm. and doing the right thing because I'm sure they were pissed off at each other a lot. Yeah, uh-huh. But my dad was also awesome about child support. He says he, you know, he's told me as, as an adult, you know, there was times where he went without to make sure our childhood was, mm-hmm. our chi- the support was, was paid. And, uh, you know, I just really, I feel so grateful that I, you know, happen to have such amazing people as my parents. Yeah. Okay. Do you think your, that uh, your childhood informed the decision not to have kids? The weird thing is when we were married, yeah. Jen was 100% bound and determined to have kids. She, you, all your life, you, you, you'd known what you were going to name your firstborn son and then your secondborn daughter and how it was all going to work out. You'd planned it all out. And I, I always felt like that was just societal programming Yeah, that you, you were just kind of falling into. And, uh, even when we were married, uh, you're like, ah, well, I know he says he doesn't want kids, but we'll have kids. And even when I, even when I got the vasectomy, well, I, I, I know this kind of, we can always get that reversed. Yeah. And at some point, and it was after, well after the vasectomy, that you started rewiring yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that is. I don't think it has anything to do with your childhood, though. Well, I was going to say, this is really interesting because you, whose family stayed together, always knew you didn't want kids. I, uh, yeah. And yeah. me, whose family didn't stay together, mm-hmm. always assumed I would have kids. Yeah, that's a... Uh, and I think that was societal programming. And correlation is not causation, but that is an interesting... Parallel there, definitely. Corn recipes. Oh, okay. Alexa, stop. <laughs> Apparently. Okay. How did that work? I don't know. I must have said something that sounded like The Alex. A word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, anyway, so I'm sorry I interrupted. Go on. Well, I think, yes. I, in my mind, when you got the vasectomy, I did have it that... At you, 23, if I recall correctly. Something some, like somewhere that. Somewhere around yeah. in there, yeah. Um, that, you know, A, it's always reversible. B, we could always adopt. Mm. Or C, you know, this marriage might not work out. <laughs> <laughs> frankly, I could always find somebody else to have kids with at some point if... If that became an overriding um, thing in my mind. Mm -hmm. And um, although, you know, that's just listing the pros and cons like a Benjamin Franklin list, right? You know, and I'm sure we did that before you got your vasectomy as well. Mm. I I don't remember. It was a weird situation. I'm sure we mentioned this on the podcast before. Basically, I was working at Nintendo. I lost my job. Uh, We had amazing health care. And so we both realized, well, okay, we've got like 25 days because I lost my job at the beginning of the month. Yeah. So we've got the, we got three or three and a half weeks to get anything we want done, done now. I'm like, well, sooner or later I was going to do this, so might as well do it now because it was such amazing uh, healthcare that vasectomies were covered uh, for 23-year-olds or whatever it was. Yeah. And you had a deviated septum. 
So basically, oh, was you, that it? Yeah, you, you had a nose job without the nose job. You had an internal nose job instead of an external yeah. nose job. Okay, can uh, you imagine how bad my snoring would be right now if, if oh I hadn't man, gotten I, that done? I cannot. I cannot. I have pretty bad snoring apparently she right now. She does. I can tell you. I can confirm <laughs> that. So, uh, yeah, basically, we, we're, we're just, okay, we got to do these things because who knows when we'll have a health insurance this good again. And I don't think we ever did, quite frankly. Certainly yeah. don't now. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so, anyway, I'm sorry, that was just as an aside. You were, please continue. Oh, well, so anyway, I, I kind of mentally reserved the possibility of children, even though you got a vasectomy, because I didn't know if, you know, you always hear about that thing kicking in with women where they get baby obsessed. Yeah. And that's all they can think about yeah. is they've got, you know, whatever the hormonal clock starts ticking. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I, I just thought, well, if that happens to me, you know, here are some options. And it didn't, it did not happen to me. So I think at the point when maybe about 35 I was, and it seemed like, yeah, it should have kicked in by now if it was going to kick in, and it never did, and I I have always been really grateful to not have children because I have all of that energy that I would have taken being a mother to invest in my art or my dogs or my family or... Or traveling around the world. Traveling around I mean, the world. I mean, you mentioned, it's just you mentioned 35. 35, that's when we went to England. Mm, is that right? So we've been here four years. I remember We're it was my 35th years. birthday that we went to that Chinese restaurant and we read the fortune cookie oh, that said you will soon go across the, you will ah. soon, whatever. And that kind of prompted us to say, okay, well maybe we should do this. Maybe yeah. we should fly over there and see if there's, a, if I can find a job. That could very well be it. And well, no, but no, I, I can remember when living in Austin, I was glad not to have children. Yeah. So, but what, I mean, you had all, your whole life just assumed you were going to have kids. Yeah. What made you switch? Well, maybe... I mean, I, 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 it's just, it's, 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 well, it's, it's like a thing of faith. You just simply didn't question it. Yeah. And now you're talking about, eventually you got to the point where you realized, oh, I guess maybe I'm not. And I guess that's okay. But was there ever any, was, was there a transition period where you were wanting, ah, oh, you know what, man, why have I always wanted kids? They're kind of annoying. Or, you know, what, or anything like, I mean, what do you recall? Well, obviously. Because after the vasectomy, I was done. That was it. No reason to talk about it anymore. Yeah, uh, you know, snip, snip, that's done. <laughs> um, well, I obviously didn't want to have children with somebody who didn't want to have children. Sure. So yeah. that was uh, definitely an, in my mind. Um, and I think we did, we had a lot of fun in our 20s too. We did, we went yeah, we did. Um, yeah. traveling and did some, not as much as my sister did. My sister did a lot of travel. But um, I think, I think it was just okay. And I, and I sort of had reserved in my mind that, should these feelings come up in me and it becomes really important, then I will, you know, we'll, we'll make we'll a new decision. what to do at that point. Yeah. And I think maybe around 35 and possibly. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, I say this now, I don't know if I ever said it then, um, but, you know, the reality is if, if you had decided, look, this is absolutely essential, I'm, I'm sure I would have gone along with it. I'm sure I would Okay, well, fine. We'll give it a go. Um, how hard can it be? <laughs> Let's adopt. I'm sure we probably would have done something like that if, you, if it had ever, I mean, I, I wouldn't have just said, no, I will get a divorce. I will leave you instead of having to be responsible for a small child. I mean, I, I, I would have done it, but I just didn't want to. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Um, but also, part of the deal when you got your vasectomy was that I could have any animal I wanted anytime I wanted. <laughs> so that included horses or dogs or whatever. Although I did bring a Doshound puppy home one time and you nixed that. I was... <sighs> you can't just drop a, a, a little Doshound puppy on somebody with no warning. I don't know why not. Maybe that was when that agreement took place. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. um, but that's that's always been something too, is that I feel like 
I there's plenty of things to to love and to mother out there in the world. I didn't need to bring another human into mm. into the equation. Okay, doke. Well, geez, Jack, go deep, why don't you? And yet Jack's not even done yet. Okay. Rado mentioned there was controversy after you left the EverQuest Guild, the Sylvan Rangers. What was the controversy? I don't remember. It was, it was, it was. There was a beef between the Sylvan Rangers and some other guilds, and uh, insults were hurled. People left guilds yeah. because the, whatever Sylvan Ranger, whatever other guild, it was like a, yeah, it was. It was just. A, it was an internet beef. Yeah. And, and I think our leader had had not behaved in a chivalrous manner. Yeah. And so had dishonored us silver. Yeah, there was something like that. Yeah. Who knows? But it was after, long after we were both gone. So I was just like tangentially aware that in the closing days of EverQuest, I mean, all the EverQuest is still around, but, you know, in, in, at the at the, uh, the nadir of its popularity, the Sylvan Rangers went through something. But neither of us know what. All right, uh, number eight from Jack. It's almost Thanksgiving. Well, we're well past that now. I was wondering, uh, we celebrated it growing up. Uh, Jack thinks uh, we don't celebrate it now, but in case we do, interested in that as well. How did we celebrate living on a boat? How was it different before and after? Uh, for both of us, would we tend to have bigger extended family gatherings or smaller nuclear family ones? Well, this actually, Jen already talked yeah. about this. Uh, me, really simply, for pretty much my entire childhood, every year at Thanksgiving... Immediate family and extended family would all get together at my grandmother's house in uh, in California, in a small little town in the middle of nowhere. And it would be you know, it'd be the, the the Americana Hallmark, hey, just millions of foods, and you know the the kids are all at their table and the adults are all at their table, and and dads and uncles are falling asleep on the couch, you know, <laughs> watching football while the women folk are inside cleaning up, and you know, and, 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 and literally. The, the most blatantly straightforward, stereotypical uh, thanks American-style Thanksgiving you can imagine hit every single beat, did it for year after year after year. And yeah, we were living on the boat, but hey, it's Thanksgiving. Okay, we're all going to get in the car and we're going to drive three hours to get there from wherever we were at at that particular point to get all the way back to my grandma's house. So that's the way it ultimately was. And when it stopped, when we stopped doing that at some point, it must have been we moved up to Washington, um, which I must have been... 13 or something like that. I don't recall ever doing anything. I'm sure maybe we just had a turkey dinner, but I don't remember actually giving big turkeys or anything. I think my family, uh, it's probably a reflection of my dad more than anything else. My dad didn't care yeah. for that kind of stuff at all. It was my mom's family. We never went and celebrated Thanksgiving at my dad's family ever. In theory, we could have, but that never once happened. It was always my mom's family. And when we moved up to Washington State, it just stopped. And... I don't know. Being married, what have we ever done? We've never really done anything super fancy. Well, when we first got married, um, Dad and Nance were still um, had a house and everything. And yeah, and so, so we, they, we were still doing theirs, which was kind and, of the same thing. And Thanksgiving was always Dad's holiday, and Christmas was Mom's holiday. So, is that, oh yes, is that, I thought it was the reverse. No, no, okay, nope. So um, that was just you know really easy to continue when we got married to just go to yeah their house. Um, and that stopped when they sold their house and bought an RV and got on the road. <laughs> so that's why it was really nice to come back to go to John's house and, and do that big family holiday. And especially after being away for 15 years, too. You know, it was really <laughs> yeah. nice to just come back and feel like, oh, so comfortable and so wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess, yeah, so dad, so dad and Nancy's house was the nexus for family celebrations in in my childhood, his parents were living nearby. His sister and her family were living nearby. So everybody would come to dad and Nance's house for Thanksgiving. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that was awesome. Yeah. We had all the the bean casseroles and the yam with the marshmallows on top and yeah. everything. And, you know, in, in our adult lives, just me and her, I mean, I don't think either of us are really kind of stuck on the ceremony or celebration of it. We will have some kind of turkey-based meal that day. Yeah, usually. Or sometimes we have ham. Well, yeah, but but nothing super big or fancy. No. Yeah. No decorations or anything like that. Uh, but like I said, you just went to that big family one a couple of years ago and you would like to do more of that. I would definitely not. But that's okay. I got to stay here and take care of my mom. <laughs> All righty. Uh, last question from Jack. Similar to Jack's Thanksgiving question, how do we celebrate Christmas growing up? Oh. Uh... That was not an extended thing. That was just me, Dad, Ryan, and Mom. And again, it was just the, hey, yeah, there's presents under the tree. We get up early, we go and um, rip them open, and then we go out into the street and play with them, whatever they were. <laughs> and uh, and I assume we had some kind of Christmas dinner. I don't really remember food being a part of it, but I'm sure it must have been. I, for me, it was just all about the presents. And, uh, yeah, and, and there, there were presents from aunts and uncles and whatnot under the tree, but nobody was there. Or Actually, that's not true. I think, yeah, because for a time, before we moved on the boat, when we were building the boat, we lived in the same small town. So we woke up, we would at some point go over to Grandma's house. That's right. And we would actually have dinner over there. And I think there was a second, now, wow, this is all coming back to me now. There would be a second round of the not immediate family presence. And yeah, it was like another mini Thanksgiving. Oh man, I totally forgot about that, but that totally did happen. And then we moved on the boat, and I don't think we made as big a deal out of it then. We still did the Thanksgiving stuff, but not the Christmas stuff. And then we moved to Washington, and by that point, my brother and I were teenagers, and we pretty much just stopped doing it. We had a tree, but there were no gift-giving or anything like that. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't, I don't, not that I recall. Not that I recall. And then when you and I got married, we oh. would just have a little small artificial tree or something like that, and no, we'd do we had presents a, for each other. We had a real tree for the first couple of them, and then it just, oh, it's it such just, a hassle. Yeah, just, yeah, it was like, oh, this is such a pain to clean up, and why are we doing this? Just, I mean, look, this artificial tree, we can just store it for a year. And so we did that, but there was eventually a point, sometime I would say in our early 30s, where Jen said, you know what? I'm just getting sick and tired of having to buy you presents for birthdays and Christmas. It is hard to shop for you. What do you think if we just stop doing this? And I'm like, yes, please. Although I had nothing to complain about. It's always been easy to get Jen stuff. Um, yeah. But she always had a hard time figuring out what to get I think me. that was well earlier. I think that was like 24, in the, in the 25. Mid, wow, really? Yeah, in because mid-20s. I read that book about the languages of love. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that was that was well earlier. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yep. And we both figured out that we neither one of us are expressed love or received love yeah. by gifts. Yeah. We were just going through the motions. Yep. Doing it. Societal programming. Yep. And we realized, well, this is a pain in the ass, and it costs a lot of money, and it's a lot of hassle. So, and why are we doing it? Just because that's what our parents did. We don't have to keep doing this. Yeah. So. So my my. Yes, your growing up Christmas. Yep, we always had stockings on the night before. Oh, you did your stockings the night before. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that was really fun. Um, I always really enjoyed that. We always, when I was a kid, got my sister and I would get the little, um, the little, uh, like crest toothpaste little travel size crest toothpaste and a new toothbrush in our stocking. Oh, that's exciting. And and there was the green kind what of crest. What child doesn't and dream the, of uh, proper it. dental hygiene on Christmas Eve? There was the green kind of crest and the red kind of crest. <laughs> so there would be big debates about who got which one. But anyway, so... <laughs> wow. Okay. Oh, it was really fun. No, that's that's cool. That's 
That's cool. Go That's on. cool. Yeah. Um, so, and of course, my mom was big into decorating the tree and all that. We yeah. had ornaments from her childhood and everything we would put up. And it was just, there was, it was definitely a really festive time. I, I look back on Christmases as being really lovely. Mm. Um, and then, you know, of course, Christmas morning, like everybody has. Mm. And I'm sure we must have done something um, for, for dinner. But actually, my parents left their parents in New York. Um, is basically when they got married and they went and both got like uh, all sorts of education degrees, master's degrees and PhDs and stuff. Um, and then moved in, settled in Washington state, which was a long, is a long way from New York. So we didn't have family get together oh, really? at all. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, my mother's mother would always send us, you know, a, a card with $10 in it or whatever, which was, wow. All that was really great. And I think maybe it was, wasn't until I was, I'm going to say 12 or 13 or 14. So I don't know. No, no, it must've been earlier than that. Anyway, that my, my mother's mother actually flew out for, an, oh. for something and mm. I met her in person. Wow. So, um, that was interesting, but they, I'm, I'm very, very grateful that my parents did what they did because otherwise, you know, I would have grown up in a little kind of Appalachian town, oh. um, and probably never left it and mm. been fairly close minded and, wow. you know, uh, yeah. So I'm very grateful that they took a chance and, Live their dreams. All right. Are you happy, Jack? Are you satisfied? Have you drilled deep? Have you found oil? All right. <laughs> peak oil. Yeah, peak oil. That was peak oil right and there. And these days for Christmas, every year, Jen oh. says, oh, we got to get the lights up. Okay, wait a minute. Because we have to put uh, you know outdoor lights just on the bush out front of the house so that we have a little bit of Christmas cheer. And what is it? It is the 6th of December, and we have yet to do that. Yeah. So that shows just what a priority it is. Yeah, well, it also has been raining and also a bit busy this year. But anyway... Um, the one other really cool Christmas tradition, um, once I moved back in with Dad and Nance, uh, Nance and I would go and buy these little ceramic houses that are painted. Nancy's you, your stepmom. Nancy's my stepmom. Yeah. And, um, but you put a light in it. And they were, they were Department 56 uh, Dickens Village stuff. Mm. And I got a huge collection of that. So that was also a big part of uh, the winter holidays yes, for me. Yes, getting was, those out and keeping them set up for... A month. Three months, I'm thinking, because I think I did November, December, January. And we used to have a pool table in our house when we lived in um, Seattle, and I would take over the whole pool table for this um, Dickens Village. And it was lovely and wonderful and uh, just... Oh, so, so great. It's only December 6th. We could do it right now. And I do have, it's, so my sister stored it all when I was, when we were in (laughs) overseas. So it's out in the garage. Yeah. Yep. Okay. First, we got to clean up the garage so we can get to it. There you go. All right. We're moving on. Kevin has loved the podcast for many years and enjoys the personal section more than the board gaming content. Hmm. We're wholesome uh, people. The way we interact is so beautiful. Anyway, uh, like all the people we have stress in our lives, we're wondering, how do we, how do you and I, Honey Pie, deal with stress? You know that Jen loves tea. Mm. And uh, so, does she have any recommendations for stress relieving tea? And Richard, you must have been very stressed in your past life. How did you deal with it then? Uh, thank you for all the happy hours of listening. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I had a very stressful job, incredibly stressful. And I don't think I really had any. Uh, the, 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 the only real mechanism I had for dealing with it was that Jen and I had an agreement that I didn't have to bring my work home. Jen wanted desperately to know what was going on with with 80% of my life mm. was a black box to her. 
but it was so frustrating and so stressful. Uh, and I was like, honey, this is the only way I can deal with it is just to be able to completely turn it off for a few hours a day and come home and just be with you and pretend it doesn't exist before I have to go back in the next day. Please don't make me relive it. And so Jen, that was a sacrifice for her. And you said, okay, I'll, I'll, we'll just we'll, we'll just be here in the moment and then I won't see you again for 20 hours <laughs> or for three days, depending on what, I mean, my, my record was... Uh, spending three, sleeping three nights on the floor. Or no, I, there, we had a couch in that job on the couch at work, so I could just stay and pretty much in a twenty-four hour period sleep for four hours, and then spend the remaining twenty hours working nonstop, and uh, just talking to her on the phone briefly every day. Yeah, or I'd bring it. you dinner in, yeah. or... or you would come in and, and we'd have dinner in my office or what, or at my table or what have you, and then I'd keep on working, and then I'd go to sleep at two in the morning, and I'd get up at six, uh, so that I was working before anybody else showed up. Uh, it was a big part of it was, you know... Um, and that's when I was playing EverQuest. And Jen was playing a lot of EverQuest. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, it was very stressful. But except for when I was at Lionhead working with Peter Molyneux, I don't really remember having that hard of a time with the stress. Yeah. I, I Just being able to just dealing with it, just rolling with it. It's just, oh, this is the way it is. It's not like it's, it's, not, it's not like I'm, you know, in a war-torn country or anything like that. It's just a lot of hard work. And, yeah, it's a lot of personalities I have to juggle and a lot of... Of uh, 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 compromises I have to make, but uh, it was, the only time it ever really got to me was near the end of Fable Two, <clears throat> and on that game, for the first time, I actually started having. Uh, did I have? Did I get an ulcer? I don't remember. I, I remember my eye for the first time in my life. My eyes started twitching just all the time. I just get this terrible twitch, and I think I had high blood pressure, and I don't remember if I had an ulcer or not. But I think you started taking some antacids for your. Your upset tummy, and yeah, stuff. yeah, which had never happened before. And it's not like Fable was a harder job or a harder game to make than the other ones. It was a bigger one. It was my biggest project I ever worked on. But the biggest problem was working with Peter Molyneux, who I very much like as a person, but as a boss, it was kind of a problem because I always said I have all the responsibility of this game and I have no control. And I ran the job, and he know. would mercurially change things. Yeah, yeah. So and every other job, I mean, I had the responsibility and I had the control, and that's what. I don't know, I just rose to the occasion and I was able to deal with it. But yeah, no tricks, no no, you know, pressing the you know, the but you know, the Reiki <laughs> techniques or tap none none of that. None. I just I just there, there was no time to be stressed. There was just too much work to do, basically. You just got through it. Yeah. Uh you know, time enough for stress in the grave. Don't worry about it then. But what about you, Honey Pie? How do you deal with stress? Um You probably have more concrete. Yeah, I mean, there's all that stuff about deep breathing and, mm -hmm. you know, reminding yourself it really doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. <coughs> uh, so that's that's good. I think what happens with me if I don't deal with stress, and, and this is something I, I definitely noticed in my mother, too, is that it builds up until it erupts. Mm. And I think there's probably been four or five occasions in our marriage of 30 years where I haven't dealt with it <laughs> and I erupted. And he had to deal with the fallout of that. And he did very well. He, he knows how to handle me now. But um, it's, it's mainly, it, and it's almost entirely all me. It's me figuring out how to deal with my internal stuff. Mm -hmm. But I need help with that sometimes. And occasionally you just push my buttons in such a way that <laughs> it comes out at you, I guess. But um, being loving... And, and looking at long-term things, I think, and, and realizing that in the grand scheme of things, there's very little that actually does matter. It's okay. important. All right. Cool. All right. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that, Kevin. Hopefully that was of some use. Hi, Lance. 
Lance uh, knows we're big fans of Survivor. Hey, it just made Jen's top five. Yeah. Uh, right, which is Lance's family's favorite show to watch as well. Uh, Lance just wanted to see if we've been watching the new season. If so, what do we think so far? Oh, I feel so sorry for those people. <laughs> God, nothing's, nothing as they expect. Oh, yeah, because this, uh, for folks who don't know, Survivor, reality TV show, people stranded doing challenges. This is the season where they decide to mix stuff up and, you know, reinvent things and throw in all kinds of new twists and, and also make them suffer more because they don't get as much support from the, uh, the crew. Yeah, they get crew. no food at all. Yeah, I mean, so they're really much more on their own. It's a, it's a shorter season. So it's mm. it's intended, it's desi by design, try to be more stress-inducing mm. and drama-creating because they're just putting people through the paces more and then also just upsetting equilibrium um, and constantly making them have to react to all kinds of strange and unusual circumstances that have never happened in the 30-some years. So what do you think of the new season, Ify? I do like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. and actually, comparing it, we'd watch Australian Survivor. Yes, we just watched uh, season eight of uh, which we'd never seen before. Mm. But for some reason, we just started watching it, and yeah. and, and 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 that is a more traditional. Yeah. Survivor. But the, also contrasting that those guys had tons of food. I don't even know that anybody lost weight on that Survivor show. <laughs> and then our our poor Americans come and they ate no rice at mm. all. Yep. So I feel really sorry for him. Um, but it seems like it's a it's a really interesting show. There's been a lot of interesting social commentary that's come up during it. Sure. Which I think has been really interesting. Um, yeah. So I'm, I like it. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, there are people definitely out there who are saying, this is the worst season of Survivor ever because it's uh, it's too focused on the gimmicks and it's getting away from the people and you know how um, you know the, the situations are supposed to evolve naturally out of people playing a game. And I don't get that. I, I mean, you know, everything about Survivor is artificial. Mm. Everything about it is staged in such a way to try to generate maximum drama from people in tough situations. Uh, you know, everything, I shouldn't say staged, but designed to do that. And they're just doing that more openly now uh, to try to basically in half the time get twice as much drama I think it's working I definitely as a game designer myself I very much enjoy seeing all the new gimmicks actually to be fair in that season of Australian Survivor we just watched there were a lot of very cool new gimmicks there also you know alternatives to just the immunity idol or what have you and so but yeah they're really I'm doing lots of very cool things that mix things up that force the players to respond um, in non traditional ways and yeah I, I i've really enjoyed it quite a bit and i, I think uh it's uh been a lot of fun totally and there's i mean in most seasons of survivor there are so wow there's just not much going on this week is there <laughs> this is just one of those filler episodes where you know somebody's going to be gone at the end of the week but really otherwise it's just going to maintain you know it's, mm -hmm. it's just going to be par for the course no big events are going to happen and you know sometimes two or three episodes ago that has not been the case this no. this ep season every episode big game shattering stuff happens and you know in previous episodes they always try to make it look like that but then it's like, oh, well, yeah, nothing changed, did it? It could have changed, but nothing changed. Mm -hmm. Here, things are... I, I, I've been enjoying it, definitely. And you have as well, you said. Yep. Okay. Uh, then Lance continues with a uh, further email that I combined into two because we've had a couple months backed up here. Thanks for taking my email about drinking into the mic seriously. I am the same Lance that manages radio stations and teach podcasting at university. I asked for feedback and wanted to say all the methods that I tried sounded great. And I am. I'm sure you've noticed, Lance. I'm trying to be more consistent about that. Um, I'm, not, I'm not always going to, but I'm trying. What is that? You're slurping in your water? Oh, yeah, yeah. Water? yeah you know, um, I, 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 I thought it was Paulo, but apparently it was Lance. So I think Paulo and Lance both complained at the same time that... <laughs> was uh, was a bit much. 
Because, you know, I mean, right now the, the mic is way over there, but yeah. normally it's like right, it's just right off camera, right there. Yeah. And, um, and it just picked that up and, and most people don't care, but for some people it was just, it was just horrible. So I'm also trying to uh, drink with a little bit less gusto as well. <laughs> Um, oh gosh, I hope I haven't been paying attention because now the mic's right underneath my. Well, no, I mean, I, I don't think it's fine. It's, 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 okay. it's because I'm sucking on the thing. It's because it's a straw and all that. Anyway, also <laughs> wanted to ask, had a couple of YouTube uh, about a couple of YouTube channels. It seems like things we'd enjoy. Uh, you've heard me speak about empathy and how important it is. Thought these would be up my alley. Soft white underbelly a YouTube channel is a guy who was a successful product photographer and started doing interviews with people on Skid Row and Appalachia. Uh, there are others, but those are his main focuses. He just follows people telling their stories, coming out for someone just trying to care about people. That sounds great. I'll have to take a look at it. And Yes Theory is another channel. It's a little more hip than Soft White Underbelly, but the same base of empathy in their content. That sounds great. I will definitely check both those out. Okay. I've not heard or seen of either of them. I have to admit, the probably 90% of what I watch on YouTube is board game content, uh, you know, uh, news of the day, uh, politics stuff, and and movie pop culture stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, the closest I get to stuff like this is uh, Vice will often, you know, take some of their, their segments for their regular show, which I don't watch anymore. I used to watch it every night, uh, but now I just watch the outtakes that they put on their YouTube channel and whatnot. But those sound cool. I will definitely check them out. Anyway, Matilda says, as a Ted Lasso fan, what's our take on Nate mm. in season two? Uh, what can we learn from his behavior? What do we think the writers want us to see through the way that they have had him evolve? All right, folks. Is there any way we can talk about this without spoiling? Uh, or can we talk about it generally? Well, I mean, the most interesting thing to me is, I mean, you know, Nate definitely does evolve as a character quite a bit. And the thing is, at the end of the season, it is revealed the, uh, you know, the, the culmination of that and the ramifications for what he goes through. And for the most part, throughout the season, it's really downplayed. And um, you know, I, I'm sure for a lot of people, it kind of comes out of nowhere in the 11th hour. What, what, what is going on with Nate? Where did this come from? And really, if you go back and watch, I think it was a conscious choice on the part of the filmmakers that we as an audience didn't quite pick up on it as much because Ted doesn't pick up on it as much. Mm. We are, you know, I mean, that it's easy for us to lose track because, oh, we're, we're, you know, Nate is a supporting character. And, you know, I mean, there are hints dropped, but they're not like really big, obvious, oh, look at that. Yeah. Um, they're just more subtle. It's just like, well, it's, and it almost just was like, oh, yeah, those are, that's just a funny scene. It's just a funny scene in a, in a, in a comedy, no big deal. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's been scenes like that before, there'll be scenes like that after, but you put them all together and it adds up. And uh, I think it is actually a very important element. Um, that to, to ask what is it the writers are saying is how we can turn a blind eye to what um, our friends and loved ones are going through. And, uh, and it can have huge consequences for everyone. And so I do think that's the underlying thread mm -hmm. there. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's also interesting that, you know, the, the, uh, we just talked about me erupting, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that is him not yeah. having his, his needs met. Yep. And, because and, it's Nate. It's Nate. Yeah, everything's Nate. fine. It's yeah. Nate. Look at that. I mean, he's he's already had such a great thing happen to him. Why could he possibly be angry about yeah. anything? Yeah, and great and things are happening to him in the season as, we as well. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, and he's having some setbacks and all. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. 
It'll be interesting to see how that all works out. Yep. Next Trying not to spoil anything. Nate doesn't die or anything. Don't, don't worry. But um, things happen, definitely. Okay. Melanie has mentioned, or I mentioned in the last podcast, I could talk about the Eternals for days. Now, this has been the most divisive Marvel film ever. Why do I think it's been so poorly received by fans? Uh, many who say it's very unmarvel-like. See this article for one thesis, and it's on uh, Variety.com. Uh, Chloe Zhao's Eternals worst MC movie. Why? Well, first of all, that's ridiculous. It is not the worst MC movie of at all. That is. That is an absurd uh, statement when you try to put it up against some of the films. When you put it up against The Incredible Hulk or Thor 2 or, you know, I mean, the, the, the lessers. I mean, it, I'm not saying it's the best. I would say it's just, it's definitely solid mid-tier, upper-tier film. As to why, it is because, I mean, well, you've covered it right here. They say it's unmarvel-like, and it is. Uh, I got exactly what I wanted out of that movie. Honey, do you remember? I can't remember the name of the movie. It was a very... It was a movie that I was really worried you wouldn't like, but we hadn't watched it anyway. This is a call back to earlier where Jen just doesn't like movies. It was the movie about the woman who lived by herself in a mobile home and just drove around. Um, or not a mobile home, in a, in a, it was actually it was the, in a van. The lady w yeah, who worked she, at you know, She seasonally worked for Amazon, yeah. but then she had to go down south. Yep. And it was just her just having interactions with people who lived that nomad. I think it was called Nomads. I forget. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I remember it. And you really liked that movie, right? Yeah. That woman, that female director, directed a Marvel movie. Oh. And you can tell that woman directed a Marvel movie because it's not like anything else Marvel's ever done. It is very... It's the longest movie they've ever done. It's almost three hours long, which Nomads was as well. And that's going to drive me nuts. What was the name of her? the movie that she won an Oscar for? Um, IMDb, Z-H-O-E... Uh, I could have done Eternals. I should have done that. Um, or is, uh, No. Oh, it's Chloe. Chloe's out. C H L O E Z H A O S. Uh, was it Nomads? D T T. The movie she directed was Nomad Land. I was close. So I mean, I went in hoping to see a Marvel meets Nomads Land type movie, and that's exactly what I got. I think the greatest strength of the Marvel. Uh, um, Industrial complex is that every movie they do something completely new and different. Winter Soldier was a political thriller. Um, Ant Man was a heist movie. You know, all you know, all these kind of things. They don't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And uh, Eternals is a thoughtful and somber, introspective look at the nature of humanity in a Marvel superhero movie. And yet, oh, and uh, oh, I gotta in, go. Jen's gotta go. I What's, gotta go. Okay. I gotta go right now. All right. Bye-bye. We'll have to pick this up in a moment, folks, from your perspective. Well, okay, don't worry. Everything's fine. Jen, her phone just buzzed at her and reminded her she had an acupuncture appointment in 15 minutes, and the place is 20 minutes away. And uh, she just completely forgot that she had that booked for today. So, um, and Jen hasn't seen Eternals anyway, so what was I just saying? I'll finish this, and then we'll wait for Jen to get back. And if anybody would like to know about acupuncture, you can certainly ask that. Send questions to questionsaround.com, and Jen can maybe talk next episode about her ongoing experience in the world of acupuncture, including how we can afford to do it for free. Whee! Because uh, I don't think we would be paying for it. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So, yeah, Eternals, it is the furthest away from anything Marvel has ever done. Uh, it is exactly what anybody would expect it should be. Uh, it, uh, you know, based on having watched Nomadland. And I have not watched any of her other films. Songs My Brother Taught Me, The Rider, Daughters, Atlas Mountain, and Post. I have not seen any of those. Oh, most of those are short films. But 
Uh, I love that Marvel keeps reinventing itself. I love that they are um, bold in um, you know the actions they they are taking. And uh, yeah, the game this gets the furthest away from their formula, and I think. People don't like change, and that's a shame because I thought it was fantastic. I was transfixed from start to finish. But then, as I said earlier in this very episode, I was also transfixed by nine hours of the Beatles. Let it be. So, I like deep, long, soulful, somber um, explorations of human nature, and that's what this uh, does. There are key moments where revelations, and I'm not talking about plot twists or anything like that, but where observations are made about our species that just hit me like a ton of bricks, that you know make me look at the world in different ways. I don't expect that from a superhero movie, but I'm happy to have it. I think most people were like, can we just have more of the beat-em-ups, please? And the more, can we get more Tony Stark um, witty japes and, and, and fun, silly stuff? I don't know. Maybe I should take a look at this article. But I don't care. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry if there are people who don't like it. Too bad, so sad for them. I thought it was fantastic. As I understand it, it has done fantastically well at the box office. It's really... So the audiences, by and large, have spoken that they're happy with it. I'm sure Marvel is very... It's not their biggest hit ever, but it is definitely a Marvel-sized hit. It is. It was not a disappointment financially at all. It's just... It got a critical drubbing. And I don't know. Why, why would critics not respect and reward them for taking um, big chances. I, I couldn't tell you. I don't really read reviews anymore. If I were to do a video about the Eternals, I would just talk about what it meant to me, what it has to say about humanity, and of course the, you know, the, the art of the filmmaking too. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. I watched... Uh, I saw it and Dune right around the same time. And I don't understand. I mean, Dune, I thought, was a snooze fest. I, um, you know, nothing happens. Nothing is said. It's just rote going, you know, just by the number storytelling of a story that I've already heard 30 years ago when I saw Lynch's Dune. And I just, I, I look at it and say, okay, it's beautifully crafted. It's one of those movies where you could pause almost any single frame of the film and you'd say, oh, I could hang that on the wall. And the same is true for The Eternals. And you don't expect that from a Marvel movie. Uh, but anyway, it's weird. I mean, that everybody lavishes Dune with so much praise and then pilloried Eternals, when for me it was the exact opposite. Uh, that, you know, uh, you know, other than just craftsmanship, Dune brought nothing really interesting to the table. Eternals is beautifully crafted and it has soul. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. So Melanie, I, I can't say, uh, who knows what goes through the, the minds of these, uh, these silly, silly, I guess I probably should read a few, but I just don't care. I'm really looking forward to watching it with Jen. Um, to see, because like I said, she really loved Nomad, Nomadland, and I didn't expect her to. Okay, but anyway, uh, and now it would be time to move on to Rachel, but this is not the uh, Rado podcast, this is the Rado and Jen portion of the podcast. So, let's see, it looks like I'm coping with parents getting older. All right, so this is probably going to be some stuff with Jen too. So, um, we're going to take a break, folks, and we'll be back a little bit later. Okay, we're back. It's many hours later. Many things have happened in the interim, <laughs> and we're going to try and pick up where we left off with a question. There's a whole new cup of tea. A whole new cup of tea has been filled. Same and warmed, cup, though. And, and uh, it is the same beautiful cup. Uh, all shimmery and lovely and warm. Yeah. Okay, Rachel. has actually wanted to ask this question for a few months, but keeps putting it off. We both seem to be try to look on the bright side of thing types, and so she values our perspective. The question... 
How have we both coped with parents that are getting older and having to watch them with their health struggles? How do you get through watching your parents' inevitable health decline? I don't want to be a downer, but it's something I'm struggling with myself. Yeah, wow, that is a real, that's a really hard thing. Yeah. So, I don't think I've ever said this, but my mom passed away Yeah. after we got back, and uh, she had cancer, so... She had decided not to uh, do all of the chemo and all that stuff. She just wanted to um, live her life the way uh, she wanted to up until the end. Yeah. And, you know, that was as drug-free as possible, basically. So the nice thing, if you can call it that, about cancer is that it does, or at least in my mom's case, it took her fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And um, so she was cognizant up until the end. She was herself up until the end. Um, she was able to make her own decisions. She, you know, she managed her own health. She, she went the way that she wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And up until, you know, including ordering you out of the room, basically. Yeah. She did not want me there when she, when she was passing. Mm-hmm. So I was and that able was to, a, that was a choice she made to basically make it easier on you. She didn't yeah. want to know as she was going that, you know, how, she was she, how hard it was for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. That's sort of the last gift she gave me. So, um, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where Jen was going with that, but let's talk about all the sad stuff um, while we're at it. Okay. Uh, yeah, she was great. Um, let's see. So yeah, my dad died a few years ago while we were still in Malta. Um, actually his declining health is one of the things that basically set us on such a radical life path. I mean, radically changed our lives. And for the better, as a weird, serendipitous, yeah. uh, circuitous series of events um, that directly led to Rado Runs Through, as it happens. But uh, my mom, of course, is still with us. She is in her mid-70s, 73, I think, yeah, 73. And she suffers from congenital heart disease. And she also has a very, very rare genetic disorder called HHT. And those two things are an insanely powerful one-two combo because all the normal... Um, heart health treatments that medicine can provide, she cannot use because they all involve blood thinners and those will kill her. So she struggles mightily. I mean, that's the reason we came back to try to help her with that. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Jen lost her mom and Jen's dad is on a bit of a decline as well. Uh, He's in his late 70s, I think. 79 just yesterday. Yeah, I just turned 79 yesterday. Jen went down to see him and have a happy birthday. And uh, he's had a, f- a few, a big stroke and a few mini strokes. And he's basically just getting weaker. And he's not quite as sharp as he used to be. And he was always such a sharp guy. So that's hard for everybody as well. So, yeah, I mean, we're in our 50s. This is uh, what happens to most people in their 50s when their parents hit their 70s. Uh, or a lot of people anyway. And it is tough. There's no choice about it. I guess one thing is... As hard as it is, we're both really glad we're here, you know, Um, because if we were still on the other side of the world, uh, you know, I mean, Jen basically spent, uh, you know, uh, uh, 2019 and 2020 so much time with her mom because you knew it was coming and wouldn't have been able to do that if we were still living in Malta. So while we had come over originally to help my mom. Um, in her uh, twilight years, uh, it's uh, been really good that Jen has been able to spend a lot more time with her mom and now with her dad. And that's really kind of what we focus on, just trying to have as much quality time with them as we can and be thankful, um, I guess. 
uh, you know, we, we had this very specific circumstance where we were able, you know, and, and with the help of a lot of you folks, too. I mean, I mean, a lot of you support the show. We were able to basically uproot our lives and, you know, travel half around the world so that my mom could move with us so we could take care of her. Uh, and coincidentally, Jen's folks lived down in Arizona. But just at the time, at the beginning of Corona, they were up here visiting, um, you know, family in Oregon. And they're still staying at that family's house. Yep. They, what was supposed to be a long weekend is now a year and a <laughs> half. Uh, and they've basically moved into uh, you know, a converted gigantic garden shed for all intents and purposes. Because for the longest time they couldn't go back. And they're like, well, maybe we should just stay here. And I think they're now thinking about selling their place in, in Arizona. Um, so which is, you know, uh, you know, obviously problematic for them. But... It means, you know, they're, they're just down in central Oregon. We're in southern Washington, so Jen's getting to see them every month. Yeah. And uh, We actually try and have lunch every other week. Yeah, every, yeah, every couple of weeks. We meet them halfway. Uh, you know, they drive up, we drive down, and we, we have a nice lunch together. And, you know, that's the most we've seen them regularly in years. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, all we can do, I guess, is just not focus on how hard it is and just try, um, you know, and, and not focus on our problems and and how it affects us but you know just help them with you know and and try to be there for them uh you know as they're going through that and just try to you know do whatever we can to lift their spirits and be thankful that we have the chance i guess i don't have anything to add to that hang pie um the only thing i would add is just seize the time while you've got it because once they're gone they're gone Mm -hmm. yes uh yeah i wish we had a we had some better one, two, three uh, steps to take, but yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard for everybody. Um, let's see. Uh, continuing on, Rachel then uh, pivots and says, "Since I'm a fan of Batman Beyond, or Fat Man Beyond, which is a podcast Jen's never heard of, <laughs> uh, but I talked about in the last episode, you've heard this already. Uh, but it's a fun question. If uh, if Jen and I could advertise any fictional product on the podcast, what would it be, and what would the ad sound like?" <laughs> I have no idea. I Jen has left the room, Rachel. Uh, I don't think... Uh, well, he's probably on the first question, not the second question. I'll be honest. I'm not a fan of those hypothetical questions. That um, and I've actually stopped watching the end of Fat Man Beyond. Because it used to be, uh, you know, when, when uh, it became a regular thing with Kevin and Mark, that they would, you know, the audience questions were all about, uh, you know, their careers and working in Hollywood and, you know, behind the scenes stuff about movies and stuff that I was really interested in. But the problem was, inevitably, the audience would always ask questions to Kevin and Mark really couldn't answer. And that was, you know, because nobody knew who Mark was. And so they kind of, over time, pivoted to throwing all these weird uh, hypotheticals, uh, you know, well, who would win in a fight type stuff. And, I mean, I guess the audience really loves that stuff. I mean, obviously, uh, Mark and Kevin almost seem like they have a competition to come up with the best solutions. I hate that stuff. I find it completely uninteresting, and now I skip the Q&A section at the end, which is probably for the best, because it's already a very long show anyway. And uh, so not only do I dislike it on that show, I don't have a good answer. I mean, my brain doesn't work that way. I, I, I have never been the creative impetus behind any of the games. I've always had to have creative co-designers because my attitude has always been, look, I'm just here trying to creatively solve problems. How, how can we, you know, and my, my design chops are not what my strengths were. So I don't know if I have a good answer. I have something. But Jen has come up with something. Jen is perhaps a bit more creative than me. Honey, what uh, fictional product would you like to advertise on the podcast? Um, be nice spray. Be nice spray. Okay. Yep. And that's if you see, you know, the, the Karen. Mm-hmm. being mean oh. or you know just somebody who's being absolutely outlandish and crazy you could give them a little squirt of the be nice spray and they would 
come to their senses. Ah, I see. Okay. I don't know how functional it is, but you know what? Uh, that will make me think of something. Pooby Gone, which was a fictional product in an old comedy with Jack Black, if I recall correctly. He became rich because he developed a spray called Pooby Gone, and you just spray it on the poo, and it would just vaporize instantly. Mm. And, I mean, you can imagine how amazing that God, would be. God, that'd be great for dog walking. I know, that's the point. That, that's what, that was the whole point of the uh, thing. It was just, you know, for dog mm. walking. Well, I imagine it probably had all sorts well, of applications. Well, think about all the sewage system issues that would Indeed. could be avoided. Yes. It turned out, as the movie went on, um, the poo was not quite gone. And it caused other problems and all of that. Oh. And, and that's something you had to deal with. But I always thought, wow, what an amazing product. I would totally want to get that every time I have to bend down with a green bag around my hand. Yeah, I guess we could I, just take a, like, an... Uh, flamethrower or something on dog walks with us and we can just incinerate it immediately <laughs> that's an early prototype perhaps yeah all righty oh and then also rachel wanted to know if we watched get backed we already uh talked about that a bit earlier okay top is now and you'll notice here's question one and then goes to one d e and f because we've already oh, done yeah, one c. a b and c but one actually i don't think one was a question that was just setting the stage uh, feel free to skip any controversial oh. stuff. I don't want to get in trouble. But Toph is in this weird time warp where he's like two years behind on talk-throughs. So he's these days listening to us talk about whatever we were talking about two years ago. Haven't even gotten to the COVID. Haven't gotten to uh, you know my controversial episode 69 or the uh, the episode 70. I mean, so Toph's got a roller coaster ahead of him on the podcast. But, uh, and eventually... He'll get to this stuff, whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know when. In two years from now, I suppose. Alrighty. Um, so, this is a continuation of the stuff he was asking earlier. If I stopped doing Rado and board gaming, how would I fill my time? I would watch a lot more. I, I know what I would do. I've said this. I've been saying this for years. I would read. Uh, because I used to be such a voracious reader. Growing up, I read tons and tons of books. I mean, I've spent my whole childhood with my nose in a book. My parents were always worried that I was letting my childhood go because I was spending too much time just, you know, reading. And um, in college, I when I met Jen, I mean, she knows I was a voracious reader. Yep. You know, as much if not more so than her. But by uh, working in the video game industry, pretty much ended that. And I always thought, oh, when I eventually quit, when I eventually retire from the video game industry, and I'm not working average 60 to 70 hours uh, a week, 52 weeks a year, I'll finally have time to rekindle my passion for reading. And I kind of did, except now I spend all my time reading board game manuals. And I just found another job that completely gobbles up any time I would have for just reading. I mean, I've got a million books that Jen has been suggesting. You should read this and read this. And, this. and it used to be I would read the books she suggested. But now I just, I, I, do you know how long it takes to read these rule books? It's hard. <laughs> she says, you can read some of the rule books. And I go, um. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, no, she, she never takes so. me up on that offer. <laughs> um, so yeah, that would certainly be it. I would, I would, I would imagine I would finally get back. What was the last book I actually read? Real book. For a brief window, when I was still at Splash Damage, they gave us these little promotional, um, you know, e-readers oh, uh, yeah. that had Brink on it, you know, which was the title of my name. They're like Brink e-readers, and I don't remember what came on it, but uh, I ended up getting one because they were you know, promo objects for uh, press for some reason. That had to do with us. I have no idea, but I ended up getting one, and I really became addicted to that for a while. And I actually, I did start reading quite a bit, and then I well, um, but then you were. At least two hours to get to work and two hours. Oh yeah, it's because I had that huge commute every day. Yeah. Yes, uh, you know the two-hour train ride there back from Guilford to Bromley, and so I started reading. But then the e-reader got stolen at an airport because I just left it. I, I put it down on one, one piece of luggage while I went to grab the other piece of luggage from the carousel, and when I came back, it was gone. The luggage was there, just not the e-reader. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. And I then I just stopped again. 
So, well, I think the last thing I read on that was uh, Carthy, uh, McCormick McCarthy's, I forget, uh, the, the, you know, the author, uh, The Road, which was very depressing, but it was, oh, it was so riveting. Uh, I really, really do enjoy reading, and I would love to do it some more. Um, Honey Pie, if you stopped playing board games, why would you fill your time? I guess you would do more of what you already do. Yeah, I'm already doing what I want to do. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I'm the one who doesn't have time to, to do that. Alrighty. Um, oh, would I play video games again? Uh, Tom knows I've mentioned I don't like playing video games due to my experience and insight making them. But am I avoiding games because I really dislike them or simply because time is taken? It's interesting. I might. I guess. I have no enthusiasm for it whatsoever. For a brief window when we got our Oculus Quest, as I, everybody kept saying, oh, you got to try it. This virtual reality will change your life. And I did. And I, I played several games. And that was nice, but I didn't, ha I didn't feel compelled to keep going back. Uh, I like the Vader Immortal thing and a few other little games, but it's just nothing was compelling. And, I mean, I, I still kind of very obliquely, tangentially know what's going on in the video game industry. And every time I see something new, everybody's excited about it. Like, I don't think I want to play. I, 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 maybe, I, I would certainly try. I would try, but I don't have high hopes that I would find any enthusiasm to go back to it. But you never know. Never say never. If I were to play video games, what types of games uh, would I be most interested in? Um... I, I, I can't answer that. I, I don't, I don't Cooperative fun things like peaches and cream. Uh, sure, yes, that's true. Um, putting aside your, oh, what if Jen died stuff. I think that was you. I forget who posited it. Uh, if Jen was still here, yes, I imagine that's probably true. Should we just call this the death and destruction? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, happy holidays, everybody. Um, I imagine, yes, as Jen said, I would try to find... Because that's what we used to do a lot of. And we, we used, really enjoyed that. Yeah, we used to play a lot of cooperative video games together. And Jen really... I mean, that's how she became, got into EverQuest. Because I was playing it, and she was trying to play it cooperatively with me. And then mm. she stayed when I got out. So, yeah. Cooperative stuff that Jen and I would... I, I could I could What was the last... Remember we... Uh, after I did my top ten video games uh, a few years ago... Yeah. A bunch of people said, Oh, you should try this and this and this and this, Rado. And I tried all of them. And the only one that actually, I think, caught a glimmer of interest from us was Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes or something like that. Remember, uh, Isn't you... Isn't that a podcast? You, no, no, no. That's, that's it's, it is a, There's a board game based on it. Maybe it's probably a podcast too. But oh. you were playing a digital game. You had a bomb with all kinds of levers and switches oh, and yeah, countdowns. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I had a physical printout. Yep. And you would say, okay, do I do the blue or the green wire? And I'd say, well, okay, how many blue wires are there? <laughs> and, um, okay, um, if you look on the bottom, what's the serial number? And I had all this stuff I had to look up. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. We, I, we played that for one afternoon. <coughs> never went back. Could have. Never did. I don't know why. But we enjoyed it for an afternoon. Do we still have it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, I forget, it was like 10 bucks or something like that. And a, yeah. and a printout. Yeah, that was nice. I mean, and now you can play it in VR. So you can actually put the goggles Ooh. on and you can see the whole thing of the bombs in front of you. And you're actually literally not just using your mouse, but grabbing the bomb and twisting it and mm. doing all kinds of stuff. Cool. While the other person still has a piece of paper they're having to read from. <laughs> and guess who gets to do that? <laughs> That's okay. Uh, He's got to make it fun for me. <laughs> all right. Uh, honey, without yes. me, would you at all take up video games? Probably pretty unlikely. Yeah? Yeah. I think... Um, I do enjoy board gaming. I like sitting across the table from people and, you know, getting up and having a cup of tea together and maybe having dinner together and all of that. I, I enjoy the more social <coughs> aspects. And I don't think with video games you get that. You can, but, I mean, well, obviously, no. you, you had a lot of social aspects in EverQuest. That's true, but... Uh, yep. Okay. Has Jen played any of my video games? And if so, what is her reaction? 
I have played some of your video games, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I like the ones I like. Mostly, yep. um, what's Harry? Pitfall Harry. Pitfall Harry, yes. My favorite. Although awesome. it was called uh, Pitfall the Lost Expedition. It was supposed to be called Pitfall Harry, but they changed the title um, to Pitfall the Lost Expedition. Yes, that was Jen's favorite. She also, You also really liked Fable 2. Oh, absolutely. The Fables were good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that was it. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise you've done Obviously, shooting, it's a lots of games. violent shoot-em-ups. Shoot and, and Jen's reaction to that is, please don't remind me that a sizable amount of our good fortune in our lives is because of that. <laughs> Those are the guns I've owned right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Um... If I if one were made available to play, which one would you play? Oh, yeah. Pitfall Harry. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, which of my games would you be most... Okay, yeah. Uh, we've discussed at length that Jen doesn't remember details of books, movies, etc. to a great extent, especially compared to me. Yep. Does this extend to other aspects of life? For example, shared experiences. Does she remember things more or less vividly than me? Mm. That's an interesting question. Because hmm. it's definitely true. Uh, you have this weird ability to... Five years later, read a book and remember nothing. And it's like almost like you're reading it for the first time. And same for movies. Or you, just, you have just the barest. Whereas me, I'm just like, okay, I'm just waiting for that scene to happen. I'm just waiting for that moment. <laughs> and it's just it's hard for me to go back. I don't know if that applies over to real life stuff. I think we both tend to remember different things about vacations. And I think we're always, whenever a topic comes up, you know, it's either I'm surprising her or something I remember or she's surprising me for something I, she remembers. Right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I would say it's quite... I mean... I guess Jen ha devotes less of her memory banks to superfluous, meaningless, useless information like plot points of Star Wars or what have you, <laughs> or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She just, I mean, she saves her brain power for remembering the real things that happen to her in real life. Yeah, or like that this color reacts with that color. Oh, yes, or yeah. So, um, no, I would <laughs> say we're both... I, 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 I've certainly never noticed that one of us has better recall than the other. What about a long and complicated series of novels or TV shows? Do you remember all the details between seasons, or do you avoid shows like that? I do not remember the all the details between seasons. We mm -hmm. usually do a, a refresh when yep. a, when a new season starts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no. Nope. Yeah, shows should do a better job of doing those season refreshes previously on. So they almost never do a good job these days. It's much better to go to the internet because chances are Some, somebody's done yeah. a really great job of it on YouTube that is proper. But, you know, the, the ones on the shows are trying to get it all down in 45 seconds and on YouTube. Okay, I'm going to take you 10 minutes and walk you through the last season. And it's like, okay, that's what we need to remember all that stuff. Like, uh, we just finished watching season two of The Great. And I have to admit, I mean, they didn't have any previously on. I figured, oh, I kind of remember the show. And like for like the first three episodes, I was like, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> Jeez, well, I mean, I kind of thought I remembered what happened, but I didn't remember half the stuff. And it ultimately kind of came back to me. Yeah. And I didn't care for that at all. I regretted not having sought out a The Great yeah, that probably uh, you know, summary. Good. Because it just wasn't, I mean, what was there just didn't work for us. All righty. Uh, but you don't avoid complex shows, honey. No, I. no, no. Yeah. We just use memory aids. Uh, let's see. Are the Harry Potter books an exception? Uh, how well do you remember those? You must, I mean, you, yeah, you have read and or listened to on tape those books. At least 20 times. 20 times. Yeah. Do you remember every single little persnickety detail? Would you win any Harry Potter trivia contest you entered? Well, it depends on how recently I've listened to him. Probably really? not. I, I think, th I think it's fading. That, that fades away, too. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I did not know that. 
Uh, even though you're not interested in playing video games, are you still interested in video game news, uh, video game releases, new types of developments? Not really. Like I said, I, I, it's, I, I pay attention to pop culture in general, so if something kind of breaks through, I, I kind of pick up on it, or people are talking about it. I, well, okay, what's that about? What's this hot game? What's this Fortnite? Which I know is no longer you know, the, the beat news of the day. But when, I, when, it, when it eventually filtered down to me, I guess I should look at what this Fortnite is and why everybody's so excited about it. But no, I don't seek it out, and I don't tend to find too much. Are there any new video game elements you find interesting enough to try? No, not that I've stumbled across. Thoughts on the video game controversy, such as Blizzard, etc.? My thoughts are, I literally, I have no idea. I have not paid attention to real uh, video game industry news for a long time. Um, what's the controversy? People working too hard? I, I honestly, I mean, that, that was Electronic Arts, Electro EA Spouse. I think that was the last controversy I heard about. And yes, we work too hard. Alrighty, um, uh, read Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreier and currently reading his early press reset. Both profile video game development and focus on company turnover and turbulence. Have I read these? Uh, am I interested in such a book? What are my thoughts on turnover? I thought uh, top thought I mentioned once my old team was Bend was still all together. Is that rare? Yeah, probably. I mean, and it's not. I mean, no, there are just certain key people still at Bend. That's pretty rare for people to have stayed where they are as long. I mean, I think you see more production people. Um, you know, st st sticking with their publisher forever. But development people, in my experience, tend to move around a lot. I mean, in part because, you know, development is so dangerous. It's so, um, you know, uh, easy to, to have the company just close down because we can't pay our bills anymore. And then everybody has to spread to the winds. Uh, I mean, Eidetic is basically, or what is now Sony Ben, is an offshoot of Sony. So, yeah, I mean, although actually... As I understand it now, almost everybody I knew, I think, you know, I mean, I, 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 John's not there anymore, Jeff's not there anymore, I assume Chris is still there. I don't know if Darren's still there. I don't know if Norm is still there or Tim. Well, I mean, you know, five years ago, I think there was still a lion's share, and that was probably odd. But it seems like even that is now starting to go their separate ways, uh, with Days Gone being over. Uh... I, I mean, for me, it was always a good thing. I think it was great for us. We were always happy to move on. I was always happy. After about five years at any company... I was climbing the walls to get out and just do something new and different. Um, you know, new people, new projects, new problems. I just didn't want to be stuck forever in a loop, which was very frustrating for Jen because I always tended to just be, I got to get out of here right about just before there was going to be a huge, huge major monetary windfall. Like, uh, you know, we left as Fable 2 ended. Fable 2 was a monster hit. I probably would have gotten six figures in um, bonuses if I had stayed at Fable for at Lionhead for a few more years, but I had to get out, and so I lost. You know, I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars basically in my. I can't stay here anymore and continue to earn passive royalties on these games because I'm just I'm going slowly insane. But we wouldn't be where we are if we hadn't done it. Yep. So it worked out. Can't complain too much. But Jen's trying to complain at the time. Uh, I believe I supported your decision. Yes, she did. Yes, 100%. Uh, she put my mental health ahead of our pocketbooks. Alrighty. Any comment on crunch time when making video games? Honey, do you have any comments on crunch time? <laughs> uh, that was really awful. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I, there's a reason that they call the wives the uh, video game widows. Yes. Yeah, that's an internal term. I don't know if I heard it, but yeah, it's uh, in any official writings. But yeah, it's a pretty common thing. Uh, yeah, it sucks. But there's no choice about it. Um, it's hard to make a video game. It's very, very difficult. Any kind of huge, creative, multidisciplinary uh, endeavor like that. And the, re and the thing is, things are changing now, I suppose. But 
with every single new game you start, you reinvent the wheel. It's like every single time um, you know Hollywood decides to start making a movie, hey, let's reinvent the camera from scratch. How about we completely throw away all microphone technology and create new microphones that have never existed before? Hmm. That is how what the video game industry is like. Because oh, let's create a new engine. Let's uh, you know you know because we're not building on you know there's knowledge foundations, but not actual technological foundations. And so every time it's just reinventing the world from scratch, and inevitably it's longer and harder to do that than anybody anticipates. No matter how much we built in um, safeties and buffers and all of that. Well, and the consoles keep changing. So and that... the, yeah, exactly. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, that's a very good point. Sorry. But oh, it's... just that. I mean, all of the programming keeps changing. Mm-hmm. All of the um, uh, what you can actually do with this new console. Yeah. Again, uh, in you know, in cinema. It's not like, hey, every five years, like clockwork, new uh, movie theater technology comes out that requires throw away everything you've ever done and start learning all new lessons from scratch. It just, it just doesn't work that way. And so that's why cinema can build and build and build. And it is, it is a much more predictable... Although there's plenty of crunch in making movies, too. Because, uh, again, multidisciplinary... Um, uh, creative endeavors are very, very hard. But video games are especially hard because the industry is still so nascent. I, I would say that's probably changing now. Be, uh, you know, Now that Unreal has pretty much taken over the industry, I guess. And so you do have this kind of universal platform that no matter what always works the same and continues to work the same. So I guess that's a good thing. But that's a guess. I don't actually know if that's the case or not. Uh, number six. One of Top's favorite memories from the podcast was the super hilarious account of the disastrous trip from the Saturday Night Live taping uh, in New York back to Malta. Years later, I vividly remember many details. Begging change on the bus. Desperate coordination with Jen on a dying phone. Doing a place mat while hopping the divider. Schlepping the large, wheelless cardboard box everywhere. <laughs> the frantic bus ride where I was the only passenger. And of course, the climax. Running to the ferry, not knowing if I'd, uh, if it had yet left yet because the building was in the way still dragging the bogs with my beltless pants falling down comedy gold <laughs> top that is amazing i don't remember half of that i have to admit i mean you saying it i kind of dimly recall some of that stuff i mostly recall the bus ride that was the mo- because that was the beginning of it uh you know getting on the bus not thinking i was going to be able to make it to the plane on time to jfk and i kind of dimly recall these other things you're suggesting i kind of remember trying to hop a divider and face planting. That kind of sounds familiar, but wow, you remember it better than me. That's impressive. <laughs> Do we have any other experiences we can share? Anything that tops that one, which is your favorite? Well, obviously, as I just stated, if I did, I don't remember. We do have one other big one, and I don't remember the details at all anymore. Remember, it was getting the uh, the kayak after the after Peter's wedding. Oh my wedding. god. And I don't. Do you remember? The canoe. I, uh, that one is a story that kind of goes on and on and on with a series of comedic missteps every step of the way, <laughs> as it just escalates over and over and over again. Um, we, we I were, think we recorded that at one point. I Did we? I don't know that we've ever talked about it. I mean, we used to tell that story a lot, but a couple of years after it happened, I don't remember the particulars. Mm-hmm. I mean, long story short, it was we, uh, Jen and I were invited to go to Peter Molyneux's wedding, which, which was, was very amazing. Fancy. And it was in London. And we thought, hey, you know what? Uh, we live in Guildford. We're in London. We actually drove in. How about we drive north of London afterwards and go pick up this uh, canoe yep. uh, that uh, somebody was selling or gave away for free or something I like that? I think it that. was on Craigslist or something. Yeah, and, or whatever the British equivalent of that was at the time. And we thought, okay, that's what we're going to do. And um, cut to six hours of pure comedic hell. <laughs> um, you know, uh, as we as we try, as every possible thing in the universe goes wrong. Um, and as we try to get this canoe, get it 
um, in a way that we can transport it yep. and then get back home. Uh, and it, and I'm sorry, man. We it, I don't think we've I don't believe we're, we're talking about it. Do you remember all the particulars? I know I it's, remember quite it's a, a story bit. that takes 15 minutes to tell. I remember that, but I don't remember mm. what the story is anymore. Well, okay, first of all, we were dressed up for the wedding. Yes, that was one thing. You have to remember for the entire time, everything bad that happens to us, we're in dress shoes, we're in dress clothes, I'm wearing High a tie. Heels. Jen's got heels and a really fancy dress. So that exacerbates everything. Yeah. Um, and also, they had really amazing uh, drinks at the Oh, wedding. and Jen is completely drunk. Yes, let's not forget <laughs> that, too. I don't want to say completely <laughs> drunk, but, but quite sloshed. Yeah. Yes, quite uh, feeling no pain. So you're driving... And well, you're actually going to try to do that. I mean, uh, uh, this is a test of what we were talking about earlier. I, well, let's try. I remember, let's see, what all, I, 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 what I can't do is actually tell it as a series of comedic, oh, and then this led to this led to this, because we don't remember it very well. But yeah, we used to tell the story all the time. I remember there was lots of stuff about, uh, what was the M25 ring and missing... Missing exits, exits yeah. and then having to drive for like ten miles before we could turn around, and then missing the second exit. Yeah. I mean, so we we had a series of those kind of things. The house itself was in the middle of nowhere, and we weren't really sure if it was uh, up if, and up. If we were on the right, yeah, yeah, yep. And then yeah, there was, and of course it's dark. Yeah, it, it was yeah, totally now it's dark, pitch black. and we're running at least two hours late because of well, the wedding or yep. getting lost or whatever. And then it, it was a gigantic canoe, bigger than we thought it was going to be, and we had a little car. We had the Suzuki. We oh yeah okay yeah, so we didn't have racks. a smart car yet. Yeah, the roof racks were on there, and we, I'd put the thingies on so we could lay the canoe on top of the roof racks. Yeah. And I, I think maybe we'd forgotten rope or something. Something or like that, yeah. Like that. So we finally get to the guy's house. And we'd called him to tell, you know, oh, shit, we just moved. We just... Um, Ooh, the show went blue. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Shut the yard. <laughs> keep doing it. <laughs> uh, uh, that, uh, yeah, we were going to be late. And anyway, so it, I think it was probably 10 or 11 p.m. Yeah. by the time we actually got there. Yep. And this guy had been waiting for yeah. us for, I don't even know, three hours or mm -hmm. something. Yep. And he, he very kindly helped us get it on our... And I think we had forgotten the rope. Yeah, and so we, he had some, and we tied it on as best we could. Yes, yeah, so it was very, t it was very pendulous, as I recall. On yeah, the drive back. And again, I'm wearing heels and uh, a cleavagey dress. Yep. <laughs> so maybe that made it made up for it, you know, yep. for him. There but anyway, um, so yeah, we did finally get it on the Suzuki, mm -hmm. and you're driving still, or maybe by this time I've sobered up a bit. Yeah. Three hours later, um, anyway, we drive home. And uh, the house that we have is um, on a street that's level, but right near it is a hill that goes down to, towards the river. Oh my gosh, yes. And there was no parking for whatever reason in front of our house on the flat street. So we had to park on the hill. Yep, very steep, like 40, 40 degree incline kind of a thing. I'm going to say 30, yeah. but okay. Um, so I, I don't know what happened. Yeah, 30. But... We also decided, okay, well, we can't just leave this out here. Well, and by the time we get home, it's 1 a.m. Yeah, or some, yeah. you know, weird We're still time. dressed. We're incredibly tired and frustrated. And we're like, oh, we can't just leave this on the street. What are we going to do with this thing? Um, and then, for some reason, I think we ended up in the river. Uh, no, no, no. That was the next then, day. Didn't we have to get it? We had to take it down to the river and actually ride it in the middle of the night so we could get it to our backyard because we couldn't actually get it through the gate and down the steep stairs. So we thought it would be easier to actually put this thing in the water. I recall and something like up. that. Yes. Okay. At but the thing was, it 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 slid off of the car. Oh, right. Yes, it did. Somehow. Yes, on, on I the think incline. maybe you started un untying it or whatever. And so we're on the incline. Oh, mm. And of course, this canoe just slides and right off the, concrete, the top of makes, our car. It makes enough noise to wake up the entire neighborhood. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just this incredibly loud cacophonous <laughs> noise. 
and just sliding slowly down the hill. slides all the way down to the bottom of the hill, yeah. And just slowly, <laughs> gently comes to a stop. All scraped all to hell now because yep. this just happened and there's nothing we could do. Oh, God. Yeah. I think what we did is we did, we, we like stuck it in the walkway or something overnight and then the next yes, morning yes we did we did because we couldn't we couldn't do any more so we just kind of left and hey if somebody steals it somebody steals it there's nothing we can do maybe at this that's point. the best thing at this point <laughs> at this point maybe yeah. it's a talisman and we should get rid of it and then i think what we did is we in the morning after wearing normal clothes yes uh, i think we just walked it over to the neighbors and went, communal and went area yeah 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 yep. yeah because we, we couldn't actually get yeah. it down the, our drive the, the ultimate Walkway. was waking up the entire neighborhood with it just sliding. Um, yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, sorry. I wish it was a bit more cohesive story, but it was... Yeah, yeah. you should have asked us eight years ago, and we would have been able to tell that story like, like uh, gangbusters. Anyway, seven, due to COVID, uh, Top started working from home and loves it. Wouldn't mind never going back to the office. Much more productive. Uh, but personal hygiene is taking a back seat. What about you? We've been working from home for years. Yeah. Interestingly, I... The last full-time job I had doing AAA console video game development, Splash Damage, you know, we we published Brink, and then you don't we were think working TRC? on... What's up? What's up? TRC is not your last full-time job? Well, that's why I said big console development. Oh, okay. TRC was a totally different thing. Um, but, you know, the last big video game development I was doing. Uh, after Brink was done, uh, we were working on Marvel Secret Wars, and I was really starting to get very... Frustrated with the commute, very mm. just, you know, completely fed up with the industry. And I said, look, I, I just can't keep doing this anymore. I cannot spend four hours a day on a train on a good day anymore. We're not going to move to Bromley. So I need to start working from home half the week. Yeah, I remember And that. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so I, I negotiated that with my boss, the owner of the company, and he hated it. He was not happy that I was doing that at all. I thought it was fantastic. I, I had a, like a completely renewed and reinvigorated love of the of the work, and I was I was I was doing good solid time every day. Um, you know, everybody. I was the only one doing it. No, this wasn't a common thing at the time, but uh, my boss. Oh, it, it just drove him nuts, and he just started getting really snarky with me every time we'd have a conference. Well, you know, if you were in the office, this, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. And it's, I mean, ultimately, uh, 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 he got to the point where like, you have to come back or you have to quit, one or the other. And I'm like, okay, then I'm done. And uh, and who knows? Maybe if he'd been a little bit more open to it, maybe if he'd been a bit forward thinking, he certainly was about drones. Oh my God! Uh, you know how drones are so common. Yeah. He was an early adopter of drones before they were ever a thing, and hmm. uh, he just wouldn't stop talking about drones all day long. Man, he loved his drones. But uh, you know, maybe things would have been different if uh, that could have continued to work. Because I think it does work. I, I you know, there are certain industries, and the video game industry is definitely one of them. Um, but yeah, I've been happy to be working from home since then. Yeah, and, and I've worked from home. For you have for a long time. thirty years, I guess. Yeah, for 20, 20, 25 years, I guess. Right? 25, yeah. Quarter of a century. So we are big proponents. Yeah. If you went back to work, would you prefer to work at home or at the office? I think we just answered that question. Uh, Top's the same age as us and feels we, we should, one should always try to find new skills. Usually not that successful because often hard to carve out time with real life and family. What about us? Do we try to learn new skills? And if so, what? Hmm. I'm always trying to learn new skills. Jen is very, yeah. uh, you know, almost aggressive about it, quite frankly. Yeah, I just like to continually improve or or change things up or expand my knowledge or repertoire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just took a really fun class from a, a, another glassmaker who lives in South Africa. No, but that, no, that's a, that's extending your existing skill. That's not like a totally new thing. I mean, you're not learning how to do automobile maintenance or, mm. you know, that kind of thing. 
you're you're expanding your professional skill set. Yeah, well, I think that's new. I think that's a new skill, especially the one that I took before, which was that implode, implosion class. That mm. was a total mind bender. Mm, so, I am not. I I feel like I know all the skills I need to know. I'm more than happy to just stay in my lane and uh, and just play more games and use that to keep my mind fresh and sharp. Oh, honey pie, guess what? Is that it? Are we, we done? done? Wow. It's time for dogs. <gasps> Dog Doggos! Yay. Hey, it's Loki and Apollo. Well, they're lovely, aren't they? Mm, yeah, there they are. Adorable. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry, folks. Uh, the podcast is over. We're just now going to talk. Oh, wait. No, no, no. It's not. Um, final thoughts, right? And you... How did you send it to me? You, I think oh, you sent to me in Messenger, I think. Yeah. Let me go into Messenger.com. we got to have Jen's final uh, words of wisdom now that they're officially a staple and they're no longer requested and we almost forgot. All right, so where would it have been? It would definitely uh, be under me. Yes. Okay, who am I looking at? Yeah. I'm looking at that for a different person. D-D-D. There it is. Okay, it's opening up. D D D D D D. Good. This is a good, still a good one. Sometimes I send you words that are very potent at the moment. Is this potent? This is a good one. Is this particularly on point? Let's hide the word. Let's show. There we go. Honey pie. What are your words of wisdom for the month? Okay, trust the process. Take your time. There's no need to rush or chase anything. It's totally fine that you're not there yet, where you thought you would be by now. How about embracing and enjoying the process instead of framing it into something that puts pressure on you? Nourish your develop, oops, sorry, nourish your devotion with full acceptance of the way it unfolds. It means you align yourself with your soul. And that's by Tara Isis Jerris. Jerris, Jerris. All right. Not sure, but I like it. Yeah, that does seem kind of pressure. That does seem kind of on point. All right. Well done. Um, and folks, that's it. We are done. Uh, we're going to look at some pictures, but that's not particularly good if you're listening instead of watching. So, uh, please send more questions to questions at raw.com. I imagine some of our answers might've prompted some new questions today and we'll get to those in January, but otherwise, thanks for listening or watching. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye. Bye. Dog time. Now we can move on to Loki. Right, so three-month-old Loki and 15-year-old Apollo. That is clearly Loki, the brown, yes. and Apollo. And Apollo seems to be putting up with Loki. That no, is look, adorable. he's touching him with his nose. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, that's, that's probably voluntary. That's yep. lovely. Uh, then good old Charlie and oh, Skye are back. Oh, God, that's a I, great picture. Nigel is just the best. I mean, you should be a professional dog photographer. That's just Look at this. It's ridiculous. And he's doing it with a phone. That is fantastic. Oh, Look at that. Oh, that's another great photo. And now here's the deal. I, honestly, at this point, I don't know who's Charlie and who's Sky. And I, I don't know how you know the difference either. I, I assume well, you can one's tell. got a teal collar and one's got a purple collar. Well, that's cheating. I mean, if you take the collars out. Okay, no, no, I guess. I don't know which one this is, but that one's um, fairer. This one's darker. Yeah. And Maybe. one of them's much more jowly. And here they both are. Da, da, da. That's a, <laughs> an adorable shot. Um... That looks like there's only one treat to be had, and yep. somebody's got to it, get it. There's going to be some tough decisions to be made. Okay. Then here's a recent uh, photo of Kaipo, who's now 11, and Yuki. Remember, it was Yuki and Yo-Yo, yes. but Yo-Yo suddenly died. But now it's Kaipo at 11 months. Uh, tad chilly, so they broke out some sweaters. Oh, that's <laughs> that adorable. That is ridiculous. Oh, oh, look at those funky ears. So I know, cute. I know. So much fuzz on the ears. I'm assuming the one on the right is Kaipo. She looks younger. Or maybe it's just less fuzzy. No. no, I think this is the puppy. You think uh, Kaipo's on the left? Yes. And Yuki's on the right? I don't know. But it was not specified. 
Uh, but let's see. Then we've got a good boy Tinker, best pup, still digging Aww. holes. The big dog park in the sky. Tinker is adorable. Yeah. Sorry Aww. that you know Tinker is has moved on, but she or he is a sweetie pie too. Yeah. And then we got one more from Sonic and Sprecker. Just up to no good. <laughs> those two. Uh, my favorite names for dogs: Sonic and Sprecker. And I think that was it. Oh wait. Oh yeah. Everything else. Oh. Oh, watermelon. watermelon. I've never heard of a dog being having. Do our dogs are interested in watermelon? I don't think we've had a watermelon for so long. That's true, yeah. I'm not sure we've had it when we've had those dogs. Yep. Okay. I like watermelon, though. Sure. Uh, you'd fight it for the watermelon. Yeah, man. Okay, folks, we are done once again. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. See you next month. Talk to you later. So long. Bye.